Welcome to RPG Sites RPG of the Year Deliberations for 2021. It has been another long year, but it is that time again. Over the course of the next several hours, the RPG Sites staff is going to discuss, dispute, and determine our selection for the best RPG of 2021. My name is Brian Vitale, and you may recognize my voice from our site's TetraCast podcast, but this is not a normal episode of that podcast. Instead, what this effectively is, is a behind-the-scenes look at our staff coming to an agreement, hopefully, for what our favorite RPG of the year is. In order to do that, I'm joined here today by several of our podcast regulars alongside some other site contributors that I don't get to hear from quite as often. Uh, first and foremost, I am joined by... Alex Donaldson, who is a co-founder of the site, and it's always good to have him on the uh, on the cast. So welcome, Alex. Hello. It's good to be here again for the arguments. <laughs> <laughs> not always. It depends on, on the year, whether or not it's an argument or an agreement. Uh, so that is yet to be determined. Um, also joining me, uh, some of these names will be familiar and some of these will be new. In no particular order, I have Josh Torres. Coming to an agreement again. Huh? Oh boy, here we go. We have Adam Vitali. Hello. We have Jess Reyes. Long time no see. Yeah, it's good to hear from you again. Uh, we've got their first time in a recording session with us. I have Quinton O'Connor. Yep, first time. Happy to be here. No, it's good to have you with us, Quinton. Uh, we've got Chow Min Wu. How's it going? And James Galizio. Hey, folks. I always feel like I have James's name last whenever it's a normal podcast or this podcast. Maybe it's just because he's always at the bottom of the list. I don't know. I feel like I always like, be the last one usually. Oh, I don't know. You're well, so this, 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 this is just how it is. It was no particular order. So 2021 has been a bit of a deceptively strong years for uh, for RPGs in general. It's one of those things that when we came to this podcast, we're kind of looking at the list and being like, wow, that... A lot happened this year that maybe before you actually take you know a step back to look at it, it might not have feel, felt that way in the moment. But looking at it now, I feel like this we could have some contentious uh, decisions to make upcoming. Uh, in general, it's been a big year for RPGs and thus a big year for RPG site. We finally had a chance to enjoy some long-awaited games like Tales of Arise, like Shin Megami Tensei V. Uh, Neo, The World Ends With You was kind of announced late last year as a big surprise. And we got to experience it this year. We got some surprise remasters for classic Final Fantasy titles. Uh, we had some smaller titles like Ender Lilies and Fantasian ending up leaving potentially a greater impact than maybe we anticipated. And a lot of other smaller projects that just kind of dotted out throughout the year, such as like Eastward and Dungeon Encounters and basically reminders of how varied this genre can be in all the sorts of games that fall under this umbrella. Uh, it's been an interesting and exciting year on the site front. Maybe nothing quite as earth-shaking as last year's edition of the RPG site Dark Mode. Uh, but we did have some new contributors like uh, Quentin and Jess, alongside some others that couldn't be here today, such as uh, Scott White, Paige Chamberlain, and Nathan Lee. Uh, we introduced a new logo for the site in a few of our places, like on our, on our um, social feeds. Uh, we tried some new video thumbnails and new review cards. So it's been a, an interesting year in terms of kind of like the site design and all the uh, improvements there. And speaking of that, I always well, before, want to leave... Before you move on, before I don't mean to cut you off, before you move on, we got to pay special attention to another co co-founder, Mike, who has done tremendous work on the site behind the scenes. Uh, just recently, we got a whole. Like we have a uh, the podcast has its own column now. Yeah, uh, but the site it's right there. Uh, I think I think it was this year the the color coded tags that we have, or like the yeah. New... I mean to to just give 
the the very 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 short version from our side is um if you don't work in and around website stuff you have to be really careful not to upset the cart when ruin the way google looks at your website and stuff like that and so rather than just do a flat out redesign of the website mike and myself have been working through this year basically gradually updating page by page the site so that's why there was the logo switch over there was a point when the article pages started to look a little different um and we're almost there now almost every type of page on the site there's like three types of pages left including the front page and they might be done by the time you guys hear this um that we're left at a left to update and basically once all that is done it's almost it, it will be basically a new design of the site we just did it piece by piece instead of doing it all behind the scenes and then flicking a switch and potentially breaking loads of stuff a bit unorthodox but it's been fun and interesting to experiment this year. We're working on some fun stuff for next year, some community stuff and things like that, that I'm really, really excited about. Um, and yeah, I mean, shout out to Mike because he is the, the brains behind the, uh, the back end and RPG site, you know, a lot of sites of our size and a lot bigger, um, sort of run on WordPress and things like that, but everything we do is all custom from the ground up, which is a nightmare, but it also enables us to do a lot of stuff that other sites can't do, and that is all down to Mike. So props to him once again for an amazing year. Yeah, just yes. a little bit behind the scenes, just like like it feels like you know after several weeks passed by, like Mike would just come out and out of nowhere, like, "Hey, I've been working on this. What do you guys think?" We're like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, Mike is like a wizard. <laughs> I was just about to get into giving him a shout out. So I'm glad that we're all really on the same page and how much we do appreciate him. So thank you, Mike. Shout outs to him. So anyone listening to these deliberations actually, in a way, kind of has a leg up on us because obviously at the time we record, as I speak into the microphone right now, we do not know what is going to be like our pick for RPG of the year or our pick for our categories. But at the time that this podcast is published, we will have all of our features up on the site, uh, at least within a couple days of each other. Uh, the first is our reader's choice article. What this is, is that we hold a poll through our social channels uh, throughout the month of December for basically the RPG site readers to pick what their favorite game of the year was from our category of RPGs, as well as their most anticipated for next year. We will also have our staff's most anticipated game of, for this case, 2022 for next year. And then we will have our final article, basically the results of these deliberations that you're listening to right now. Uh, just kind of for the record, last year, both our readers and staff agreed that Final Fantasy VII Remake was the best game of 2020. The staff's most anticipated game for this year was Bravely Default 2 and Monster Hunter Rise Tide. And our readers' most anticipated game for 2021 was Shin Megami Tensei V. So all games that all did end up releasing, which is always uh, prudent, because sometimes you anticipate a game and it doesn't show up the next year that you think it might. So uh, we'll try to avoid that, but no promises. So the way we organize this, and we've been doing this for a few years now, is that we will obviously pick a favorite RPG of the year for 2021. And then other than that, we will tier our other favorites for the years. Instead of having a clear runner-up or number two, number three, we will have a top 10, a top five, and then our favorite RPG, our winner. In addition to that, we will have a few things that are kind of like categories. Uh, we don't rank within these categories. We just kind of pick a title that we think is emblematic of a sp specific design intent. 
whether it is a writing or storytelling or art or music or design. Um, so we'll basically have kind of subcategories that we will pick a favorite from just to kind of give these games a particular shout out, even if they don't end up placing well on our main list. Uh, a couple of little housekeeping rules before I go into the list of RPGs is that uh, our calendar, so to speak, is December through December, because sometimes when a game releases in December, and depending on when we record our deliberations, it, there hasn't been a chance for us to go into, you know, have, have a lot of people get hands on with something. And it just it just is a lot tidier just to kind of treat December 2020 as part of this year's deliberations and 2021 as part of next year's, if that makes sense. So uh, in the case of this list, what this what this specifically means is that games like the Endwalker expansion for Final Fantasy XIV will be under consideration next year, and games from 2020 in December, namely Cyberpunk 2077, will be under consideration this year. I'll just go out and say it. It probably makes this podcast more interesting that Endwalker's not part of it, just because <laughs> I feel like it's safe to say it would probably be the runaway if it was. <laughs> And we'll have to see if that momentum holds through for next year. So uh, keep that in mind for 12 months from now. Uh, also, we do cover official English releases. So because uh, our site is a English facing website. So if it is a fan translation or not an official Western release, we do not cover it here, though we can talk about it in passing. That's not off the table, but it just can't be in consideration for our list. Uh, and then as I read through the list, if there is a game that anyone listening th thinks is missing or absent, it's either because it wasn't nominated, we did not cover it on our site, or uh, it was a remaster or re-release, a game that originally appeared before 2021 in some fashion. Uh, of course, if you think that it should be counted and anyone here on the cast thinks that it's missing, you know, speak up. We, there's nothing saying that we can't add it right now. I just want to apologize to James that we can't talk about the game that we like uh, until like maybe 2024, maybe. Look, look <laughs> uh, I wasn't even going to say anything because I don't want to rub it into the poor Trails fans. But... Hey, they even forgot their main character. I had to patch it in, okay? Yeah, yeah. It's like when, when you hear <laughs> when you hear people getting on NIS America's case about how long it takes to localize, just consider that Falcom is barely managing on their own. <laughs> So keep that in mind for uh, 2024. And it's also why... The universe might happen before then, too. We don't know well, yet. On a similar vein, I played I played like the English fan translations of two of those games in that series, but then were now officially announced for coming up in the upcoming years for the uh, Crossville games. So uh, we will get to that uh, when they officially release. Anyways, without further ado, let me go through the list. I am just going to read these uh, off. These are basically all the games in consideration for this year. There are 39 of them, so <clears throat> let me pace myself and go through them. Uh, in alphabetical order, the games under consideration this year are Astria Ascending, Atelier Ryza 2, Lost Legends and the Secret Fairy, Biomutant, Blue Reflection Second Light, Bravely Default 2, Chris Tales, Cyberpunk 2077, Dark Deity, Death's Door, Disgaea 6, Defiance of Destiny, Dungeon Encounters, Eastward, Ender Lily's Quietus of the Nights, Fantasian, Fuga Melodies of Steel, Noja, Kowloon High School Chronicle, Lost Judgment, Mary Skelter Finale, Monster Hunter Rise, Monster Hunter Stories 2, Wings of Ruin, Neo, The World Ends With You, 
Outriders, Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous, Persona 5 Strikers, Fantasy Star Online 2 New Genesis, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, Ruined King A League of Legends Story, Scarlet Nexus, Shin Megami Tensei 5, Super Robot Wars 30, Tales of Iron, Tales of Arise, The Ascent, The Caligula Effect 2, Undernaught's Labyrinth of Yomi, Voice of Cards, The Isle Dragon Roars, Wildermyth, and East Nine Monstrum Knox. So that is 39 titles from this year. Uh, anything surprising from that list? I, I will say I added Pokemon there right at the last minute just because it is, although it is a, a, a an old game, it is actually a remake. It is not just, you know, a remaster with some added stuff. It is completely different in terms of assets. It is a, it is a new version of that game. No, so it's, it's funny because it, it's definitely based off of the original code base because people have actually discovered bugs in the original game's code based off of bugs that surfaced in the remakes. <laughs> so that'll be an interesting one because like the remake remaster reimagining whatever is never there's never a clear answer to what that means or what that is. So uh I'm sure we'll be talking about Pokemon a bit if we think it's uh deserving to be in this cat in this total category or only in the remaster category. Uh and like speaking of that, you might have noticed that some games were missing, but like I said, there's a lot of releases every year that uh, for instance, the near re- near replicant version 1.22 was a game that was a big title for us on the site back in April or so. But uh, we have that clearly listed as a remaster, and therefore it is. We have decided not to consider it in our main list here. And there's other games that are in that same kind of umbrella. And, uh, that also brings up the question: like, if we're going to consider Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, then maybe near makes that master list too. If we're mm-hmm. considering that, because that's also a similar game where it's. It has it's a, it's entirely new. It's built from the ground up, and it has new content. Well, maybe yeah. Pokemon gets lost, off, gets knocked off that list. But I would say the, the 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 change in Pokemon is much more significant than the changes to Nier. Even if Nier has an extra, how long is it? Uh, there's a whole new battle know, system in your also. Minutes. So, I don't know. I think they marketed that battle system extraordinarily well for how much it changed. They just made the game not feel like trash, basically. So this is actually kind of a very relevant conversation because uh, we are going to talk about basically our category awards first. And our first category here is a pretty simple one. And it's one that was new as of last year in 2020. And this is the best remaster or re-release. In 2019, I believe... The reason why this became kind of something that we felt we needed is because we had Persona 5 Royal, we had Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, that basically what we found is that it kind of crowded out those they were all games that we thought really highly of but we felt like it just kind of crowded out the space of new titles to have to keep kind of these spots earmarked for like yep persona 5 is a great game yep xenoblade's a great game but those are from you know 2017 and or whatever and 2011 and didn't want to just re you know kind of reward them again for re-releasing and still being great games so we have a new category for remaster re-release as of this year or as of last year and let me kind of go through what those are, because there uh, there were quite a few. So for our first category, best remaster or re-release, and we will we will discuss Pokemon and Nier on this. So we have Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, Nier Replicant version 1.22, the Final Fantasy Pixel remasters, at least one through five, released this year, Legend of Mana HD remaster, Saga Frontier remastered, 
Judgment, it's next-gen PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X version. The Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Metopia, it's Switch Edition. The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim Anniversary Edition. The Castlevania Advanced Collection. Disco Elysium The Final Cut. Kingdom Hearts 3 on PC. And Diablo 2 The Resurrected Edition. Now... This is not obviously every new port of any game that released this year. These are ones that we felt had a significant enough change to be nominated for this list. For instance, we've seen a lot of games get you know new ports on the new consoles, but Judgment arrived here because it had significant work done and kind of like a new lighting and art style from its uh, PlayStation 4 version of that game. And the same is true for things like Metopia, which had some significant changes from its original release as it released on the Switch console. Uh, kind of a kind of a crowded list here and a lot of games to go through. I think that was like 13 titles under this category. We have to decide we're not tiering these. We're not ranking these. We just have to pick a winner for best remaster or re-release. So I think maybe the easiest thing to, to do here would be to knock off games that we think shouldn't even be in consideration. Well, I mean... I will start and ask because I obviously added it to that main list and say, with regards to Pokemon, I wanted to put it on the main list to sort of acknowledge that it was a significant remake of that game, even if it is based on the original code that I did not know, but it feels like a, a significant remake. Yeah. But um, it's it's a buggy, it's, it's it's got problems, right? It's got significant, significant problems. I think whatever you think of the art style, I actually think it's fine, but I know a lot of people don't like it, but um, it definitely feels like... It feels what it feels. What it like, feels like to me is they didn't actually want to make that game, but the game they wanted to make was Arceus, but because there is a fan expectation that there would be a Sinnoh remake, they sort of, late in the game, I think, probably went, we'd better do a Sinnoh remake and handed it off to another dev and had them rush. And yeah, where what they really wanted to do was focusing on Legends Arceus, right? Which we will see in January. So... So basically, you're yeah. saying that whether it belongs or on this list or not is it is kind of a moot point because we don't see it winning. <laughs> yeah, I don't see yeah. it winning. Though. All right, that's too- yeah. I was just going to chime in real quick uh, regarding Pokemon. Um, uh, I think you accidentally. I, I was, I was like somebody deleted something, but it wasn't Pokemon on the list. It's like, uh, no, we didn't. So basically, what we have is we have a working list in front of us that we have access to, so we can kind of decide uh, as we as we clearly mark what is tiered down and tiered up in terms of in consideration or out of consideration. So that's what we are working to. And I'm going ahead and striking through uh, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl from our best remaster category. Did anyone here actually play the new Skyrim edition? I did. Do you think it's actually worth considering any further or no? Not really. I mean, I have fun with it. Um, I've always just kind of had fun with Skyrim in general, but uh, it's a little prettier. It runs a little nicer and it has a bunch of stuff that for the most part already existed. Um, So no, not really. I agree with that. I also have played. It's fine, but it is totally. um, What's the word I'm looking for? It's like, they added that fishing, right? And the fishing is like just a very simple, janky, borderline uh, mod thing. Um, it's a good version of a truly great game, one of the greatest. But um, if we're talking about, in this category, the best remaster or reimagining in terms of thinking about what it does to the game that, as it was already released, um, it's not 
anything to write home about. But I feel though like there's something that's appropriate about at least giving Skyrim a shout out about a re-release. Uh, just like all is right yeah. with the world, so uh, we'll take Skyrim off. Adam, how um, do you feel about Saga Frontier Remastered? I, for me, I didn't even play it, but just by the virtue of it finishing a like an infamously unfinished PlayStation One game, in addition to remastering it. For me, that's kind of putting it in the upper echelon here. Like, if if anything is the clear front runner for me, it would be that. Okay, so we'll, we'll keep one one other cool thing about Saga Frontier Remaster. Just it's like a, one of the additions it makes is like a new game plus mode, which for most games, new game plus is just kind of like a cool little thing. Like, it's not groundbreaking or whatever. But in Saga games, when you have eight different protagonists, um. The new game plus allows you to like replay the game with a different protagonist, which is literally a different story, but it kind of carries over your progress from your earlier playthroughs. Um, so you don't have to basically start from scratch every time. Yeah, that's so it's go finish your thoughts. Sorry. Yeah. So basically, it's very enticing to like once you play through the game once, it takes, you know, 10, 15 hours. It's not that long of a game. Rather than having to say, like, I want to play through another character, but I got to start all over and it's another 10 hours. It's like, no, you've already put in a lot of work, like training up your characters, getting items. It only takes only five hours next time and then two hours. Then you can kind of blitz through it. So it's just it's a nice addition. That's Um, one of the two big things about this remastered feature is like because in the original release of Saga Frontier on PS1, as Chow and I remembered when you first played, it's like, hell yeah, time to go use another protagonist. Oh, shit, I have nothing at all again. Here we go again, um, which is uh, very tedious. The original release is very tedious, and also they got a chance to like actually finish like the original vision for that game. They added Fuse as a, a new character route. You know, sure his implementation is like sort of like an amalgamation because of the way he's implemented in the story. But that's a cool thing to like for them to finally like not only re-release this game, but re-release it in a way that like fulfills that original vision and get that second chance that they've always wanted after all these years. And that's really cool to see. So definitely yeah, sounds and even like just, Saga. Go ahead, Quentin. Oh, I was just going to say, even just from like reading the developer interviews uh, leading up to the release or the re-release, I could tell that there's just a lot of love and passion put into that project. It was like, it seemed like creators felt like they were coming home after a long time. And that passion really pervades throughout the experience for me. So definitely sounds like Saga Frontier Remastered will be in consideration. Uh, let's see if there's any others that we can knock off the list. Uh, Adam, how do you feel that Legend of Mana HD st- stood up as a kind of a similarly tiered remaster? It's not. First of all, a quick aside. I realize actually just pointed this out. We didn't nominate. I think we left it off because it's actually not that great of a re-release. Uh, Shin Megami Tensei 3 Nocturne was mm-hmm. re-released this year. But that re-release has some weird issues in terms of, like, there's a weird, like, flashing bug that they still haven't gotten rid of. Um, and it's, uh, like, they didn't do anything to, like, improve the music, which, you know, maybe you can argue that it was out of their hands or whatever, like, from original limitations, but it was, it's kind of a sore spot. And it's, I just don't think it holds up with the rest of this list. So it wasn't it nominated, off. so we're going to put it on the list and then cross yeah, it off. But... To, to, to provide some context of like the good <laughs> and bads of that remaster, right? Uh, obviously, uh, Adam pointed out to the flashing issue whenever you open anything, like, in, like a treasure chest or something, you and you move the camera right after you uh, 
open that chest, like it'll like fade to black for like a second, and it's like always jarring when it does it because you open. And it's extremely it. reproducible. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's very easy to like just see. It's like okay, that's weird. Uh, and also, like the uh, unfortunately, you know, whatever development issues they ran into, like maybe having like a better quality music during battles, but still very mushy and grungy, and you know, not it very echoey and doesn't sound that great. Um, unfortunately, you know, no one's been able to really fix that. And also, since this was built up with like a Unity layer as well, they couldn't like they 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 couldn't like really add anything like in terms of, like performance. Like this doesn't run at a higher frame rate. Uh, it mm-hmm. run, it still runs as it did on the PS2. Uh, it runs a little bit better on like in some battles, but it was not really a you know a noticeable thing. And also, like it just it just it doesn't feel like you know it's it's weird. It's it's such a weird uh, remaster. And it, the thing the thing that's most upsetting in a sense is it's a really great game. Yeah, like as a PS2 game, but it's not didn't really get the re-release it yeah. deserves in my uh, the, the good thing about it is we finally got like the rido edition uh, uh officially localized you know so yeah. really like uh, that character you know you get to do his boss battle have him join your party and they did like minor balance up there yeah vo- vo- english voices were really good uh and in that like adam and i talked about a lot when it released and also they did it's also weird they also did like a minor balance pass on it like Dante is as now now more viable at like the final boss because he because they added properties to some of his attacks that lets him you know be usable at that final stretch of the game. Yeah, I brought and, it up in chat because um, I think that's that's the only remaster I've played this year. But I remember when I was playing through it, it was my first SMT game, and uh, I did kind of think to myself it it had kind of an antiquated feel to it, like it was a PS2 game on the Nintendo Switch. Um, in fact, there was a, there was a bug that I looked up and I was like, oh, it's from the old game and it's still here. Oh, so, that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, it, it was interesting for me to go through it. I remember I was mentioning the voices and um, Adam had said, oh, yeah, those are new. And I was like, oh, really? Okay, then I guess that's a interesting new addition to it. Yep. You're, you're lucky um, that they're for a SST game. It's an awesome. <laughs> it's, 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 it's basically diving in the deep end. <laughs> so, right, yeah. Go ahead, James. Sorry, I was just going to say, kind of piggybacking off of some of the complaints with uh, Nocturne's remaster, I feel like as much as I loved Near Replicant, it should probably be kicked off the list too for the state of the PC port alone. I don't know well, how the PC port is doing, I, I like, but I think I think knocking it off just because of like I played it on PC and I had a perfectly fine time with it. Obviously, I was like at 1080p, you know, so I, I well, don't have a higher. Well, I, I didn't have a problem but, either. But, but Nier is such a fantastic release of that game. Like it's fucking insane what they did to that game. I think I think it's one of the runner ups, if you not know what? maybe the winner for this. You know what? Here's the thing. I would be putting this as the winner of this category if it included both versions of the game and let you choose. Because <laughs> they use the same assets, Papa all, the voice work, all the original voice work was there. I do not get it. I, that is the one thing where, and you know what? I would have rather had that than the 90 minutes of extra content that sort of, um, without getting into spoilers, that is sort of fun, but also quite cynically plays a little bit on the autonomous autonom- fan service stuff um, in cool ways. But that that's the thing for me is, it, I do not get me wrong, it is the definitive version of that game. It's a great game. I'm one of those weirdos who actually prefers the first near to automata in a weird way. Same. And always did. Um, 
and at least now we do have the uh, Xbox 360 version is backwards compatible and works really well on the One X and Series X and S. So that's not, nice. Not to mention that the PS3 version emulates very well too. So yeah, but well, yeah, yeah. but you have to mess about with loads of stuff there. At least with the, with the Xbox, you get a disc, you put it in. Yeah, away you go. Can, but, I, I, can we I, jump I, back? Can we jump back like five minutes? Um, I kind of went off of a tangent and then never like got back on. Sorry. <laughs> um, so Brian asked me about Legend of Mana. <laughs> oh, apparently it didn't register uh, oh, yeah. very well. Well, the thing is, I think Legend of Mana, it's a really great game. Um, very unique game. And I think the re-release is pretty good. Like the touched up visuals. I, I don't know if this was ever confirmed, but like evidence is that they actually use some AI upscaling um, of the like background assets, which I know, you know, some people will just scoff at that no matter what. But I think the end result is pretty good to get, you know, like a full Wait, HD picture. Wasn't it that um, Legend of Mana was redrawn, actually? Or and maybe it was, it was redrawn. Saga Frontier that was the AI upscaled one. Oh, I might be, I might be getting them mixed up. Yeah, because okay. I remember people like paying attention to specific like uh, details and like leaves and like cracks and like set, like uh, pavement and whatnot. And it's like, oh, that's not AI upscaled. That's like detail that was oh. added manually. Yeah, maybe I was getting those two conflated. But in any case, it looks great. It sounds great. There's a new soundtrack. And importantly, there's an option to switch to the original soundtrack for people who have, you know, been listening to the soundtrack for 20 years. Their nostalgia is safe. Um, it doesn't really add anything. And also, I don't know if it's been improved, but the PC port of this game is not great. Uh, it's very weirdly stuttery. It seems like the main problem with the PC port of this one is that, like, it's actually not a very intense game. So... I think I'm not an expert on this sort of stuff, but I guess like GPUs will oftentimes go into like almost more of a passive mode because the game does not, is not very intense, um, but it causes problems, but it's, it's a really, it's a good re-release, but it just doesn't stand with the, the crowd here. I think. So, I, th- all right. I think the remaster's re- uh, legacy for legend of Mana is like, we got really cool new arrangements for the tracks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want to say, time, I was just going to wonder, sorry to cut you off, Alex, but are there any other games here that we can just kind of knock off so they're just not in consideration? Does anyone uh, feel so strongly just, about Metopia? Advanced Collection? I mean, we're just like packing some ROMs here. Yeah. Well, well, actually, well, to be fair, like it's definitely more than just ROMs with some really cool quality of life features that they added. But I would agree that it's a great remaster. It's just there has definitely been much better re-releases this year. If anything, like looking at this list and talking over it, it's like, man, there were a lot of great ones this year. So Castlevania Advanced yeah, there's, there's some really good ones. There's some really good ones. I would so I agree with knocking Castlevania off. I would say um I'm gonna guess on. I'm the only person here who's played Metopia on and it's a fine port of that game, but it doesn't truck with a lot of the stuff we've already even knocked off. Um Kingdom Hearts free on the PC is an absolutely fine PC version of that game with good um, settings options and stuff like that. The thing that I would say is, um, you know, there's, it does what I would expect a PC port to do compared to in terms of the settings and stuff it offers, which looks good when you compare it to what's just happened with Integrade, but um, which isn't on this list, but should that be on this list for, I mean, for the PS5 just to at least, discuss the, the best UFI content. Support. Best but I think support. but I think we can knock Cage Free off. I think we could probably knock Diablo two off as well 
it's lovely new art um and they did they didn't fuck it up like they did with warcraft um yeah um disco elysium i heard someone say that as, as a candidate for cutting off let me just speak for a second on this one for me that is probably the winner of this category because it's a pretty yeah it's a pretty simple thing that they added to the game but it is so transformative to that experience um it's it's incredible and it, it it was a game where i respected it and knew it was great um beforehand but playing the final cut version i finally felt the greatness of that game yeah yeah i'll say that i played through it this year and i would have to say it's probably one of the best games of the last decade easily it's yeah all right we so can, a couple we can, i mean we can cut off judgment as well i think i'm the only who played the, the, yeah. the next gen ports and you know it's cool they 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 it's not i'm currently playing yet. it I'm okay currently playing it but yeah. it's also like it doesn't really do anything that special because like the new lighting engine is kind of like a mixed bag from what yeah. i understand so it's like yeah. it's not really a negative or a positive and it's it, it's it's cool but at the same time it's kind of weird and let me get it out there. I think I don't think we can, in good faith, um, uh, nominate these Aunt. Final Fantasy. Uh, as soon as Alex starts just, talking, just I'm like, he's going to knock off the it's Pixel just, Remasters. It's just, it's just. It, there are two things, right? The first thing is the font and stuff. I'm sure that will be fixed. Um, my understanding is that the people who fix Chrono Trigger on PC are doing are going to be doing ongoing updates for these games and probably porting them to new platforms. In which case, um, I'm sure they'll do a good job because that PC version of Chrono Trigger is the definitive version of the game and why they haven't released it on other platforms, I do not know. And that's impressive because it was a disaster when it launched that PC version of Chrono Trigger. But for now, there's the fonts and the text and just bad presentation stuff. But also, I will never forgive them for these not being the definitive versions of these games and how much you lose varies from game to game. But in the case of final fantasy two, for instance, the every version of final fantasy two, since the GBA has included that prologue, that epilogue story, sorry, which fast forward to time and tells the story a while after the end of the game. And is a really interesting addition to the canon of that game and some fun late game challenges. And then, you know, final fantasy one had all the callback bosses from other games Put into a put into an end game dungeon so you could go off and do that and fight the train from six and stuff. I think that was what was the train from six put into four. But you know, you get my point. And the fact that they were like, "Here's definitive versions of these games," and then didn't include any of that content. Also, I just do not get it. Also, the fact that they said, "Well, the reason there's none of this extra content is are based off the original releases," and. Speaking as someone that you got to play the NES version of one this year, like I'm all for the spell charge system, but you absolutely ruin it by making it so that you can use ethers because the whole reason that spell charge system works is because it's resource management and you have to plan when you're going to use specific spells. And if you have ethers, it's like, what's the point? Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And because the gill 
because the economy in the game is what it is, it's not difficult at all to just, you know, if somebody's struggling with that, say, oh, we'll go back into town, buy 99 ethers, and then just spam them, you know, like as yeah, you go through the dungeon that. on your and set. if you're going to yeah. do that, why not just have MP? Because if you're not going to, like, embrace the original intended experience anyways that way, it's just... I don't know. It, it 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 rubbed me the wrong way. We will see. We might be talking about these games again in next year because, you know, inevitably they're going to port these to consoles. I dare say they're going to end up on everything, right? Um, and so we'll see what they do when that time comes because it might be that they add content back into games or they do DLC or they add toggles so you can choose in Final Fantasy 1 whether you want Spell Charge or MP or whatever and that's what i think they need to do if they want to make these the definitive versions of the games as it stands right now i feel like the story with these is like missed opportunity yeah is the exactly. theme, right it's like it's like yeah, there's yeah. these screenshots of six right now that are out and it's sort of deceptive and misleading because it looks like the 2d hd octopath stuff except then when you look at it closer you're like oh it's only certain scenes so now you're going to have that for the opera, but then the rest of the game is going to look the same as it always did. So now you've got a mismatch. And I always hated that about the PS1 versions, that the game would cut away to those CG scenes for the opera and stuff because Final Fantasy VII, feel like they were designed around that back and forth between the CG and the live. But then in six and four... But it was mostly and five, but it was mostly six that had the CG in the actual game rather than just at the start and the end. I always felt it was jarring on PS1. And so now they're just doing that in a different way in six. And I'm like, and also they're only doing it in six and haven't done it in the other five. I, yeah, it, missed opportunities, the theme. It doesn't belong as a winner. The only yeah. cool thing I can really say about the Pixel Remastered for sure is like getting like some sort of official localization for three finally yeah yeah that's great and a, a lot of really cool new track arrangements like they did a really good job like across the board but yeah we, might, we think, might be talking about these games again when it comes to soundtrack and i think whatever people say i think um kazuko shibuya did a fantastic job on these new sprites in terms of trying to channel the look on a crt of the originals i realize it hasn't been for everyone but i think um they're nice i think they're nice so the only game we haven't talked about yet that I rattled off at the start of this category was the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. Obviously, it's nice and convenient to have this trilogy uh, in a in a package where we don't have to deal with Bioware points and weird old origin vestiges on the PC version or, or things like that. Uh, but other than that, does this does Mass Effect Legendary Edition stand up with the uh, with the other contenders so far? It's tough because I think if you're looking for the best package and the best value on this list, it's Mass Effect. Um, because it's a hell of a lot of game for you for your money. It runs really well. It looks really nice. I think the changes they made to the first game are just right. They had a really difficult challenge in terms of threading the needle there of changing enough to modernize it, but not changing so much that they ruined what the game was. Um and for me, it's uh, it's over near, um, for sure. But I don't know if it would be over Saga Frontier. All right, so so for those listening that don't have the list conveniently in front of them, we're down to, uh, looks like, four titles vying for the best remaster or re-release. We've got Saga Frontier Remastered, Near Replicant Version 1.22, Mass Effect Legendary Edition, and Disco Elysium The Final Cut. 
That yeah, is tough. Like I'm, I'm thinking like if we're gonna like uh, th- now thinking about like which is probably gonna get support. Like Near and Mass Effect are probably not gonna get the support that the, the nearly as much as Saga Frontier and Disco Elysium. I think those are the two uh, the actual two they're gonna like duke it out now. Because as much as I could like talk about Near, it's not gonna get that support. You know, like they did a really fantastic job with like just recreating that game from the ground up and kind of hashing out not only you know the, like the revamped battle system. Like I I, 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 I prefer that new battle system over Automatas because it's like it's it's simpler and weightier. But like, and I, I really like that they added content from Grimoire Near into. Well, I was gonna um, say episode. I do also want to give that game credit, right? For before we knock it off, I want to give that game credit for the fact that if someone. Uh, new played that game i think they would struggle to tell where the added content was at least apart from the bit at the end right the 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 bit at the end the new ending that's different that's obviously added on but the stuff that's added in the game is integrated really well in a way that is rarely the case um so they have to be given credit for that it also has like the triple a square eating stream where like every single npc in that game is fully voiced now like everything is voiced in that game it's like fucking crazy I do want to say about Mass Effect real quick, since, yeah, we'll probably be knocking that off momentarily. Um, I To echo Alex, uh, sort of, BioWare did everything that they needed to do, and even some things that I, I really didn't expect them to do, to knock that out of the park for what it is. The DLC is integrated fairly well. Mass Effect 1 is upgraded in great ways without blistering the spirit of the original and um yeah i mean it's like if you pitched it to someone and you just said oh it's basically the original trilogy uh but prettier and a little bit better and plays better it doesn't sound that amazing on paper but it's definitely a great bang for your buck yeah i think if they'd included the multiplayer i would be fighting for it to win this category and again we might be talking about it for ongoing support if they add the multiplayer this year coming definitely um, definitely yeah but uh yeah i mean i think that it, it's just, it doesn't quite truck with, with the other two. At the very least, the Mass Effect Legendary Editions, like, the real thing it did was, like, at least get fans, like, you know, excited about the Mass Effect IP again. Okay, we, we've lost a lot of goodwill throughout the years, especially with Andromeda. Like, at least this came out, and it released, like, in a fairly, you know, in a satisfying way, and they, they worked and improved upon that. It's, like, it's still a pretty, like, damn good release. They didn't, like, any, like, majorly fuck it up in any big ways. Yep. So I guess between we haven't talked about Saga Frontier remastered since and first bringing it up on the list, but it sounded like that both Chow and James it's not James Chow and Josh and Adam and James like we've all thought really highly of that. So uh, and then Disco Elysium is a tough one because I played the original version of that game on PC and it was like my number two game of that year, 2019. I never played the final cut, but I'm, it's kind of like the same sort of thing where it's like, damn, what a great game. But I can't really speak to the final cut. We kind of laid down like exactly what the final cut added besides like, you know, obviously the voice acting is transformative, as Alex said, like I hear they did a really damn good job. I've, you know, w- watched dreams of it because like, I, I only played the original version like you. I never got around to the final cut versions. I did that. I felt I think they also added like some new quests in it as well, I think. Yes, basically. um for the different like uh, political ideals that you're you can subscribe to, they added in quests that kind of aligned with them. Are, do they like? Is it like a big game changer? Those quests? 
Um, they're completely optional. They do not impact the main story at all, but they are like a, a, a pretty funny, like, uh, side activity. They're, they're chunky it's quests, but they're it's a good combination. I think of, of what's the word I'm looking for. It's a good combination of meaningful new content in terms of the voice acting and these quests, you know, there are only four of them, but like James says, they, they, they're good. They're good and chunky. Um, and they do have some story repercussions later on. There's new areas and things like that. Um, but it's all light touch because they know they don't want to upset the cart, right, of the main game. But then also, um, you know, 4K 60 FPS is, is possible in that game, including on um, on some consoles. Um, they did a streamer mode, which gets rid of licensed music. And of course, don't forget, I think the other thing, which I think is, it is significant in this category, in its way, is that it was free if you owned the original. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they added all this stuff and didn't even charge for it. And they added all this stuff, especially with the voice acting, you know. Um, and that it's, it's weird because I have to play on. this. I have to play this just in my head, in mind space, but... Even I played it without voice acting, and this was the sort of game where you're just reading the dialogue and laughing out loud, or like really like gripped by it, just because it was written so well, and just imagining all of that voice acted, which as, as everyone has, you know, piled all the accolades on. It's uh, I basically what I'm getting at is I should probably uh, consider replaying this with the voice acting. Yeah. I still think I would go with Saga Frontier just because you don't take a 20 year old game and then just finish it that's like unheard of and the fact that happened is that is true that yeah should be lauded but yeah I, 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 I will say though that the voice acting in disco elysium is really impressive especially considering that all of like the um voices in the head have their own unique voice so there is a ton of voice dialogue in that game and it is kind of insane so I'm going to go ahead and unless anyone is going to dig their heels in, Near Replicant obviously is a great remaster, but it kind of falls in a, a diet version of the Final Fantasy Pixel remaster thing where it's not definitive in terms of it only gives us the replicant version of the story uh, and not, you know, some of us are nostalgic for the Gestalt version and that kind of holds it back. But obviously, we're at this point we're nitp- nitpicking like winners and effect and effective runner ups. So like Mass Effect, Near Replicant, and uh, these are worthy of winning, but just falling a tiny bit short. It seems like. So we are between Saga Frontier Remastered, basically finishing and adding, fitting new content to a two decade old game, and Disco in the final cut, basically taking an amazing game and adding quality content to that like realizing that the potential still hadn't been reached so that that is what we're between right now uh i think that seems appropriate based on where the how the discussion has been held out maybe 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 we don't overthink it maybe we come down to a tally i am going to throw my hat in for uh saga frontier remastered I'll, I'll do the yeah. same, just because, yep. you know, I finally get to experience this content that I hear all these years about, so. It's one of those things, right, that, like, it, it added, like, big quality of life features that, like, makes a really rough first release now, like, a completely, like, uh, a fully realized release on top of, like, the, just the new content. It, it adds so much, like, the base game in terms of, like, 
enhancing like the like even small things like adding adding those little arrow markers to the environment so you know what you can interact with to go where next mm-hmm. which didn't have that original original release which like, is huge I, right because i mean like the way that the art is it's it's beautiful art but there are definitely some times at least when i was you know when i was younger and i played the original and i was like wait a minute is this a real door is this yeah. a real door is this a real door and and now i know the answer <laughs> you know <laughs> uh, yeah I'm, I'm i'm throwing my hat in uh for saga frontier as well all right last last gasp last chance for people to say that they're in disco elysium think, the final cuts i corner. think it's yeah, already I, I love disco elysium but i'm perfectly happy for this to go to saga frontier I think all righty did, did we mention how saga frontier now now lets you bleed from battles no, yeah, no, we didn't. Like Claudia, <laughs> and, and don't forget we got three times at uh, battle speed uh. All I right. Feel like if it was any other year, Disco Elysium would have been a winner. It's just Saga Frontier Remastered to me is like kind of the epitome of what this category is all about. No, I, I agree, especially going over like exactly where that game came from and where they brought it to. It's just the, the, the amount of ground that they covered re-releasing that compared to Disco Elysium. But Again, all worthy winners, especially those last three or four titles uh, in consideration there. So the best remaster or re-release, a fairly new category for our deliberations for 2021 is Saga Frontier Remastered. Okay, now the the, the thing I'm really excited for now is if we somehow revisit this category and they come out with like a remastered Unlimited Saga and somehow makes that list somehow. (laughs) Ooh, I'm excited. They've done it once. You turn garbage into treasure. You tell me. You never know. (laughs) Never know. All right. Our next category is basically a category award for best writing or storytelling. And we keep this kind of vague. This can be narrative. This can be themes. This can be characters. Anything we feel strongly about in regards to a game's writing. The category nominations here are Ender Lily's Quietus of the Nights. Neo, The World Ends With You, Tales of Arise, Scarlet Nexus, Fantasian, Pathfinder, Wrath of the Righteous, Lost Judgment, and Atelier Rise of Two, Lost Legends, and The Secret Fairy. So I immediately look at this and I see some that I'm like, I know these are based on nominations from the staff, but I've seen some of these and I'm like, why is this here? So I don't know. That's kind of a negative way to look at it. But uh, oh, yeah, like which one? Uh, now hmm. that you have said that, you have to say, well, I can already tell by the way, like the tone of his voice when he was reading Rise of Two. I'm just going to say it right now. No, I, was no, the one no. put it on, I was the one that put it on the list. I have a reason for it. No, Rise of Two, I actually don't have an opinion on because that's one of the ones I haven't played. And as, oh. as if it hasn't been obvious so far, obviously not everyone here can play every game listed because that would be impossible and RPGs are meaty experiences as is. So a lot of this is basically substantiating our case as best as we can for those that have played a particular set of games on the total list and then obviously being flexible to be receptive to other people's you know declarations of games that they have played the game that i looked at and i kind of not not grimaced at but like tales of arise i'm kind of like i like what it did I enjoyed parts of that game in terms of how it plays and how it looks and being like really like a comfort food JRPG. But I thought it's the story, go. yeah, it's at the end there, it gets. Hold on. Let the person what? who nominated it make their oh, case okay. for Tales of Arise. I, I, I didn't vote for it, but someone has to have here, right? 
Um, I'll take the blame for that. Uh, all right. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Quentin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'll make I'll make a little bit of a case. I I agree. It's it's probably not actually going to be the one that I would have necessarily chosen for this category. Ultimately, even if the mood were you know different, um, what I appreciate the most about it. Like the overarching story is, you know, it is what it is. It has its moments. Um, I just find that some of the character interactions in particular uh, struck a chord with me that I really didn't expect going into it. Like without getting into spoilers, you know, I looked at things on the surface going into the game and I'm like, all right, I know who this Alfin person's going to end up being. I know who this Xion person's going to end up you, being. Before you finish, we should probably put, make a note. This is the category where this is a big spoiler warning. That like if anyone doesn't want to know anything about these games, like maybe duck out now or fast forward because writing yeah, storytelling we'll... should be should be a category where we shouldn't be like limited by like spoilers. Oh, okay. Should, yeah. yeah. So we yeah, we, okay. we, we, we will we will timestamp the next category for you if you want to skip the writing and storytelling section of any of the games that I listed because uh, spoilers should be on the table if we're going to discuss these. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to yeah, talk okay. about a game story if we can't even talk about it. Definitely. Yeah. Well, in that case, I'll just say. Um, yeah. The Alfin and Xion's arc together collectively, mm-hmm. it went exactly where I think a lot of people would think it does, which is like, oh, this is going to be a romance. This is going to be bog standard. But some of the performances in particular from the voice actors, the way that they sold it and the way that Xion's um, vulnerability blends so well in my opinion with her inherent strengths and that's sort of like back and forth with her and it really puts Alfin in some situations that I don't see in RPGs very often which I appreciate which is like is he the hero of the story sure but there are times when he's like the more supportive like backbone to Xion in a way that you usually see the the genderization roles reversed and i thought that was very interesting it, in a lot of ways it's her story and there are scenes where it's just like i would have expected it to be the exact opposite so i think by the end of the game i was just very pleased with them in particular and that's what sticks out to me about it i, I agree with you there i think that's like probably the 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 the, the characters of tales of rise like i didn't care much about any of them besides the alpha and she on relationship by the end and i think it's really rare especially in japanese rpgs where you have an ending where the two main characters get married and that's awesome you know because it's mm-hmm. totally well earned like you saw yeah, that yeah. what about final fantasy 15 <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm sorry guys but four defeats this category when it comes to couples getting married all right so the reason why i i, I feel like i feel almost like rude to like all right that's that's nice quentin but uh <laughs> So there there was there was one specific spot of this game where like it had lost me. It's one of the later fights between Alfin and Vorlan where it ended up like pulling out all of the JRPG tropes that I just don't like where it's like you just never trusted anyone. You never had any friends. That's why you're so bitter. <laughs> stuff like that. I was just like rolling my eyes and I'm just like the thing, the yeah, thing that yeah. broke me in the story where I just like completely it lost me was at the at the first encounter with like the fourth lord and like um, yep, law, t- yep. law taking the shot when Rinvel was like try- trying to fire at her and like law what the fuck are you doing? It's like I, I can't let you do that Rinvel, you don't want to kill someone. It's you don't want to. It's do such that. a classic bad trope. It's like almost never done well, and Arise definitely flunks it. Just the whole like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I need to preserve you from killing something. Also, at like eleven o'clock, we have to go kill a bunch of people, but that doesn't count. It also <laughs> Rinwell's whole little like story 
arc here like it kind of comes out of nowhere and then disappears just as fast it's just yeah like i'm really sad where they put rinveld by the end because she's like she became the character like oh i hear the voices in my head we have to go there next because the mana i'm like come on come on hey jess i remember (laughs) when we were uh on the podcast earlier you had you were playing tales of arise did you end up finishing it um, I did not finish it, but oh. that's okay. <laughs> where, 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 did you, where, where did you fall off? Like, where, where, where did you stop? I, I'm curious. Oh, no, I was just really busy. Like, uh-huh. um, like I was playing other stuff for work, basically. Uh-huh. So, like, I I finished it. I did Scarlet Nexus and Neo, but I didn't get to Tales of Arise. Did you have any lasting impressions from what you did play of Tales of Arise? Oh, I mean, I thought it was really pretty. I put it down for art. Oh, no, I I, compl- I believe it belongs there more than it belongs here. Uh, but anyways, you brought it up, so let's let's go through it. Uh, Scarlet Nexus was also on the list. Uh, okay, what were your thoughts on actually, that? It's actually one of the ones that I would put down for story. Like, there are some parts where I was like, mm, okay, I am okay with this because I'm used to anime. But <laughs> um, I think it was really unique how they went through the two different routes and how it, each one felt uniquely um, for Yuito and Kasane. Um, I feel like, you know, after you make it through one, it's kind of, you already know what's going to happen in the other one, but it's still, um, it's still appealed to me as like learning about each character and their own, uh, how they, I guess like how they each came to be comfortable with that version of themselves kind of feeling. I really do think they did a really good job having the two protagonists be incredibly different, like dispositions. Like Kasane is a very unique uh character in terms of what sort of protagonist she is the like she's very contemplative she has a very like distinct manner of thinking that you don't see in a lot of protagonists where yuito is maybe a little bit more generic he's fine he's he plays that archetype well but i when i played through kasane's i played uh, her route first i actually really like appreciated the sort of perspective that that game had uh just because it was kind of different and not what you know not what i anticipated it would be going in yeah, yeah. The, the game really like t- touches like, on a lot of dark topics, uh, especially you know, especially with uh, Yuito's friend uh, going the way he did with like kind of the brainwashing. It's like, oh, that's. I don't I, think I, this. My, my, I don't think this game should get the storytelling. Nom. I, I, I don't think. I don't think. I don't think this wins because I think that that story. Like, I, I will put it in Jess's words. It's like I was okay with it because I'm used to anime stories, but it gets. So so in like insane yeah. from the roof like um, really, as for the flaws there's like i guess the one where i was kind of like mm, yeah okay if you're going like basically lots of it just um kind of leans on the fact that yuito is the typical anime protagonist <laughs> yeah and there, there's i a think lot the of game this... is incompetently plotted like i remember we were, we were talk, when we were talking about this game it's like it felt like they added it had like three seasons of anime story and they made it all into one game it feels like by like the second act it's like okay i'm like at season two of this anime and it's like i don't know how the fuck i got here and then by, <laughs> and then, and then, yeah. by the, and then by the end you're like man i like the, the the grand hope that i want out of this game now is like if they make a sequel i just want like kasane to go to the moon and see if the moon is haunted or not oh um <laughs> and then one more thing the bond episodes like I, the overall arcs i appreciated but some of the um the first half of a lot of them, I thought they were kind of cringy. <laughs> and there, there, there's some stuff with like uh, Kagero and uh, what's the purple-haired uh, teacher? I don't remember her name. But uh, their, 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 their like character moments ended up being like 
coming in coming in really late and like that's almost like that season two anime thing like by the way here's another twist just throwing this on here with this character and then we're then we're going to drop it because that plot point is passed yeah, also, uh, it's also like you, you remember you went to that snowy area to that church thing and then they had like the exposition ped- pedestals of like oh this is really what's going on humans oh, yeah, from the moon yeah. it's like oh okay Ayame. That, that was one i forgot yeah, no, it's like I, I really do, do not like when uh, games like have like expedition pedestals of like here's the backstory you need to know conveniently laid here. Thank you, I guess. Uh, here's I know the game we've already that, uh... criticized this a bit, but I just want to say one thing about Scarlet Nexus that the reason why I don't think it should win. I know we've already crossed it off. Like the first half of Yuito's route, he's just getting jerked around, and like you had like it's basically just a bunch of what's going on, what's happening dragged out over like 10 chapters. Like you have no idea what's going on or what's happening. And then all of a sudden, when you get to those exposition pedestals, it's it like drops literally three plot twists on you back to back to back. And it's just <laughs> like, why <laughs> it drops the alien, the, the we're from the moon. Um, and it drops the, the asteroid uh, belt, like, like the revelation, yeah. oh, like yeah, where yeah. the, where the, where the others are from. Mm-hmm. And all that, it's just, and also like the, uh, whatever they called, I forget what they called them, but like whatever uh, Kasane is. Um, oh, and is all that, like actually kind of, robots or something? <laughs> yeah, and it just dropped all at once. And also in terms of like the dual protagonist thing, I remember when I first, when I, when the game came out, I actually made the recommendation to people to play Kasane's route first because I felt Yuito's route, like I just said, just kind of like, is incompetently plotted. But people actually pointed out to me that like once you play Kasane's route, there's almost no reason to play Yuito's because like you have the full story. And then Yuito, like Yuito's route on its own doesn't really add a whole lot. Like on its own. That was the, that was the, that was, you know, someone who played that second was like it was really hard to go through as a second route. Uh, so okay. <laughs> I did um, play Yuito's first and I was able to uh, uniquely appreciate Kasane's. Because of the yeah, it, it, it's, it seemed like it seemed like the general takeaway was if you are going to play both routes and you are committed to that, play Yuito's first. But if you're only going to play one and only one, play Kasane's first because Yuito doesn't add much on his own. Or if you don't like video games, there's a, a, an anime for it, like a 25 <laughs> yeah. episode anime series. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. Is the anime any good? I have no idea. Um, I, I stopped watching after like. Uh, personally, I think it's like the shortened version of the game, so I feel like. It's not as good, but it's faster. Having seen it as well, um, I think, ironically, um, well, maybe not ironically, the biggest problem with it is that, wait for it, it feels like three seasons of anime <laughs> to be stuffed into one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like uh, an even more condensed version of the game, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty sick. I will just say, though, one last thought on Scarlet Nexus is that I appreciated it more the further I got into it. So if if you haven't played it, this is a weird to put like a buyer's guide thing on here. But like the the further I got in, the more I appreciated it. I don't think it wins. I mean, I know it doesn't win, but I I, I grew to like it more as I yeah. approached the ending. Like it was, it was stupid, but I was like, I'm hooked because it's so yeah. stupid. <laughs> I. Here's a game that I nominated here, but I'm going to talk to it and then probably take it off. And that's uh, Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. Uh, and the reason why I put this here is just because the sheer amount of story in this game. And I know quality and quantity are not the same thing, but there's like 13 different main characters and then like 20 more 
like supporting cast here that are all like written and voice acted in certain ways and touching on a ton of different themes here. There's so many things to pick at for Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous that I felt like it deserved at least a shout out. And uh, it's a sort of game where it's like, if you don't like one particular character or one particular part of the story, there will almost certainly be another that you latch onto. Like, for instance, one of the ones that I thought was really compelling is that there's this character uh, named Arushale, who is a demon succubus, who is basically, you know, trying to ascend beyond her demonhood and be, you know, respected amongst her. Like, the crusaders that you're playing as in this game are trying to eradicate demonkind from this area of the world, and, you know, obviously they don't trust her. They think that everything that she's doing is being manipulative, because that's what succubuses do, or succubi do. And she's basically her whole her whole arc is basically trying to like uh, earn that respect and also realize that she is tr- trying to push back against her instincts and things like that. And there's one point, there's one moment of the game that I thought really like my probably one of my favorite quests in the game is where she she wants to get your the player's help with a particular like task that she wants done, a particular like part of her past that she wants solved. And she lies to you. And basically she says like, I found that this would be easier deceiving people I've been doing all my life, asking for a favor. That's something I can't understand. And then there's, there's other characters that have similarly compelling marks that I just thought there's, there's enough here that I felt like it it was worth a shout. Uh, I have also played that and really, yeah, I I concur with basically everything you said there. And, and there's 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 other characters that are obviously like liars or other characters that are very holy and you know noble and there's it's a very character driven game i feel like and unfortunately the main story is a little bit boilerplate um it it the the revelations made at the end so basically this is this is something that i think adam has kind of disliked on previous games you spend like 80 90 hours of this game wondering what the motivation of the antagonist is who is a demon named arilu vorlesh and it's basically like what why did she open up this wound to the world and let demon kind through like what is what is her motivation what is her goal and her whole goal was that she was trying to revive her dead infant son which it's done pretty well it just felt like it kind of was whelming where it's like oh that's that's what it was you know that's tragic but it just it yeah. wasn't worth 90 hours of suspense and basically the, her whole thing was like it's not enough just to revive my infant son i want to change the paradigm of life and death in general sort of thing and i was kind of like yeah, yeah any it's... any narrative any narrative that puts that much weight on like an eventually revealed mystery it's putting a lot of weight like on the reveal so you might spend like 90% of the game like with this intriguing mystery but if the final answer isn't satisfying you kind of just like the whole thing is just <laughs> yeah so. so pathfinder great game especially if you love reading there's a ton of reading and a ton of like actual like prose to to go through in that game uh just doesn't win for storytelling but i wanted to give it it's uh it's five minutes fantasian is another game that i think is excellent and i will probably be pushing for it in other areas but i don't it's not when i when i think of my positive reception to fantasian it's not the writing or storytelling that's i don't know if anyone else here who's played that feels similarly I agree too that yeah, uh, I, like there, there's really cool like twists that come with it, but I don't think like the overall story is all that interesting. I'll be honest, the main reason I put it there is because of one specific scene where uh, basically no, I forgot the main character's name Leo. Leo, where basically he's uh, 
looking over like his childhood like toys and memories and whatnot and you have like a kind of back to back to back uh thousand years of dream type sequences i forget what they're called in here i guess memories and it, it just stood out to me and like that specific section i feel like if anything in that game story stood out and i figured it was worth at least being nominated for that no and i i bet you not like now that you say it I do want to give a shout out to that thing you just mentioned in passing. So Fantasian is developed by Mistwalker, who also developed Lost Odyssey, which one of the best parts about that game was the Thousand Years of Dreams, like pro sequences. Fantasian does something sort of similar with its memories. It doesn't land quite as well, but it's still really nice. There's a really bittersweet one when you are learning about Zinnikir's past with with his sister. And uh, basically they she ends up dying protecting her friends and then they they resurrect her successfully and it's kind of like this bittersweet thing where she's back and then they realize that her soul is like missing and she no longer feels any empathy or any sort of like a uh, any sort of connection to the family that she once had and there's like there's a bunch of like cg art there and the and the and the moving dialogue uh, text boxes and it's like it was the closest i thought the game got to like emulating that style of, of storytelling but yeah the, the, like, go ahead i'd say that fantasian story definitely has its moments uh, mm-hmm. it's not the deepest story but i feel like when it does try to have that emotional connection it lands more often than not at, at least for me at least for me. So we've taken off four of the eight. We've got four more. Uh, let's go into uh, Rise of Two, since uh, James is talking. Uh, has anyone here besides James played Rise of Two? So I put this down for both writing, storytelling, and the later category, design immersion, because I'm not sure if what I'm talking about would fit in either the former or the latter category. Uh, the reason for that being is that one of the main features of Ryza 2, I'd say the main feature over Ryza 1 was the way that you, the dungeons were implemented in the story and how they're all ruins of lost civilizations and how you progress through each dungeons is that you use this thing called the star compass and then you kind of find like literal ghosts of the past that give you information about what happened in each of these ruins, the people that lived there, the things that they did, like parts of their culture and then you literally have to piece things together to find out more and more about those ancient cultures and how what the purpose of those ruins were and to p- kind of piece things together. And I thought it really stood out to me is they found a way <laughs> to make the uh, budgetary reasons of why they reuse certain like buildings and different like ruins in each of the dungeons. It, and they basically use the explanation that well obviously these cultures mingled and so when you see the same structures in different dungeons that's actually a cue to say oh these different groups like had cross like they um had trade or they had people emigrate from one civilization to another and it's like it's such a unique way of melding the gameplay and the storytelling and I know not everyone that played this game really dug it, but for me, it's what even now has Rise of Two stand out as, spoiler alert, I'm going to really push for it in the top five. It's Hmm. just such a unique way of doing the story and world building, and it makes you actually feel like that you're an archaeologist and you're trying to figure out about the history of those ruins. 
and it's that's, yeah that's fascinating um i just want to chime in real quick uh i have a good friend i haven't played it but i do have a good friend who played it and she specifically pitched it to me almost identically to the way you just said it because i'm an anthropology major and she said you're an anthropology major and you like looking at how budget cuts affect video games <laughs> and you're gonna really enjoy this game it was made for you yeah so basically I look at this list and I feel like the one that's probably going to win is Neo The World Ends A Few. But for me, I feel like the types of stuff that Ryza 2 does with its storytelling is more interesting than pretty much anything else on this list. All right. So we'll keep Ryza 2 in consideration for now for that particular aspect. Uh, Here's one we haven't gone talked a game we haven't talked about yet, and that's uh, Ender Lily's Quietus of the Nights. So uh, I know that James Chow and Adam have played this. Uh, Adam, so Ender Lilies, I believe you ended up reviewing this for us and you thought really highly of it. Were you the one that nominated it here? Yeah. So this is basically, I put it here more as like a personal taste thing. If I was just voting for myself, this is my favorite narrative, but I know it is heavily like aligned with just like me rather than something I can easily like recommend is like oh everyone else is going to love this um basically in terms of its story ender lilies is a theater of tragedy basically there are a couple reasons why i like this in terms of how it is told first of all most of the story is told through either vignettes or through like almost dark souls ish through like lore pieces bits and pieces like journals and notebooks you pick up or like item descriptions and the other reason I like the story is it's not told like front to back. Like um, it's something you sort of piece together yourself. So what the story is, is basically you, you know, Cliff Notes version, you are a young priestess named Lily and you wake up in a ruined kingdom. And kind of what I was saying earlier, the mystery that you have to solve is who am I and what is this kingdom and what happened to it? And I was actually kind of captivated pretty early on by like the you you meet like a um they're they're either like a nun or a guardian to a nun um, of a church who's been transformed into like this malformed grotesque monster and when you beat them you kind of learn about their story um part of it there about basically the tragedy that they that befell them personally as this as a blight came through this kingdom and that's not the end of it as you kind of continue through the game you meet more of the characters that fell in this kingdom. You meet more of the, uh, you see more of like the journal entries and item descriptions that kind of just explain bits and pieces what happened. And um, the writing in the game, I think is kind of poetic in ways. It's kind of colorful. It's um, it is tragic. It is a little bit sour, but um, it's kind of got a tone to it that really clicked for me. And then I was actually, like I was saying earlier about mysteries, I was sort of satisfied in the end in terms of the answer about um, like what, what happened to the kingdom. It doesn't give like a full like front to back like exposition. Here's what happened first. Here's what happened second. Here's what happened third. It does leave a little bit up to interpretation in terms of um, the timeline, if you will. But I actually sort of appreciate that. And so in the end, like in terms of how the story is told and the writing and the tone to it, this is my favorite, but it kind of has to be like, you kind of have to have a taste for that vignette style, that theater of tragedy um, style to it. Um, 
So it's my personal favorite, which is why I put it here. But nope, you, it's uh, hard to recommend. <laughs> it, it's this. I I really enjoy kind of like bittersweet stories and, in terms like that, and also like epistolary. I don't know if that's if that's quite the right word, but stories that are told like through little peepholes instead of just being exposition dumped from a character from a from a lore pedestal in a church or something. Uh, so but, one one small other thing is that like a lot of the story isn't necessarily about like a plot. It's more like you meet a boss who was the guardian of a village and you kind of hear a little story about like, what was he doing when the blight came and you learn more about him. He was just a regular old person who met up, who befell his fate. And then there's like a story between two lovers that you encounter who also were basically separated by this fate. You, you learn about an ancient, an ancient race. I forget what they're called. Um, they might just be called the ancients of, of how they kind of, immigrated to this land or their land was taken over um and then there's a story about like a a scientist who is trying to revive their wife and so there's a lot of like these little like vignettes about like ordinary people like in this situation and what did they do and what happened to them and it does remind me of like valkyrie profile in a bit in that way where it's, it's kind of like these tragic stories um so that's basically why I put it here. It's just kind of a personal taste thing. It's my favorite. All right. Two yeah, more. I, I enjoyed the story. I don't think it landed with me quite as much. I, I'm just going to outright say it. I feel like a lot of uh, what Ender Lilies pulls from is very clearly Dark Souls inspired storytelling. Like the whole like, oh, a blight overcame the kingdom and like things like spiraled out of the control. Like here's like bits and bobs about, oh, what? what happened to the different people? Like how did it all come together? I feel like since I had played all the dark souls prior to that, it's like, it didn't feel maybe as novel as it did for you. Cause you haven't played the dark souls games yet. Haven't you? Nope. I don't know. It, it's, it's not a bad story. It is a good story. And I do kind of like how, like, as you like, it doesn't outright say it, but you put bits and pieces together and it's like, oh, there wasn't really any one bad, one bad guy. It's just like a series of unfortunate, like circumstances. And it's like, oh, well. Uh, here's a game that is kind of a very different take on storytelling as far as uh, I'm aware, but I've not experienced it myself. And that is Lost Judgment. So I've played other games from RGD Studios, but not the Judgment games. Uh Josh, were you the one that nominated this one? Yeah, yeah, I, I put the, this up on here. I think it is well, one of my favorite stories, if not my favorite story this year, uh, in the way it was told and like the the, the things that it uh, tackled. So, Lost Judgment, uh, it's its own its own story story arc. It doesn't rely on really much of the first Judgment game. Uh, it, it the entire game revolves around how current societal structures don't do not always serve the needs of everyone. Good innocent people will always fall by the wayside as gaps in the law are exploited. That's the main thrust of the game. And there are heavy themes around bullying, how there isn't a right or correct answer that serves as an elixir for it. And this is also like like a really, really heavy like concept that's explored very thoroughly. Um that like bullying comes in all forms. It's not just physical, it comes in emotional, it comes in psychological forms. And not only the main story, but like the game's side quests like serve that theme and show examples of it. Um and and the and the really, really compelling part about how this all manifests uh, comes in two different ideologies uh, between Yagami and a new character named Jin Koana. 
that they have the where Yagami admits there's always faults with the law at any given time, but he believes that it will continue to change, improve, and evolve over time. While Kawana, so it's basically del- delivering a fair sense of justice. While Kawana has taken matters into his own hands and believes that people shouldn't have to wait for that change if he can do something about it. And now, albeit if it's outside of the scope of the law, so he's more conservative delivering his own justice in his own ways to help better serve the needs of the people who are being affected in that moment. And I, I really appreciate that before this all unfolds, like, unlike, you know, well, RGG Studio games, like, someone have a slow start. Um, this one really has a slower start to most because it goes out of its way to, like, restrain itself before letting you go do side cases and all the other stuff that people like to do in the RGG Studio open-world games of, like, it, it, it establishes, like, this bullying case at, like, a school that you uh, eventually come to work for as an advisor and really tries to, like, nail home that, like, hey, this is a really serious uh, personal emotional story about, like, how a very real problem is affecting people in different ways and how, you know, like, trying to bring bullies up to up to light isn't just a matter of, like, hey, point, point them out and, like, give them the attention. That doesn't really, you know, solve the problems. Like, how do you find, like, uh, like it's not, not always going to be an elegant solution, but a solution, a sustainable solution to uh, an ongoing bullying case. And it's just, it's one of those stories that, has, that d- deals with, like, so many different elements, but wraps them up in a really, really compelling way. Like at the like the very start, at the very start, you're already dealing with a case for this dude named Akihiro Ehara, who is going into court because he molested a girl on a, on a train and was caught on camera, and like it was very clearly out into public and you know shared in social media and everything. But then it also comes to light that a uh, a uh, uh, a different case at a a different prefecture, they find this body, uh, a decaying corpse, and it's later revealed through the game that he was the killer as well. But he was already convicted earlier for this molestation case. So it like how can this uh, dude be at two places at once? And like the timeline doesn't make sense for you know for him to be there and yet do this. Like the 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 length in time to get to both of those just doesn't make sense. So that the, there's a whole mystery around that. And it really deals with like, like I mentioned, other societal structures and like the flaws in them. Because if they like, you come to learn that Ahara well, uh, murdered that decaying corpse, and that decaying corpse belonged to like a bully of his son that committed suicide because of that bully, along with other bullies, uh, you know, who aided him. But he was like the primary one, and he and so like he wanted to make a mockery of the law by basically, hey, I'm already convicted for this molestation case. You can't pin it on me. You can't pass a verdict on me that I did the murder on that because you have, like, you know, you, you may have, who can say that you have evidence? You know, that uh, video could be doctored. Uh, who knows, you know? Like, you can't take back your verdict because, like, well, you've already pinned it on me. It's like kind of losing flaws in that Japanese legal system because now that, like, uh, the court is now, like, in a catch-22 situation where, like, we can't take back that verdict on the molestation case. Without admitting because, that they're wrong. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Without admitting that you're wrong. And also, like, how are we going to deal with this? Because now we're like, we have a potential killer on the loose, but we can't let that now on the, let the, uh, the public know that because it would make a mockery of our system, of our process. So it's balancing a lot of different, like, down to earth elements in such an, a very elegant story that, like, a lot of the motivations 
each of the characters like make a lot of sense and like how just the messy situation of how society like societal laws just kind of can fuck good innocent people up and make them do extreme things because the law isn't helping them oh go ahead quentin Oh, I just want to echo a lot of, of what uh, was just said. Um, I've played Lost Judgment as well, and it blew me away for, for all of those reasons. And um, just real quick, I, I happened to be scrolling at like Metacritic's reviews for this uh, while that whole you know uh, thing was just stated. And I noticed um, <laughs> the very first sentence on the blurb. Uh, for RPG Sites review from Josh is, if there was a category for most improved sequel this year, I strongly believe Lost Judgment might be in the running for winning it. And while, of course, there isn't, um, I just I thought that was very funny because we're doing the Game of the Year deliberations and um, the very first sentence that he has is a pitch for, for winning something here <laughs> today. Huh. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it was such an impressive game that really, really blew me away. I was impressed at how like it still has like that like the, the sort of weird like final stretch game that rg studio games do have but like I, it felt it was done way better here than like most the last game that we have on the list here is neo the world ends with you um and i believe maybe adam might have nominated this one because i do know that he had a very particular uh, admiration for one thing that this game did well with the way that it handles dialogue. I'm assuming that that's what he uh, uh, put I, here. But... I want to quickly, I want to quickly, just before Adam gets into that, I want to say about this game, I think the localization is really good. Yep. Um, that's yeah. that's think, why, I, that's actually the reason why I put it here. It, like, it's, it's well written anyway, and I think it's because it's, it's Square Enix developers writing what they know, and oftentimes that is when they're at their best. Um, but also, yeah, like I know it came in for a lot of for a lot of stick, but the way they chose to use Western colloquialisms and stuff um, in the localization is excellent. I said this in an earlier podcast. Now, this game, the characters are a little bit over the top, and like a lot of them have their own catchphrases and things like that. Um, that like a real human being you met on you know in person probably wouldn't be that gimmicky. So there's a little bit of that, but. Um, the localization, I think, does a really good job in that context of having each character sound very unique from each other. Like, Rindo talks differently from Fred, uh, who talks differently from Nagi. Nagi is very, like, almost like Arthurian in terms of how she speaks and very, like, kind of wordiness to her language. And then you have, you have uh, we're, we're full spoilers, right? You have characters like Beat, who obviously has his own, like, uh, you know his 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 speech is probably the most gimmicky of all of them, but he speaks differently um, than you know Sho Mina Mimoto and all that. So I I think I said in an earlier podcast it's it's written in such a way that like if you got rid of the character portraits, if you got rid of like the the character name and and it just totally blanked who was speaking, like the game like hid that from you, you could still tell who was speaking based on what they're saying. Um, obviously some of the maybe catchphrases might make it easier, but there's just each character is such a unique way of speaking that it feels very holistic to them. And so like, it's very obvious they put a lot of care into like the character voice element of the localization. And I think it was really well done. So now we have to knock one of these four games that we just heard defended off. We have to, we have to pick between Ender Lilies, Neo, the world's ends with you 
Lost Judgment, and then Rise of Two. Adam, do you think any of the like over the topness or maybe uh, those quirkiness to Neo, do you think that pulls it down or do you think that takes it out of the running? Neo has a moment at the end of the game that lands a little bit awkwardly for me. Um, It's like one of those sort of shonen anime JRPG sort of things where like he basically saves the world like for the most part, like millions of people are saved or I guess it's only Shibuya that's in, in jeopardy, but you know, the whole city is saved except for like his five friends. And he basically has to make a decision. Do I live with this as it is like the world is safe, but I'm alone now because my friends are gone. Or do I like risk everything again? It's going to be harder this time. I have no plan in place to like do it again. Like he has time travel, whatever. Like, do, do I do it again? It's more difficult. I have no plan risk the lives of millions of people to save my five friends. Like for an anime thing, it's like, of course you do that. But it's just like, as a writing thing, it's like, eh, eh, eh. <laughs> it was just didn't land. It didn't land that like perfectly yeah. for me. So. I mean, I guess, it, I mean, I was fine with the story. It's just like, I guess thinking about its inspiration, you know, from the original world ends with you. It's a lot more grandiose. Yeah. I think the original World Ends With You is also more like thematically consistent. Like the original World Ends With You has this whole theme, which is basically the World Ends With You is the theme. The second game, I feel like it has this sort of theme that kind of comes into play late, where it's like, it, at least ostensibly, it argues that like Rindo doesn't make his own decisions and he is basically relying on other people to like make like decisions for himself for him. And I just don't know if that like came through as well. If it was, it was. It's not as integral to the whole game as like the original. Well, no, I think. You. I think the whole point with Rindo is that his character is. It's it's less so. Oh, he's just making other people do his choices for him. That's one half of the equation. The other half is is that he tries to sit on a high horse and judge people for like being impulsive when he himself isn't even trying to make decisions and that kind of makes him a bit of a shitty person. Yeah, I get that. I get that. But still, I feel like that doesn't like, it's not like seeming, it's not like incorporated into the game as well right. as like, the yeah, thematic. I agree with it. I, not being as with Neku and the battle system in the original. I, mean, I, I guess it's like, uh, we're comparing it, to the old one, so I guess maybe that's not fair. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, yeah, I guess that's why it's missing I, something for me. I just want to say that I know a lot of people that really resonated with Rindo's character arc even more than Neku's. So I, I, I want to say that it landed for the people it was it was going for, and I think essentially with something like Neo, the world ends a few you're, you can't just do the same character archetype twice you can't just have the same story twice so them going for a different type of teenage anxiety young adult anxiety i think that rindos is an interesting it's a more subtle character but i feel like it they did a really good job with it i just want to put a reminder here that i think at the end of the day these game of the year deliberations are all between us and the site we, like public opinion holds no ball yeah i i'm unlike these deliberations i'm the only reason i brought it up is that the type of story and the type of game that neo the world ends with you is it's very 
targeted at a specific audience. And I think it's worth considering how it plays off that audience. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, I think I can understand what you mean. Like personally, I don't relate to Rindo as much, but I could, I know people like him, you know? I do think, I do think Neo is still more thematically interesting than either Scarlet Nexus or Tales of Arise or whatever. That's well, we, we've already knocked oh, those out. Probably. Well, I've been aware it's fine yeah, I know. because like okay, out of the, out of the eight, that. out of the eight <laughs> games on this list, I have played four of them, and the four that have been knocked off are the ones that I've played. So apparently I do not have good taste when it comes to writing and storytelling. Uh, but uh, we will have to decide between these. Um, I will say, as an outsider, I thought that Josh made a really strong case for Lost Judgment. It sounds like Neo, to me, has more caveats than the other ones so far. Well... I would kick off Ender Lilies. Ender Lilies is my favorite, but we can kick it off. All right. I think, I, mean, it, I, think I think that's more specifically like this hole is made for me sort of thing. <laughs> Put it with lost judgment. And as, as always, when we get to like the last three oh. or four games in any of these categories, it's like great, 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 good. Pick a best. <laughs> what do we do? Like, you know, all of these were, you know, it's going to be it's going to be tough to decide between them. But if you were the one that made the case for Ender Lilies and you said you understand it coming off, uh, we will take it off. But it seems like a very particular type of storytelling that might resonate with you uh, if you really enjoy kind of the the more epistolary, uh, quiet sort of nonlinear storytelling. Oh, yeah. Um, since uh, Chow was not was away from keyboard uh, when we were talking about Rise of Two story, you did play Rise of Two, right, Chow? I did. I did. Uh, what did you think of the story? I thought it was great, but yeah. I feel it's more like setting things up for for a fair line if possible. Well, the thing I tried to kind of uh, champion is how they use the uh, star compass and the ruin exploration system to kind of have like an... I guess the best way to explain it is like an anthropological story. It's... it's I don't know. I, I, I don't want to go over it again, but... I just thought it was really fascinating how they used the um, the remnants of those societies and had to piece together like the cultures and what happened to them and the story of what happened through like the various different ruins and how it coalesced into one thing. I I, I think that Rise of Two is definitely worth a shout for that alone because it's very unique in the way that its story is told. It's a very Fast. Yeah, it's different, and I and I did lo- love the story itself too. I can't say anything about Lost Judgment because I haven't played it yet, and it does sound like it's a great story. I just feel like, for me, have going with something unique, like the way that Rise of Two handles that story for me carries a lot of weight. It just feels like it's a story that I've never seen. The way it's told, it's unlike anything else I've seen in. My my point, my counterpoint, which feels a little bit unfair having not played it, is that it seems like it's a really niche, particular part of the storytelling that compels you, almost one that you kind of said might belong in, in a design category, which is obviously adjacent to how it tells its story, but it just seems like it's a very particular, very small part of it, where a very, well, or not, not, not small, but very targeted part of it. Well, I... I've definitely seen a lot of people that said that they didn't think Rise of Two even really had much of a story. And 
part of the problem with the way that Rise of Two Story is told is that unless you go out of your way to try and do everything with the ruin exploration, you're not going to get as much out of the story. Because like you only have to piece together bits and pieces if you want to progress the game. But if you go all in or, and want to figure out everything that you can about each ruin, then things really piece together. And it's like, man, this is a really cool like painting that they've kind of given us here like once you consider all the different pieces and i don't know i i don't want to say that it's a fault of the game that you have to like um go all in if you want to to really be engaged by the story because that's part of what makes the story unique but i also can understand that that might disqualify it I don't know. It's just well, right, right now I'm kind of like everyone. Well, okay. Between the three that we have left, it seems like you're really uh, pushing for Atelier. I think Josh uh, made a really strong case for Lost Judgment. So to me, it feels like almost it's Neo. Two, I would say, yeah, Neo feels like it's again. It's one of those things where it's like I would vote for Neo. Oh, you would vote for Neo. All right. Okay. So this is good. This uh, might come back. This <laughs> might come down to Atelier again. Only I criticized I, the ending. But like, also, who cares about endings? <laughs> no, endings can ruin a game. I, I really feel love like the end of Watch Judgment, dude. Holy shit, the way that game ends! Oh my god! Oh my I, god! I, I, I feel like I'm a little bit of a poison well because the last two RGD Studios games I played were Yakuza's four and five, which I thought both were terrible. No, they're, stories. They're, 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 they're both terrible stories. Lost Judgment is so much better than them. I am <laughs> not I, fucking man. I, I I can't wait until I get to Lost Judgment because I am like... not fucking kidding you. The way that that game ends is fucking crazy. <laughs> Okay, so Atelier, Rise of Two, Lost Judgment, and Neo Worlds. We have a 1A, 1B, and 1C. All right. Uh, let's see. It, it, Alex is voting for Neo. He's let us know. Josh, it's uh, Lost Judgment. Neo. Yeah, I'm, I'm Lost Judgment all the way. And Jess, were you voting for Neo? Yes. James is voting for Ryza. Chow? Put my vote on Lost Judgment. So I haven't voted and Quentin hasn't voted. I I just feel like if you're just doing like the main story, it feels like a bare bone kind of experience, right? Like you have to like go in deeper to find the whole story, right? So I'll put a I'll put a second mark on Lost Judgment for Chow and Josh. So Quentin, do you have a vote here? Uh, yes, I do. Um I'll just say uh Neo's localization did blow me away, and I have nothing but good things to say about that. Rise of Two sounds like something that would be right up my alley, and I look forward to it. But uh, my vote is Lost Judgment. Just curious, did you play it, or were you just convinced by the argument for it? I, I, I think uh, you said both. Both. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've, I've, yeah, no, I've I've enjoyed it um, a great deal. I haven't actually finished it, but um, I, and that's just kind of like what. Like, with just said with tales of arise um you know just like work life got in the way uh but everything that i've touched of it is is fantastic and then in conjunction with with josh's pitch it's like yeah okay 
All right. So now I, I was kind of selfish and I withheld my vote, but now I have like the last vote and it could be deciding and I haven't played either of these, which feels unfair. I, I'll, I'll move mine from Ryza to Neo, but I feel terrible about that because I haven't played Lost Judgment. It's the one that I haven't played. Uh, and I, I think Josh I, made a really I, strong case for Lost Judgment. Like, Yeah, but I don't want to give it my vote if I haven't played it yet. <laughs> and it sucks. I understand. Yeah. I mean, you made a great pitch for for Ryza and it's like, ah, I need to play this. I think uh, I'm I'm going to put my vote for I'm going to put my vote for Lost Judgment just because it sounded like Neo is excellent, but just had like a tiny little little sliver of a caveat with certain things like then almost maybe not even worth registering. But just the way you said that the ending didn't land or some things seemed really kind of uh, over the top and overacted or maybe melodramatic or quirky. I don't know. Based on the two arguments made, I thought Lost Judgment was a better argument. So I put my vote there. So is it decided? Uh, I guess it is. It's always, it's always harder to tally vote, right? Because like there's so many factors. It's like, yeah, because we, if we, once we, if we, once we, we identify that Rise is not winning, do we reallocate those? At the end of the day, we're going to be like spelling out here's, here's what happened in chapter one of this game. It was really fucking good. Here's what chapter two is all about. It was really fucking good. <laughs> so, like, it's like, it's tough, you know, because there's, we have a lot of like strong feelings for these games and what happened in them. And uh, the I journey. knew Rise of Two wouldn't win. I, I thought it was going to lose to Neo, the world ends with you. I honestly. Colin's going to listen to this and be like, no, no. <laughs> well, that's but, the thing. Um, we're also uh, just, you know, being candid. We're influenced we, by the people who are able to be present today and make their argument. We, If we had yep. people like Paige and Cullen and Scott on, they might have easily swayed this one way or the other. We just don't know. But yeah. it could have been all in Tales of Arise. You'd never know. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Something tells me maybe not. <laughs> uh I was being generous, but it sounds like based on the arguments made <laughs> and based on uh, just how the discussion played out, it's lost judgment, just barely edging out Neo, the world ends with you. I didn't really, I, 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 I hold, I hold back so many like plot details on like the, the things that happened in that game, because I know some, some of you will want to get to it and finish it. Like the, like the, 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 the things that you learn about the characters in this game is like the jury, like, Oh my god! <laughs> like it's—I uh, don't want to ruin it. That's the thing. Josh, well, the, Josh, Josh, will the game make me feel good for beating up teenagers? Yes, absolutely. Yes, <laughs> yes, it will. That much <laughs> I can tell you. Hell yeah, Quentin. Yeah, Quentin's like, yep, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that an affirmative. It will. <laughs> Let me chime in on that one. Yes. <laughs> All right. It reminds I mean, me I, of the My Chemical Romance song, "Teenager Scared." Hell sure. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, very, very close. We could, we could, if we repeated this deliberation, we, it could have easily gone the other way. But lost judgment, eking out a win over Neo: The World Ends with You, just barely. This is more art than science, but that's what the art says. Speaking of art, we're going to go into our category for basically a very general category on best art for any game release this year and art is visual general visual presentation of any sort it can be the art style it can be the fidelity it can be anything related to that aspect of video games that we enjoy we talked about this kind of in passing and talking about a few of the games that are going to repeat on this list let's go through them uh we have in the category for best art chris tales 
Enderlilies, Quietus of the Nights, Fantasian, Scarlet Nexus, Unsighted, Nausea, Shin Megami Tensei 5, Super Robot Wars 30, and Tales of Arise. I also uh, just want to I also just want to uh, very 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 quickly um it not as a te- as a, even as a potential winner but just to shout out um I think the Yuffie chapter of Intergrade um is yeah really nicely done from an artistic perspective and I'm not talking about the upgrade but I'm talking about um it, the that was an opportunity in general. yeah that was an opportunity for them to dive into some areas um, of Midgar that, that that weren't in the original Final Fantasy VII, and they really sort of um, they take some good hard swings, um, especially the stuff uh, where they're you know down in the basement of uh, of Shinra Tower and sort of you know there's there is some precedent for some of that stuff of course because of um, dirge and stuff like that, but even so, um, I think they took some good some good att- some good t- attempts there, and so I think it deserves a mention. And even just like the Fort Condor mini game, I was I was so happy with what they did with that. Um, not just gameplay wise, oh, but yeah, the fact that those models, yeah. yeah, the fact that those really? models yeah. look like yeah, yeah the, the original episode models is such a lovely touch. That really yeah. made me happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good point. I think I am going to try to knock out two games right away. Uh, if, uh, and they're games that we brought up in passing in some of the previous categories, and that is Tales of Arise and Scarlet Nexus. So both of these games have a kind of a similar aesthetic, very, you know, cell shaded anime sort of look, but of a high quality that obviously, especially in the case of Tales of Arise, since they since that series took off several years uh, between Bazaria and that it was a huge jump up in its visual presentation, really felt like a modern game and very, very pretty. But also, I thought just not very unique, kind of like objectively good but maybe not as interesting i thought Uh, like the world didn't really sell itself as being like this really alien place it felt like it could have been picked up and plopped from any other like fantasy japanese rpg setting and scarlet nexus maybe did a little bit more with like the uh the the way that technology interfaces with the characters there and like the brain the brainwave stuff and like when the uh that aspect when you go into like that new viewport to like that hyperdrive mode whatever you call it is kind of interesting but still i think it was just very very safe objectively i have to be honest i think namco puts out like 20 games that look like this a year (laughs) anyone gonna fight back on either tales of arise or scarlet nexus uh, no i i agree especially with scarlet Scarlet nexus because like that's a brand new ip they could have done like they they did a lot but like try to like make it a cyberpunk setting but like in a in, in a way that's like it didn't really speak to me like uh, it was cool seeing it like the first time like the main city and like the way that like holographic like ads were like ca- kind of displayed and whatnot but it just it, it didn't really have much staying power as time went on one thing about yeah. scarlet nexus um like it has a few of like the fully modeled motion scenes that look really good like it's probably like one of the best anime looking like 3d models like in like a fully like directed scene but also, there's actually not that many of those, and most of, of the game, like eighty percent of it, is like these like comic panels, and yeah, it's like fine. But like, the, 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 there's so much of the game is like these comic panels that and it's just it's actually it, it honestly is a little feels a little cheap. Yeah, the thing that cracks me up about the comic panels is like you can like change the camera view around with like the right analog stick during them. Yep. 
It's like, okay. <laughs> but it does have a handful of like those fully like directed scenes that look really good. It, it, like, if, more really game, know, yeah. if more of the game, yeah, if there was it, more of those. It made me speaking a different tune, maybe. But yeah, the, like like the actual graphical engine that powers that game is like legitimately fantastic. And Tales of Arise, um, it does have a certain shading to it especially in the environment where it has a little bit more of like a painterly look in addition to the anime art style. So I think talking about like how unique of an art style is it, that's where it tries to set it set it itself apart anyways. Um, so like, I think it does a decent job where you can see a screenshot of Tales of Arise and it, you can tell it's Tales of Arise a little bit by how it is shaded, but it is not, it is still like an anime art style, obviously. Yeah, I think I th- I mean, the thing that, that, that like the thing that bothers me about Tales of Arise's art is like the facial animations just feel too mechanical in it for me. I, Tales like- of Arise is is interesting uh, in this regard to me because, um, yeah, I mean, I'll be one of the very first to just scream its praises in terms of how much prettier it is than past installments. Um, and I think just like wandering the world, there were a lot of moments where I was like, oh, this is very nice. But when I kind of like take a step back, I realize I'm walking around a lot and saying, oh, yeah, I'm definitely just in some Tales game or, you know, um, certain parts where like the sci-fi intermingles. And I just kind of feel like, yep, this is definitely a Star Ocean moment. And there are a few instances, if any, where it pops out to me as its own beast. You're just reminding me that we're going to be talking about, talking about a new Star Ocean next year. Uh, no. yeah that's the character models already disqualify that from best art uh, yeah look forward to that in 2022 yeah holy shit <laughs> yeah so, so tales yeah, of rise right. basically i think i think it seems like the takeaway is like thank goodness it looks good now instead of looking really really cheap but it just looks merely good and maybe not great yeah yeah that's where i'd stand with it yeah i think i think what arise did right is like it's finally got like tails right back on the right track after zisteria just fucking poisoned that well like it's they're they're starting to make you know moves to like better mothership title. Like I think they made yep. the right move with Basiria, but the good name was already like <laughs> it was related to Zisteria directly. So it's like, uh, yeah, it was already po- the well was already poisoned during that time. So looking at the other games we have on this list, we have a lot of indie games. Um, I guess let me talk about Chris Tales. I don't know if this one wins, but like. The art of Chris Tales is the reason why it kind of gained attention in the first place. I remember when it was shown at uh, uh, like the PC gaming show in 2019, I believe. And it's sort of like this mix between like anime aesthetics and also just like Western cartoon aesthetics that has this sort of um, like colorful. It's, it's got a very unique color palette. There's a lot of like purples and yellows um, and reds to it. And it's it's got like this 2D art that looks the best I can describe it is like a cartoon. Uh, it is not like super high budget. So there's a little bit of that, like marionetting in the animations and things like that. Um, and I don't know if it wins. Actually, I probably wouldn't <laughs> pick it over some of the other ones here, but I wanted to shout it out because it's like not many games look like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely, <laughs> and it, it, it looked, and it's like, I'm yeah, glad it's, it's lovely looking new and different. Using mm-hmm. kind of a similar argument to that, I would also knock out Ender Lilies because some of the rotoscoped animations for like bosses, and, yeah, it yeah. just doesn't look great. Yeah, I don't know if there's an official like term for that, but I, know, but, but I know that I know what you mean by marionetting, where the the artwork is drawn but then only manipulated through through like a set of joints. 
rather than being yeah, like or stretched. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. that it's you understand why they do that. And sometimes that can look fine, but sometimes it ends up looking budget. It just depends on how specifically it interacts with the art in the game itself. Um, and I, yeah, I, I nominated Ender Lilies for its for its color palette and also has some really good like environment art. But yeah, it's it's the models, which the models look fine like when they're static. But it's when they're moving. That's like when that's the, that's the one thing that kind of knocks it off this list is the animations are they're lower budget, so yeah, it's, it's I, like understandable. But yeah, I'll even say that as far as like as you said, marionetting goes, I feel like Ender Lilies does a decent job at it. It doesn't look that bad, mm-hmm. but it still is noticeable. I really appreciate one specific part of Shin Megami Tensei Five and why it's on this list. Uh, and that is the demon design and the fact that there's literally 200 unique models and animations for all of the demons in that game. Like there, there are no, I won't, actually, I won't say no, it's absolute. I can't think of like a recolor or something that's clearly like one that's based on another model's skeleton or whatever. It's just you play through, a, you know, a 60, 70 hour RPG and throughout the entire game, you're being introduced to to new newly developed models for all of these different demons inspired from all these different cultures. And that is, I think the most impressive part in, of an art front for Shin Megami Tensei five. Then the other, especially when you consider, especially right? when you consider personas being reusing ones for, you know, 15 years, right? And yeah, I'm just, that's true. Yeah. And then, and then I, I think back at tales of arise when it's like, Here's a wolf. Here's a wolf of a different color. Here's a wolf like with spikes on its back. Or, or boars hang, out, or hang out. The Zoogles have a lore reason for all looking at... No, I mean, you're right. You're absolutely right. Now, with I mean, with... you, you have some cases in SMT, like just an SMT where like, you get close enough, like, uh, like the Ongyoki uh, line of like the, the Guardians. Like they, uh, they come pretty close to being recolors, but they have their own like different sort of like animations and the way they, they move. And, you know, it's uh, it, it, it does get close sometimes. Like they're yeah. only, like demon races that like have like you know they're they're, they're directly delineated like a basement. Well, there's also there's also certain cases where it's like these two these two demons are clearly humanoid. Work smarter, not harder. We don't need to do, we don't need to make a new bipedal skeleton yeah. for them to to base the model on. Uh, like, I would like say a, like what for it, what drags Shin Megami Tensei Five down is the environment is good and fine. It's just that. It's the same for like the first, well, maybe not the same, but very similar for like the first 40 hours. Like the first area is like a desert with a few ruins and then it's like a ruined city. So less sand, mo- more pavement, but still mostly the same. And it's not until like there's a few pockets like the fairy village and like near the very end where it gets a little bit different. But it just it, I, I remember I got I had a little bit of in like environmental fatigue when I yeah, was like at yeah, like the yeah. 45 hour mark of that game. Environmental variety is the big problem with that game because it almost feels like a recolor per zone uh almost though like there are some cool structural gimmicks like when you're on the way the the path up to the odin fight like that whole you have to go up those structure puzzles like mm-hmm. that's the whole thing about it like the whole like the big thing when it comes to smt5's art design for me is like they really really fucking nailed the nahobino's design <laughs> like yeah that's like that's really peach right there that's like wow you really knocked it out of this world but it, it, like um aside from like that, that that was like the best thing about it for me like i've always had like kind of i'm still not sure how i feel about doi you know handling being the new main <laughs> artist and whatnot like it's very hit or miss for doi but like yeah. it, it, it it was more hits than misses in this in this uh iteration for me because i really like 
his vision for Konsu. Konsu was gonna really like that design at SD5 really pays respect to their mythological routes, like having like the moon accessory at the top of their head, which is like the main thing about Konsu and how it's like depicted in uh, Egyptian hieroglyphs. And like the Manangal, which is from Filipino mythology, and like how its um whole backstory uh, is like preying upon like pregnant women, so that's why it has like a really like divide divided torso in it because that's like the uh meant to like represent that story uh aside from that like cool character designs like yakumo and nua were pretty mananagal is awesome it's my favorite like demon of the game i think it's unnerving you look like even just being in presence kind of like makes my skin crawl but in a good way like that's Mm -hmm. that's the entire intent is to put you on edge uh if the environment art was better and more varied i would be going for this go ahead adam also we need a higher resolution yes yeah it's like sub hd i swear and the thing is is that this is most this is supposed to be art and not like technical proficiency but obviously those things are linked and yeah it's it's hard to appreciate the environments when like i guess they added the fov slider because i remember in one earlier podcast episode talking about like how i felt like the camera was too close to the to the protagonist and i just had to like swing it around awkwardly just to like platform in an awkward way and that's not art related really but it's kind of related but this game will be a looker if 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 the pc rumors end up being true yeah i i guess like i'll I'll, unfortunately like i I don't think nosia like sticks around even though it has like if I if there's just like the best like unique character designs of the year, like it would probably be in the, in the running for that. I'll put this these cl- uh, images up in Staff Game of the Year 2021 on Discord. But like some of these character designs are like just out of this world and really convey a lot of personality uh, among the well, cast. What the Nosha character art reminds me of is the character art kind of uh, from uh, Saga Frontier. And and that it's it's almost it's not meant to be like super detailed. Well, and in a way, it is really detailed. I'm looking at like some of the outfits that these characters are wearing and how much how much color interacts with these. But yeah, it's I'm guessing Noja was nominated here based on the strength and uniqueness of its character art. Yeah, yeah, like like a for for people listening, like go up the like go look at the character art for Rakio, Comet, and Atome, the three of the characters in that um, game, and also like some of the CG art, like really convey well like kind of the loneliness almost solemn isolated tone of that game um it does a, a fantastic job of balancing like you know situations that are like just so feel so lonely it feels a little hopeless but it does it in a way that's like, so elegant and beautiful but, I, so, uh, but uh, yeah but I, I don't i don't know if it hangs around here like there's some there's some really really strong concerns here but I don't like, think so we should we should knock it off just yet. Okay, okay. Since we're we've already knocked off several, so I don't, we're just yeah. as a reminder, as a refresher, looking at the list, we have a couple of games left that we haven't knocked off yet: Fantasian, Unsighted, Nosia, uh, and Super Robot Wars Thirty. Uh, so I think am I the only one who's played Unsighted? I think so. I've I've, I've seen well, it, but I haven't. Wait, played it didn't didn't Quentin review it? No, I did. Oh. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> you said um, that for a split second, I was like, I did. I haven't even played it. Yeah, like, yeah. like, wow, my memory good, sucks. Yeah. Oh, we got the expert on it. And I, but anyways, am... Unsighted is um, it's a pixel art RPG. It looks most similar to like Hyper Light Drifter. So it's like a really, like, it's not like a really high, like, 
how do I put it? It's a very minimalistic pixel art style to it, but it's very, very fluid in its combat and um, its color scheme. And it's an action. It's, it's not really an RPG. So that's the thing that might count against it. Um, but uh, it's more like a hack and slash Metroidvania sort of thing. But um, it's a pixel art style that's very, very fluid. And it's got like a good color scheme to it with some great like pixel art backgrounds and things like that. Um, the one weakness in terms of the art that I'm not so sure I'm hot, hot on is like actually when it's not the pixel art, but when you actually have like the more like the like character portraits, those are not, I mean, they have a certain style to them, but I don't know if they're like fantastic. So I wasn't expecting this game to like get into like the final four of this category, but it, I do, I did want to just like shout it out for its style. So I see what you mean by the character. It's, also, art. it's fine, but it's not nearly as strong as the pixel art. Yeah. So, well, I mean, but we uh, last was it last year that we gave this award to Star Renegades, which kind of yeah. was accomplishing a more similar thing. But I think it's it it, it seemed like it had a little bit more. Uh, Star design. Renegades had that like sort of like Genesis like DOS era of tone to it, which is like really cool. Um, where this is, you know. This feels Maybe a little bit more of a, this feels like a little bit more of a mismatch between the the game art and the the like the, the gameplay art and the like the other trappings art like the character art and things like that. So not I don't think I look at this and I I don't think it looks as nice as Star Renegades. It looks nice, just not as nice. Uh Fantasian, um, we haven't talked about yet. Um I, I feel like the only bad thing I can say about Fantasian's like uh, art style isn't even a problem if it's art. It's probably... So I feel like Fantasian isn't actually impacted by being an Apple Arcade exclusive, except for one area. And that's in the sense that the scans that they have for the backgrounds are so low resolution to fit within the the storage budget of an Apple Arcade release that... When you're zoomed out, you're not going to notice it. And maybe if you're like on a tiny PTV, you aren't going to notice it. But I played it on my 4K monitor, and it was definitely noticeable that the um, resolution for the backgrounds was fairly fuzzy in places. So some background, some some context in case you're not familiar. Fantasian was marketed as like the diorama RPG. I think they might have used that specific tagline. Uh, and all, not, I won't say all, but several of the exterior interior areas of that game, instead of being pre-rendered drawn backgrounds, they are like composited from actually physically built dioramas and 3d models of castles and interior bedrooms and things like that that then the just digital beautiful models are, yeah, yeah and Ad- yeah. adam is posting and some in our chat is, right now it, it, I, I want it, it stress. Is. i feel like mine is a bit of a nitpick because it even then it's not like it takes anything away from how beautiful the well so this is what i was going to say is that is that it's a lot like it's a, it, i mean you know it is deliberate right it's a spiritual successor to PlayStation 1 era Final Fantasy when you had CG backgrounds, except instead of CG, now we have these photographs of these beautiful handmade dioramas. And yeah, they've done some stuff. They've done some compression stuff to get them into um, into the, the, the right file size, the right file formats. But honestly, I think... This the is by feeling, far the, the the front runner. The feeling that those backgrounds provoke is not dimmed by 
the uh by the resolution of the images a lot like and that it has in common right with those ps1 final fantasy backgrounds yeah definitely um you know thinking about the final fantasy one backgrounds i think even ff7 like the backdrops don't get enough common discourse um you know everybody just kind of runs off with the the kind of understandable critique of of how the polygons have aged but just like running around um like when you go through uh like the corel reactor and stuff it, it still leaves an impact and then looking at fantasian it just feels like sakaguchi and his team brought that feeling back for uh, 2020 and 2021 in a way that blew my mind. And just looking at screenshots of it right now, I'm just reminded of how entranced I am, you know, every time I see it. Yeah, that was like, the, like you know, it's just real, like the development process of attention is like uh, fantastic. Like, like they've shown like documentary clips of like, you know, getting like, you know, uh, collaborated with like panorama makers like all across the globe, making like all these unique different panoramas uh, just for the game, and like they're all lovingly made and detailed, and like, and that shows in every part of the game because every single portion of the game, whether you're outside or inside, like those were fucking handmade. You know? Oh yeah, and uh, Adam just in the uh, staff chat made a really good point that even beyond the diorama stuff, like the pre-drawn like CGs that they have in certain sections are all really nice too. So it's like, yeah. For me, it's not even a question. Fantasian has to be the one that gets this. Well, I feel kind of bad now because we skipped Same. one game that's still in the consideration that we'll have to speak to, and that's Super Robot Wars 30. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, uh, like you know, unfortunately, like, you know, Fantasian's probably going to win this, and I, that's totally fine because, uh, but, like, the little shout-outs I wanted to give to um, Super Robot Wars 30 is, like, is obviously it's battle animation. Um, SRW's pretty much, that's the reputation now, is it's battle animations. Um, like I'll like I'll share a few clips uh, on uh, Discord. You can you don't have to have it on like the audio, but like uh, keep it muted. Like especially in your case, Brian, uh, depending on how your audio setup is. Like like the, this uh, instance here, like Red Five. Uh, uh, like you can really see how the game really amped up its approach in attack choreography because it has like it now introduces dynamic intros and blending. You know what the CG use is in that original anime into the sequence itself. Um, making for a really, really elegant, like beautiful attack sequence for it, and uh, other things that like another um, show that the uh, people on here might be uh, familiar with is uh, Gridman, and like it's another example of excellent care in adapting source material faithfully with a junk terminal terminal from that show uh, integrated into the at attack sequence as uh, Max enters uh, the terminal to aid Gridman. And then from everything from the transformation sequence to the great shading and Gridman himself when they fire out the big beam attack and all the intricate, delicate movements, especially the dynamic kill when Gridman turns face to screen after an explosion with the glow from the visor. Like, it's really, really well-crafted. But obviously, we're talking about games as a whole. So, you know, outside of the, ba the battle animation in SRW, you know, it's your standard strategy RP, you know, static models and, like, you no know, pieces moving to, like, you know, to one another. But I just wanted to, you know, give a shout-out you know, to for SRW 30s, like, you know, uh, bringing their A game when it comes to their art, especially when they uh, had to craft entirely brand new attack sequences for material that has never been adapted to an anime before. Like the crossover sequel between Gao Gai Gar and Better Man. And that, that was only all a novel before. So they had to kind of make that from scratch in, t in terms of like, how are we going to like present this 
in the game. So it it looks like so it's very good. dedicated to the fan service. Yeah, as a Mecha fan, you know, so many other years, just just looking at these animations and stuff, I'd be like, all right, well, I need to bring this up at the very least. Um, it looks so clean. It looks so well done within the engine. Um, it's just one of those times where I feel like I could say this about at least half the nominees on this category. Fantasian happened to come out this year. So sorry, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm happy to give it Fantasian, you know, because I played that game a shitload, and but you know, I was like one one of the first here who play who got hands on that game, and like I couldn't stop talking about like the way it was made and the, how well the panorama views like really enhanced the atmosphere and tone of that game, making it feel like a a, a PS1 era JRPG in the best way possible. And then also like the the I think. One reason why I think Fantasian wins is because I'm looking at the the environment art based on the dioramas. I'm looking at the CG art from like the narrative uh, snippets, and then even like the 3D models themselves. They they they're it's probably the weakest of the three, but it fits with the rest. It doesn't feel incongruent, and it's it's also got a very unique art style, which some of these things here uh, earlier on the list were maybe a little bit more generic or a little bit more safe. Or Fantasian for its like Kinda character oddly. models Kinda. has it. Go ahead. Kind of oddly, this kind of bounces off what you said and also what Alex said. There's almost like like a clash between the environment art and the character models, but that makes it just feel like a PS1 Final Fantasy uh, have like the models in like these diorama environments. So it's like, sure, they don't really match, but that's not necessarily like detracting against it. It, just, it kind of feels like, you know, the, poly- uh, the, the polygonal models of Final Fantasy VIII in a CG backdrop, right? So it's like it feels intentional, like it's kind of nostalgic in that way. I think here's a big testament too, because like how many of us in this fucking call bought an Apple TV or Apple device or whatever solely to play Fantasian? I did. Yep. I yep. did. Yep. Yep. I'm stupid as uh, fuck. I think that's like five of us or six <laughs> of us. Uh, I, 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 like, I already had an iPhone, but yeah. Yeah. You know all those Apple commercials where it's just like, hey, let's do a slight remix of like a, a trendy 60s or 70s little rock song, pop ballad. They should really just do one that's just like a little like pop ballad Beatles remix. Like it's just nothing but Fantasian shots. I guarantee at least 60 people would be like, all right, I'm going to go out there and buy an iPhone now. Fantasian is huh. one hell of a game, especially it's all. So uh, not as close as writing and storytelling, but Fantasian beats out games like Noja, Shin Megami Tensei Five, and Super Robot Wars 30 for the best RPG artwork of 2021. Now here's another one that could be more contentious, and it's a very long list, and that is best music. And this can be soundtrack, you know, it can be like environmental sounds it can be like ost tracks motifs anything related to the game's music and it is a long list let me just go through it we have the final fantasy pixel remasters specifically the newly arranged uh, original soundtrack same with legend of mana we've got lost judgment near replicant version 1.22 neo the world ends with you persona 5 strikers voice of cards the isle dragon roars Super Robot Wars 30, Cyberpunk 2077, Bravely Default 2, East 9, Monstrum Nox, Scarlet Nexus, Shin Megami Tensei 5, Fantasian, Atelier Ryza 2, Lost Legends and the Secret Fairy, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, its newly arranged original soundtrack, and Blue Reflection Second Light. So a lot of these games we have uh, 
rattled off before. A few of them are new to this list, like Cyberpunk, which I actually, if it's going to appear on any list, this is the one I think it actually should appear on. Uh, but that's that's a lot of games that we're going to have to try to knock off some uh, yeah, uh, because and, and, we, we have to pare this down. And just and just, and just a, a reminder, as like you know, as we get a more concise list and we start bringing out examples of tracks, uh, just a housekeeping thing between like you know the, the participants here is there. There's a dedicated staff game of the year music clips channel. So if you were if you're about to you know make a case or something, you know, have a track in mind, uh, put that track in there so everyone can listen to it. And you know, uh, so that track will also be in the audio recording for this podcast. So you know the listeners left out talking either. Man, I don't know which one I want to go to bat for. Oh, I I. Just, just, just There's in the interest, so we we have to, we have to be a little bit brisk here. I feel otherwise we'll be spending an hour on this section because we already talked about it at length just now. Uh, I think Fantasian has a fine soundtrack. It has some plenty good battle tracks and boss themes and environmental themes. It's just fine though. I wouldn't say it's stellar. It it's not going to win some, this. Yeah, it has some really good soundtrack. Um, really good songs. Shout out to um. Uematsu using Hatsune Miku for some of his uh some of his um uh Lipo uh soundtrack in the game. Oh, is that what that was? Yeah, no, seriously, he like I'm not sure if it's actually in the game, but the soundtrack for the uh memory seg- segment uh that he has, it's by far the longest. Is there are two Miku uh, Miku uh, songs? Yeah, and so, f- like, f- so Uematsu <laughs> has is a Vocaloid. You can, if someone asks you who your favorite Vocaloid producer is, you can literally say Nobuo Uematsu. Or <laughs> follow us through that day. Yeah, like Fantasian is like the music is fine, but like there's so many strong categories. I, I, a similar note, you know, East Nine. It has decent music. It's your typical Falcom soundtrack, really upbeat, but it's it's like it's, it's not nothing, too many sneakers. Yeah, yeah no, nothing, no, nothing outstanding. Nothing outstanding. I didn't yeah, like it as much as eight. Yeah, for East six, seven, eight, zero, like I can immediately call tracks to mind. East mm-hmm. nine, like once I listened to him, like oh yeah, this song I liked it, but it's it just it was just more forgettable. Like if every if all the other Falcom soundtracks are nines and tens, East nines is like a. A seven. I'm talking about out of What's kind of funny about East Nine soundtrack um, is there was one song in like one of the early trailers that I thought was really cool, and then like when I played the game, it was like the only song that I really really liked. It was like <laughs> the one song that they put in the trailer. So was it the final dungeon song? Because they do that all the time. <laughs> no, it wasn't the final dungeon. It was a different dungeon. I'll see if I can find it real quick. But yeah, go ahead. Like- the only like song that really stands out that I remember its name for the track for East Nine is Koika Maxima just because of the name. Yeah. <laughs> My friends and I joke joke about the name all the time. <laughs> I love it. Uh I'll I'll, I'll take out Super World Wars 30. Also, it has really great instrumentals to like anime opening themes like that I'll share on the on the music clips. Like it has a really cool like instrumental for the Nights and Magic o- opening. The anime show, but it has a, a really, really cool instrumental interpretation of it. And the one that came out of nowhere um, for me in this game is the, um, as you know, Gr- the Gridman anime that most people are familiar with is a uh, sort of a sequel adaptation of the original 1993 Tokusatsu 
Gridman show, and they included an instrumental version of the opening of that original 1993 theme. And it's like a, it's like a high quality 90s MIDI, and it's fucking perfect. I love it. So, so I have the uh, I have Super Robot OS 30 OST Hello My World uh, background music playing. So we're taking you off a list, Super Robot Wars, but you did good. Apparently, basically, it, in terms of both the art and the music, Super Robot Wars is very faithful to, you know, all the different series and fandoms that are comprised in that package. Just there's stronger, stronger contenders. It's a, it's a tough year. And then, uh, even though we already kicked it off, the Yeast 9 track, this is the only one that Adam liked, apparently. So, yeah, leasing way. the one in the trailer. And it was, uh, it's a dungeon track that's in a few dungeons. And then it's like, oh, it's actually like, that turned out to be the one of the ones I liked the most was the only was the one they put in the trailer. Oh, oh I remember this. This is, uh, this is Tokyo Game Show where when the game was maybe not announced, but like maybe like the, the first big marketing for it. This is the song that they used. Mm-hmm. All right. So we still have a bunch more on the list. We still have like 13 games on this list to take out. Okay, uh, when I'm looking at this list, I played a lot of these games, but not all of them. But Bravely Default 2, I know Revo came back for the soundtrack. And there's like a really cool boss track and some other, you know, decent tracks. But it didn't, it wasn't as good as like the original to me. Like the no, it's, actually having some it's trouble. nowhere near. It's nowhere it's, near. Yeah, it's just nowhere near. But I, I, like, I'm actually having some trouble remembering anything. I remember the boss track which i'll try to link in the chat no i i I, I Um, have that track we'll listen to it right now but i know exactly which one you're talking about uh yeah there's like one good boss track that's the thing about the boss tracks is kind of funny is uh there's like a like an opening little like steel it's like like five seconds long before you know like which version of the track you're gonna get and like whatever it's like not the version i like it's like oh like the wrong you picked the wrong one for this boss it's not the good one but um (laughs) Josh freaking out because we're already preemptively posting songs in the, the channel. Yeah, it's one of those things that it's going to confuse the viewer if uh, Brian clicks on it and they hear a different track than the track that we're talking about. You know what I mean? Nah, we, we've got it. We've got it pretty good. So right now we're listening to the Bravely Default soundtrack battle against the ones we inevitably confront, which is, I agree, when Adam mentioned, like, it has that one good boss track. It's like, yeah, yeah this is yeah. it. This yeah. I, I, I admit, whenever there's an Asterix boss in Bravely Default 2, like I was pumping my fist on this. I'm like, fuck yeah. It's part of my yeah, record. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I can't help but agree with that, even though uh, this is like a really big contender for me. Um, the Asterix boss are, are definitely what sticks out. Um, some of the environmental themes, I think maybe I like a little bit more than, than some of the folks here. Um, they're catchy they're kind of like i mean like the jazz beats and stuff like that but it's definitely not in the same caliber overall as as the first game um it's really just specific tracks like like the boss themes that scream out to me let's make this a bit easier for ourselves uh for all of us that have played pokemon would we agree that it probably should be kicked off yeah it's yeah. got a great soundtrack like it, but yeah it doesn't really do anything either revolutionary with with its remixes or uh, necessarily like so close, uh, you know, that it's respectable in that regard. I think it's great. It's Same just thing. not. I think the fine. important thing for us to acknowledge is that the music was not like 
horrific MIDI like it appeared to be in some of the pre-release stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the battle themes in particular were just like, it's like, wait, what's happening here? So, yeah, thankfully that didn't actually happen. Uh, I think not the MIDI stuff, but the, well, the remixes aren't amazing, even if they're good. I feel kind of the same way about Near Replicant. They're great remixes, but it it's like, well, the music was already fantastic, and I'm not sure if this is necessarily better or worse. It's just like sometimes different takes. And it's, it's like it's one of those weird things, right? Because like the original Nier's soundtrack was is what was and is remains legendary, you know? Like it's it's really good and like all the new like arrangements for it, and like, uh, switch to more orchestra uh, orchestral like uh, composition for it. It's like it's good, it works for like the purposes of a re-release. But like as I mentioned in my review for it, like the one thing I really wanted out of it was like a uh, 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 OST toggle between the original and the new one. Not because I think the new one is bad. I just like I just wanted to hear the old ones once in a while too uh, while playing it. And like the 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 highest like thing I can say about like the new arrangement is like oh at least they didn't like screw up like the you know the originals. Like they're they're all still pretty you know faithful there's a different sound to them but it's like it's just different not necessarily better or worse like um an example here i'll put it's like the the near the re-releases version of song of the the ancients um it's it's like it's a really fantastic remaster of a legendary song like note grandma's song plays in the strings at like 117 in the in the clip that i provided yeah, and as like as an amazing nod before it fully kicks into high gear, and like that's really cool. That's like a, a new take on it, a more grandiose take, but like one that works for the game. Like I, and, I think like the, and then and, and like that's really cool that they made like uh, new versions, like uh, Kaine's uh, theme, another edit version that plays during like the ending E segment uh, of that game, uh, as like it's like a, a new mix and arrangement that combines like Kaine's salvation and escape themes wonderfully. As it like really completes her character development in that thread, uh, like, it's all really good. But it's like not new. If you're if you're if you're looking for novelty, that's not that's not the, obviously the re-releases goal, or you know. So I kind of think of this almost like the Final Fantasy X remaster. I know that's several years old now at this point, but like I had so much nostalgic for the original sounds and then like, like none of these new ones are as good. But for Near Replicant, this is my first time playing the game, so I have none of that like predisposition in terms of like what i would expect so when i hear the song of the ancients especially with how it plays with like your position on the map whether or not you're near whoever's singing it whether it's a duet or not it's just i know that's not that's more like design and then pure music but i guess they're related right but i thought it was really good there was also one part with the song of the ancient i find a new remix maybe it's not as good as the old one but this new one actually fits more with the environment like there's one part that was used for a battle for a certain scene and i find this new remix that fits that new scene a lot better than the old one was so that was my take on it it's- i i wouldn't i wouldn't cut near replicate out immediately yet because i think it, it it like you know just because it's not novel doesn't mean it's not good yeah no i definitely think it should stay are there any others? We still have a few on this list that uh, is anyone here able to defend for voice of cards, the Isle Dragon Roars? I know we've had a few people on staff play it, but I don't know if anyone specifically in this call has. Unfortunately, like I, I, I haven't been able to play it yet. Like the, the, the things I've heard of the OST, it's like it's all really good, but like I couldn't tell you how well it integrates with the game. 
Same. I mean, I I have played it at this point, and yeah. I think it's it's solid. Um, I don't know that I necessarily would have like thrown it out there and said, "Hey, this is definitely like goatee potential." Mm-hmm. Um, it it blends well with the game. Yeah, I mean, like what was just said. It's just it's. I don't walk away from it and say, "Hey, I need a workout playlist." I'm going to this game immediately. You know, by any stretch. So Scarlet Nexus is on here, and obviously it does a lot of like the synth electronic sort of sounds for to kind of based on like its cyberpunk setting. And honestly, none of that really landed for me. I actually didn't nominate it here. I'm not sure who did. But I do want to give one shout out to one part of that game where it really surprised me in terms of its music clip. And that's when you head into the snowy region in like chapter eight or nine. And it's it almost because it was unexpected. And it's is it like a rule that snow version, snow areas in video games have to have like excellent music because they always seem to. Uh, and just so you know, before you brought that track up, as soon as you said Scarlet Nexus, I was like, oh, I better rush to my computer and get that snow music. And they're like, oh, that's the one you're going to talk really, about. I don't know. I really resonated. Like, I didn't, I'm not the one who nominated here, but like, I, I really resonated with Scarlet Nexus uh, OST in the way it kind of had like a lot of different synths and like to really emphasize like the kind of cyberpunk nature of its whole like you know the, like the whole demeanor of that game like the things like uh this track here an abandoned highway do- dominated by nature you know it, it is so it, it's just I, I don't know how to really describe besides like man there are a lot of bangers on associated really groove like it, it's like it's like kind of like synthy jazz in a way okay so can i just add one more thing this isn't yeah. really the instrumental but the opening Mm-hmm. Like the opening for the game I thought was really good. That's a bangers track. Yeah, I, I listen to it on Spotify all the time, to be honest. Dream and Drive. Okay, can I, I post that? that? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Uh, this is the first game where we've got three different demos of it. All right, let me, let's listen to uh, Scarlet Nexus opening. Oh, but yeah. by the way, Oral Cigarettes, they also sang anime openings before, most notably Noragami. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good group. I often argue to people that like there are a lot of JRPGs out there that are really just anime, and then there are some anime out there that are really just JRPGs. <laughs> I think the opening, <laughs> the opening for Scarlet Nexus is just like, hey, this is a good example. I like how we went from like peaceful snow theme to like metal, <laughs> or not maybe not metal, but, but that's a, that, I think that really speaks to like the flexibility of Scarlet Nexus's OST. To be honest, like it covers so many like different kinds of sounds in it. Like I think the versatility of Scarlet Nexus and like having them sound like to me it sounds pretty pleasant. Like I'm like, oh, this is I'm really rocking. All right, I was really going to kick it off, but I feel like maybe we uh we keep Scarlet Nexus around for a bit. Those tracks yeah, sound agree. pretty good, so I definitely want to hear more. All right, looking at the list, Shin Megami Tensei Five. Again, I'm kind of going into this in the same vein that I went into Scarlet Nexus with. Is like I'm going to post a track that is it's kind of like Bravely Default, where it's like a, a boss theme that I really liked. But other than like this one theme, I don't know if there's a whole lot else that I really liked from Shin. Meg- I mean, Shin Megami Tensei Five. All these soundtracks are good. That's why they're nominated. But when, you know, good versus goatee, as Quentin would put it in terms of best soundtrack 
So I believe this is the uh, theme when you're fighting people like uh, Yakumo or Fion. And, you know, Shin Megami Tensei 5, I will say one thing that does do really well is that it has a huge variety of, of battle themes depending on what you're fighting, where you're fighting, whether you're back in Tokyo or, or you're in Dot, whether it's a, a sub-boss, a quest boss, or like a story boss. Um, I also do like how, in general, Shin Megami Tensei 5's soundtrack is, like, dirty. It's not clean-sounding. It's like It sounds yeah. like a, an off-tune guitar, maybe, but deliberately so, where it feels like there's a lot of energy behind it. It feels really raw. It doesn't feel like it's so melodic and careful. It feels very... And, like, in some of the early environment music, when you're in Dot, it's almost not melodic at all. It's just, like, squeals and noises, just to make it sound, like, really alien and that's like the shell bring this battle yeah, for you right here I'll, I'll, the, the, to to bring that up since you brought that up like the odd time you know it's a it's a really good uh example of what you're talking about it's like it's kind of just kind of almost dour in a sense like so this is the environment music of the tamachi area and it's more just like vocalizations and almost like a siren and it's it's is there a melody to this song? Maybe not, or maybe just barely. But it doesn't need one. It's more it's yeah, more just setting the tone. Unfortunately, the biggest downfall for uh, SFT 5s OST for me is like it's not as good as fours for me. I love fours OST so much. It's like I was looking for that out of fives. Like did it, did it like match it or be better? It's like nah. I, I like fours OST better. It was more memorable. Speaking of the like kind of like the grungy uh, sound. Of, of the environments, I I don't know if um, oops I, I linked that wrong, but the the Taito area in Shin Megami Tensei, which is the fourth area, ha- kind of has that that sound to it, where it's just like sometimes it's just noise. So that's a few of the because I was thinking the Minato area, and then immediately you get the Taito music and the uh, Tamachi music, maybe again. Uh, I go to Shin Megami Tensei 5 with the plan on kicking it off, but I'm listening to these and it really fits the tone of the game super well. Shin Megami Tensei 5's soundtrack, and I think, I mean, this has already been touched upon, but it's one of those soundtracks that because it sounds so not necessarily melodic, because it sounds so dirty, that sort of thing, when I'm listening to it, what strikes me is just this constant reminder that our our favorite genre RPGs have such diversity going on because I can I you know what if I make like a, a mixed playlist and I go from something from like so many other JRPGs and then suddenly like SMT five hits with a song and it's just like you're in completely different mindset when this thing is playing. All right, maybe Shin Megami Tensei five sticks around. I can already tell this is going to be a tough one. Uh, any of these remaining, or any of these candidates to be kicked off? How about a, uh, how about Ryza? Just picking no. out a hat. okay. No. <laughs> so I would go. I, so Legend of Mana has a really good arranged soundtrack. Now I'm actually gonna point. I'm gonna point a finger at Square Enix here. And like they apparently have removed all the arranged soundtracks from YouTube, so I can't even like link it. Oh. Um, thanks, Square Enix. <laughs> um, but it's a really good arrangement. Yeah. of some of their tracks um one that i have in mind is overlapping destinies which is like one of the music themes that plays in the finale of one of the uh one of the three storylines in the game it's kind of like a really high energy sort of like symphonic sort of like grandiose sort of track and then there's there's other tracks like of the tear colored radiance which is basically the finale of the other of another storyline with the 
with the uh, Jewel people, which is also really good. I can link to the original versions, but unfortunately I can't like link the remastered versions right now because uh, Square Enix removed them. But I don't know if it, you know, it's just an arrangement. Like the original tracks are good at Shimamura. Um, Plus we can't, but, like none of us can actually listen yeah, to it and double so, check. So exactly. it's a good point. So like, so Square Enix, this is on you. I will post the first track for Rise of Two that I posted that Josh deleted earlier. Um, this is the nighttime theme for the uh, desert region. And kind of how, like we said earlier, oh, why is it that like ice regions always have like the best music in JRPGs? I would say that, no, it's the deserts that always have the best themes. Like, remember Xenoblade 2? Man. Oh, more uh, ordained. Yeah. 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 Man, Xenoblade Three. Whenever it releases, it's just gonna. We're just gonna like say it wins next. <laughs> we'll see. We'll there, see. There have been there have been previous years. It might end up. You don't know what it's really gonna easy. end up against. You don't know yeah, what it's true. gonna end up against. It might be up against. So can music or, uh, yeah, it might yeah it might be up against some some nice stuff. Let's talk about this riser track. We're all listening to it. We're <laughs> talking about other games. <laughs> <laughs> this seems and really this nice. Yeah, this, this is, is a night theme, and like you have to consider the reason I posted this one is that so much of Rise's soundtrack is more grandiose, really focusing on the orchestral stuff. And this is orchestral too, but this one is more relaxed. Mm-hmm. So when I post some of the other tracks, it's like there are so many games out there that have orchestral soundtracks and they kind of just blend together, but I feel like Ryza 2 really does a good job of taking advantage of it. So I posted it earlier, but I'm just going to repost it. Um, so the final dungeon theme really uses like the leitmotif for the Rise of series, and it really incorporates it in a really cool way. And especially in the context that's given in the game, there's like a somberness to the theme as well that really kind of hits. And it's I don't know. I'm not sure if Rise of Two deserves to win, but then again, I don't know what i would say should win because there's just so many good song like soundtracks this year but i really really liked rise of two soundtrack so this music we're listening to now beyond the end of history this is the final dungeon yeah just wait um it really ramps up <laughs> oh yeah it's it's it just starts out like very quiet there we go All right, so we are sampling all these games and saying, like, this one's great. This one's also great. This one is also, also great. Uh, last this year it was a narrative one that ended up being in this place, and now it's uh, music. I didn't nominate it, but if I were to look at all these, I would probably honestly cross out Persona 5 Strikers, being honest. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I didn't love it. It, it has some basically like guitar-y, you could say, butt rock versions of like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the Persona Five. <laughs> they did most I know music. What you mean. It's like it's not, it's not even just like a Bosu like, gameplay. It's just also that's what they did with the music. It's like it's really cool, like hearing versions of that. But like nothing really stuck with me as hard as like say the base Persona Five game. But these are really good too. It's like it perfectly fits like that type of game. And, like, I wouldn't want the soundtrack to be any other way, really, for, like, those sort of, like, exactly. battles and stuff. 
but when you're like actually talking about like the actual musical like i don't know quality like interesting how interesting is the music it's like not really it's just sort of on its face just like fun more than anything else so, it is it is a cool imagining of the songs for sure so i'm not sure which, which links ryan is playing but i linked i think there's a regular theme and a boss theme i'm doing daredevil um, for the game and yeah so daredevil is like a regular theme um for the battles and then the other the other track that came to mind is like blooming villain which is basically a boss theme um for the game and you know it's just kind of exactly what you expect it to be for a game like this so yeah um, in a lot of ways like persona 5 strikers um kind of surprises me and that it's not quite the you know the and i don't mean this necessarily negatively but the bog standard koei warriors formula that one might expect but when it comes to the music it's exactly what one might expect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so perfectly gonna, fitting music, but maybe not a winner here. Just yeah. gonna ask Chow, you're the one that played uh, Blue Refraction. Do you think it deserves to stay on the list? I think so. It's like, if you think Ryza has a spot, I believe Blue Reflection has a spot. <laughs> oh, they, 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 the, the Gus the I have brother in arms. It's like, if yeah. you're staying on, I'm fucking staying on. <laughs> It's like, well, I, I love the boss theme, it, it, uh, or at least the honest, most of yeah. it. Honestly, I, I say it every year, but it's true. Every year, gusts are just insane. It's like, holy shit. Like, the fact they release so many games every year and that they, like, if, if nothing else, the soundtracks seem to be the things that are always, like, famous. It's like, man, how do they I do don't it? Me- I don't quite remember how, like, spirited the the conversation was last year but last year Final Fantasy 7 remake one which you know well deserved but I yeah. remember you know there's just so many good OSTs and they're all like fitting in their own ways yeah, yeah this, this, this blue reflection theme that Chow posted the my reel is a banger I like it this is a good I also like the what is it like the environment theme is very cozy like I said the story is cozy but even the music is cozy but like listen to the school theme it actually sounds like the opening of lunar silver star just listen to that all right playing it now i like it <laughs> yeah this has a really yeah. good tune to it yeah you're convincing me child yeah yeah I, honestly <clears throat> i'm i'm down to give it to either of Gus games i'll just because I didn't play Blue Reflection, though, I kind of want to give it to that just because it's like I'm not going to be able to go to Batsit for anywhere else. All right. A couple games that haven't been touched on yet, which I don't feel people might feel as fervently about. Uh, Pixel Remasters. They obviously uh, have the newly arranged OSTs, so they might fall into the same area that like Nier did, where it depends on whether you were really, like, the fine. original. They are fine. But, you know, I- I- I've got to give them credit they again they, they unlike with the content they thread the needle really well of respecting the original um while actually giving it a fresh feel um and it's the sort of thing where early on in those games i found myself deliberately being slow in battle in order to let the battle themes ramp up because they sort of have a a bit more of a ramp in these versions where you know the first verse so to speak the first run through is a little bit uh less intense than the second and so on and so forth um but yeah i mean i don't think we need to we need to dwell on those and the true test remains because i think probably the, the most iconic and important of those soundtracks and the one that's the hardest to fuck with is the one we haven't heard yet six so, 
Yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah, there are things that I mean, I would go to bat for. Like, I remember uh, playing FF5 Pixel Remaster recently, and I got to Gallif's World, and I'm listening for like for like three solid minutes before it really starts to loop. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. But I mean, in the final telling, they are what they are and they're enjoyable. And I'll listen to them alongside the original versions for years, decades to come. Um, But they're not, they're not going to get my, you know, vote here. I think if nothing else, we can all agree that this year was absolutely fantastic for music. Oh yeah. Yes. That's that's what we're learning in real time. Yeah, and in other years, you know, had I been here, I could see myself saying, like, really, really more strongly, hey, let's talk about Pixel Remaster some more. The fact that I don't feel like saying that at all is, like, mind-blowing. And I just realized I didn't even nominate Fuga, and that has a great soundtrack, too. It wouldn't have gotten winner, but it's like, that also deserved a shout-out. But, yeah, it's like, man. Okay, let me let me rip the band-aid off here. Um I have been sitting here quite quiet. I honestly think the best thing in this category <laughs> is cyberpunk. I knew um, this was coming. <laughs> I, 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 it's, a different, it's a different sort of thing. And being a role-playing game site and therefore dealing so much with JRPG, I think we listen to a lot and in this category. We, we often find ourselves talking about sweeping, epic, you know, uh, music that the, the, the I don't know, that, that is quite melodic. Um, the cyberpunk music is far more about atmosphere. And in terms of selling that world and that universe, so the original soundtrack, let's start with that, um, is just, the original soundtrack is just fabulous at selling that world. Um, I think the, 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 the common misconception is that the music from that game is what's the word I'm looking for is that the music from that game is all loud and crunchy. And a lot of people describe that soundtrack as being like doom, but without the guitars. Right. But um, let me post the link in the thing. So I posted a link in the chat to a song called bells of Laguna bend, which is all right. We're playing it. Uh, one of the, one of the tracks that um, features prominently in one of the romances and it's just this wonderful like simple but actually not simple actually quite complex smooth sounding it's just lovely but then also you know we we have to talk about all of it you know so this is there's that there's all the mad crunchy stuff that like i say people have described as being like doom without the guitars but then they went to real world artists and said we want you to do songs for our game, but we're not as yourself. We're going to give you a character and we want you to write songs as those characters. And so of course, you know, yes, you've got, um, Samurai Johnny Silverhand's band and that's great. But also, Mm -hmm. you know, you had, um, you had Grimes doing tracks. You had, um, run the jewels doing tracks and rap boy and some of us. And, and like, they all lean, well, most of them anyway, really do seem to have taken this mission of we want you of writing a song in character to heart, and some of the results are just tremendously good. And it's very, very different to the sort of thing we usually find ourselves talking about. But, um, you know, the thing is, the thing that befell Cyberpunk, and I still think, you know, 
the game as I reviewed it on PC, on a high-end PC, without all the problems on console, um, I still think it's a great game. But the thing it befell in a game design term is, you know, it CD Projekt had like probably a tenth of the number of staff that would work on that worked on like GTA 5 and they were trying to build a GTA 5 size game and the one area of that game where it feels like they lived up to that completely without any cutbacks at all is in that soundtrack and I would actually go a step further and say in many ways they surpassed it and I think in future years especially with the way they worked with uh, real life all game composers are real life musicians but real life celebrity musicians um, I think we're going to see more of that. Indeed, we already are because like, GTA is releasing this update, right? Where Dr. Dre's done a bunch of music. And you look back at that and you're like, yeah, Cyberpunk did this last year. Um, yeah, yeah. I it, just, it, 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 there is a little bit like when you're talking about Japanese RPGs and Western RPGs, not to paint with a broad brush, but you, we kind of almost have this expectation where you're, when you're fighting a boss encounter, this music will appear from the ether and play and you enjoy it. Where in Cyberpunk, it's like you'll be you'll be uh, driving in a buggy in the desert and music will play on the radio. It's more like didactic. Is that the right word? Uh, or diegetic um, where it's part diegetic. of the world. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah, but, it, but it is both right. Like I just posted a link to another track in the, uh, in the thing, which is I think more of the style of music people think of when they think of cyberpunk. And that is the crunchy, do me and this is obviously the stuff that is non-diegetic that is playing while you're gunning people down and i just think it's so so rad i just think it's so rare that you get this sort of industrial music used in video games and in particular so you know i love the music to mass effect for instance um but it goes down the very generic sort of um you know hollywood route as does, sort of to a lesser extent, but as does, you know, to use a direct cyberpunk comparison, the Deus Ex sequels. Um, the soundtrack for this game just doesn't give a fuck. And I absolutely love it. Like, it's very, I, I realise it's very, very, very different to the sort of stuff that we usually talk about. It is the antithesis of something Nobuo Uematsu would compose. Um but I just think, and, and there's such great range in the game as well. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, I'm glad you were able to speak to that. And you mentioned it in passing, but some of the stuff they did with Silverhand's band with uh, Samurai and how like some of the quests actually have you like playing an original song from that band invented for the game is like inspired and really creative. And yes, as much baggage as Cyberpunk 2077 has, it's not for the music. Like the music is something that they nailed as someone else who played yeah, that and, game. And, and don't, but you know, that is Samurai is refused, right? That is another case of a, of a band being approached and being told what well, being asked, right? Would you like to write music as this band and refused had to go and look at all the law of what refused are in the cyberpunk game, but also because refused is related to, a core character from the tabletop game they also had to take all that into consideration and then they went away and wrote music and i just you don't see I, I can't think of another game that has done that to that degree i can think of times when artists have been asked to write music for games as themselves and indeed i use the example right of dr dre being in gta online now this month but again 
he's writing as himself Snoop is in it as himself and there's been other occasions like that but I can't think of many where where musicians have been en masse especially turned into characters in the game and some of them are characters in the game right like Grimes is a character in the game and did a bunch of voiceover for um, for, for, for a couple of side quests and stuff and yes she uh, she bore the child of a huge piece of shit but um, <laughs> she did ex- her song in that game is really good and you know her performance is really is really pretty decent as well on the voice acting side so yeah I don't know it's um I've got a lot of love for the soundtrack of that game. No, I'm glad that you were able and willing to speak to it because it is such an oddball to say like, all right, now this is in the same category as all the other ones we talked about. Now we have to pick which one is definitively better as if this is something that you can measure on a ruler, which you can't. But uh, like we, I think the last couple of years that we've been doing this uh, podcast, that this is the first time we've really had a contender quite like Cyberpunk on the, uh, on the music front. So that brings our total to like six games that we've been able to have an individual contribute to and offer some uh, some samples and basically keep on the list when you include also Scarlet Nexus, Shin Megami Tensei V, Atelier Ryza, Blue Reflection. Uh, Nier is still on the list. Here's one that we haven't talked about in the music category just yet, and that's Neo The World Ends With You. That is also a fantastic soundtrack. And it's oh, like, of course it is. <laughs> it's it's a mix of a bunch of really fantastic and creative remixes of original uh, original World Ends a few songs and a bunch of new original tracks. It's like, man, why does it have to be so hard to choose this year? Oh, so yeah, Neo like think- has, has a lot of uh battle tracks obviously and a lot of them are remixes of the original and there are some there are some new ones i linked in one of the new ones um this track i don't know if ryan's listening to it right now was actually like the one i would hope i'd run into when i was doing like those long dive battles because the way just like the vocals come in it's like it is admittedly kind of butt rockish but um it just kind of it's a great like, amp chew up when you're in those long when you're in those uh, <laughs> And when I say butt rock, everyone knows what I'm talking about, right? It's just like oh, yeah. runge, like high yeah, energy, yeah. just like generic in a way. If you could ima- if you could imagine it playing in Sonic Adventure, it's butt rock. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's a lot of more like the hip hoppy, um, like rapish. I don't know what you call it, like the genre. I might not be getting like it right, but rock, uh, the style. Yeah, yeah, like punk pop, rap, hip hop. That style is all all throughout the game. Uh, of course, as well, like when you're just wandering around the streets from day to day in battles and in the even in like there's a lot of dialogue in this game. So there's a lot of music that comes up just, you know, when you're talking to different people as well. Um, Did you want to mention something uh, just uh, the earlier? Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, I this one, like I really, really love the soundtrack because of how it exemplifies like basically city bustle and it has that urban feel to it, which I feel like really matches the setting. Um, there is a, there's like, it, it kind of ranges from like a, the more metal kind of sound to a more poppy kind of sound, depending on what's happening. And it just, in general, smells like teams, uh, teen spirit. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, that I, for a good chunk of when I was playing Neo, like I just left music running on that game. I was like, okay, I got the more CDs, got new CDs, time to go listen to this and keep it on loop. Uh. It, it is such a just like just like the original, you know. I oh, well, that's a really fantastic part of that. 
It's definitely one of those things where I would I would love to listen to it like on the train or like in the gym. It's like um excellent background music for life <laughs> kind of music. Adam, what are we listening to here? This is Ooh Parts, uh, which is one. It says it's, this is one of the tracks from the original Let's Remix. So this is the remix form of it, and it's I don't know I don't know how you describe it. This is where it's like this 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 genre is so unique, but it's like I I associate it with the world ends with you, kind of like pop culture, uh, kind of hip hop rock, and um, a lot of these tracks are also both in English and Japanese, which is kind of cool. So sometimes you'll like so. How, how the world ends with you like does its music oftentimes is um like when you're playing the game one of the tracks like let's just say you have a pool of 20 tracks and you're running around the city and it just picks out of that pool and plays it and when you go into the menu there's a menu track and then when you like leave the menu i believe it changes which track is playing it, it may depend exactly how you do it but like it, you can kind of like shuffle through the various tracks that are actually playing in the game so that, that always keeps it like fresh and new and there's always something different playing uh Kind of like a radio, almost. It's pretty cool, and there's a good variety, both English and Japanese lyrics. So sometimes you'll get like the English version of a, of a track, sometimes you'll get the Japanese version of the track. So it always keeps things fresh. Alrighty, so we've been on this section for a while, and unfortunately, we need to just start making some brisk, painful cuts. Uh, I guess before we do that, there's one game we haven't talked about yet. That's Lost Judgment. Uh, Josh, is there any strong argument for for lost judgment? Like, obviously, we haven't had a chance to speak to it yet, so obviously, I want to give it a, a fair shake well, here. I mean, it, it only has like a, a fucking game full of bangers. This is the this this <laughs> oh alone is the most <laughs> You know, tell me you, you listen to this, you're like, holy shit, this is the normal battle theme. You're just grooving right away. I think uh, some, one track that like left my jaw on the floor when I first heard it uh, in that game is a certain boss fight theme called Viper. And it's, uh, it plays during a fight against uh, an antagonist named Kazuki Soma. And the composition uh, adds like a really cool horror theme against like one of the game's most terrifying, cunning antagonists. And like there's like a lot of violin screeching throughout the track to Yeah, uh, really it's really good. Yeah, and I think the, the 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 fucking ultimate track in this game that really like culminates throughout all the hours you put in this game and seeing Yagami's journey uh, throughout it is uh, the final boss thing called Unwavering Belief. And I'm sorry I have to spoil this uh, theme to people who want to play, play and complete this game, but it is like a perfect, perfect summation of Yagami and Kawana's journey, Lost Judgment, Judgment. They hold their opposite ideologies like above everything else. Like It's a really, really emotional track as both of them have like lost so much already up until that point. And, like, the context behind this track is so fucking crazy. Oh my god! Like the, the like, I don't know. It's it's gonna be hard for me to like cut Lost Judgment like from this like running. It's like it's so they really blew they really blew it away uh, for music and Lost Judgment. It is, All right. Like I like like for a lot of people who like obviously we're not taking public opinion into consideration because it's between us. But like you know. Friends that have played it, a lot of people have played it, say it like they go into like, holy shit, you see. <laughs> That's All right, so now I'm I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to pull the bandaid off as Alex put it here, and let's let's start uh, looking at this list and seeing where we can concede. Um, I'm thinking for near replicant, great soundtrack, but the fact that not everyone that has played the original version 
like there's there's a decision to be made in terms of original or remastered is enough yeah, of a yeah. caveat to take it off the it, list like it's, it's one of those things right like if you like uh, like obviously you know i don't i i i'm kind of surprised like that this is being taken off but if we're talking about like novelty then you know there are definitely other games on this list that you know don't have novel tracks either so we penalize them well, like we're penalizing Nier yeah. because it doesn't have a doesn't have like a soundtrack toggle for the original. Yeah, and also it's like I think at this point it's inevitable that it's going to be painful no matter which game we take off the list, and we're just going to have to make it as painful. Decisions. I mean, I, I, this I do think Neo. The 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 thing that's kind of working against Neo is that a lot of the soundtrack is just either replayed directly or repurposed. Like, well, what were you going to say, Jess? And it's not. Oh, I guess I was thinking, does everyone have in mind which one they would pick already, actually? No. <laughs> no. I no, no, I don't I don't have a clear window. Actually, on this, I so. do. I'll be the I'll be the odd one out. After okay. listening and obviously I'm nostalgic for this because I've played it. Well nostalgic if I, is it nostalgia if it's been less than a year because I played it this year. Uh Shin Megami Tensei five. When I was listening to those soundtracks, I'm like, yeah, this is uh cyberpunk i do think it's i have to think back to like january when i was playing it and i do think that alex made a really strong case for it but then i'm, I'm listening to shin megami tensei 5 and for me i think that edges it out so that would be my pick if i had to you know gun to my head um honestly i i still really like neo although i've never played atelier or blue reflection but the tracks that um they showed were really nice <laughs> All right, other, other people have to have to put their you know cards on the table. I, I, I know I <laughs> I'm so torn between between Atelier and Lost Judgment. I mean, I have that firsthand experience with Lost Judgment that's like pulling at me, and I was I was waiting. I was like, surely, surely Josh is gonna be the one to talk about this, right? <laughs> Am I gonna have to end up talking about this? Um, uh, it's so so hard. I think I'm. Just barely gonna go with Atelier. No, I. Josh makes a very strong case with the tracks he posted. I might be swing over and and go with Lost Judgment on this one. God, <laughs> what's happening here? I, I was gonna say if if any one game got a clear lead, I would just be like, look, I I can't decide. I'll go with whatever is like the momentum, but it's like, but I like Rise too. <laughs> like right. Oh. If I, if, I, if I were if I were if I were forced to like choose between your replicate and lost judgment, I I might just go with lost judgment. Take out your just to make it easier on us. Maybe we should just knock off Scarlet Nexus. It has some really cool environmental tracks, but it seems like it's just like a notch below the rest here. Just to like yeah, shrink Surprise, our pool. Yeah. surprisingly good. Yeah, 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 so Scarlet Nexus has such a cool soundtrack, but it's like it's so hard to pick this year. Like on like on any weaker year, I could see Scarlet Nexus. Like honestly, it's, for me, it, like any time, any day of the week, I would probably be like, you know what? I think I like this track, this uh, soundtrack more. It's one of those things where, like, if you put together like a best soundtracks of the decade top twenty five or something, I would be surprised if I mean humbled, <laughs> but I would be surprised if if twenty twenty one didn't have at least five or six on there. Now, Alex made a strong case for Cyberpunk, but yeah, for, for, for me it's Cyberpunk. But I realized that I am, I am, uh, I'm coming from a different I, perspective. 
I do actually like. So the problem is I haven't really played Cyberpunk, and I've listened to yeah, your tracks, I like and they the sound argument. good, but it's yeah. hard. It's hard. Like you made the argument that like JRPGs are usually just like battle tracks, like coming out of the ether, just like they play during a boss or they play during a scene. Whereas like in Western RPGs, just the, the whole way they're incorporated into the game is different. And I'm missing like that context, unfortunately, which I think is a little yeah, bit more yeah, important totally. than Western and RPGs. I think from, from from my perspective, the things that make that game stand out is the way they use famous musicians for one, uh, but for two, it, it is that it's the same thing that it is basically, and I used the comparison a couple of times before, it's the same thing that made Doom win a bunch of Best Soundtrack Awards for Mick Gordon's excellent score for the Doom reboot, which is just basically, even if I put aside the nice ambient stuff that really sells Night City and all that sort of stuff, it has the sort of music where when you're in the midst of combat, especially if you've got good bass, you turn that shit up and you feel incredible. <laughs> Um, and it's just crunching and loud and industrial and raw. But, yeah, I, I realise that, um, especially out of context, it's not as impressive to listen to. Yeah, it more has to be married with the gameplay itself and not just something you put on a on a playlist. I really do like love the argument, but it's it seems like kind of in Scarlet Nexus's same camp where it might just fall short. I do want to actually say that the only reason I haven't like thrown my that my thrown my hat in the ring for Scarlet Nexus of all games is that I actually listening to those sound like to those songs. The thing that stood out to me was how different the two of the songs sounded, even though they worked together. They were obviously part of the same game, but the feeling of them was different enough that it gave me a feeling that the variety of the soundtrack is probably better than maybe some of the other ones on this list. Now, I haven't played it. Maybe that's not the case, and they're just, like, two extremes, but most of the soundtrack is around the same, like, area. It, yeah, like, like, you're right that, like, like, if we're talking about, like, variety, like, Scarlet Nexus has that in spades, you know? It has, like, like its tracks evolve, like, you know, for a good number of them. It's, yeah. It, it's, it's, like, a, it's, in, a, it's a really in, tough cut, because, like... Yeah, it, in, in another world... world it, yeah. In another world, if I decided to be like, oh, hey, Scarlet Nexus is on Game Pass. I should play it before the game the year cast. And I might have like gone to bat for the soundtrack because like just those bits and pieces like, man, this is my jam. Yeah, there there was like one category that Scarlet Nexus would excel in. It's probably music, honestly. But it's a a, a tough cut. It's a tough cut. All all of these are tough cuts. Uh, Blue Reflection. Chow and uh, who else had played it? Maybe Quentin. Um, are you going to dig your heels in for this one again? All of these are tough cuts, but would you would yes, you go to bat I, for this I, over the rest? I, I like this, but I I think Josh is swinging me over too. To oh Lost yeah, Judgment, so you've already so. yeah you've already voted for Lost Judgment, and but again, Blue Reflection surprisingly strong contender here in the soundtrack category. Yeah, it's, Blue it's, Reflection it's and Ryza cool. too have the same composer yes, and the same developer. Same same developer and same same composer. Oh, it is okay. So we had two Gus soundtracks. So Rise of Two is still in the cards here. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Uh, I, think, I think when it's coming down to it, I I, I think Near Near has to go. Then, no. I think the fact that Near doesn't give you a soundtrack toggle is just like a mark against it, and any mark against any of these is gonna. Hurt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that, that's the thing that I, I didn't thought, like you know reviewed. I was mm-hmm. like, I wish there was a soundtrack toggle. <laughs> 
All right, we listened to a few tracks from Neo, The World Ends With You. I think the thing that marks that marks against Neo is that a lot of it, a lot of the soundtrack, like 50% of it or more, is either the original game or remixes of the original game. There are new tracks, but most of it, To be, believe, fair, to be fair, like the remixes in Neo are pretty significantly different in some Yeah, way. I'm just trying to think of anything that's like a mark against these, okay? So. Yeah. Okay. Honestly, that one is my favorite. I would put my vote with that. But if we're going to do, um, if I wasn't gonna vote for Riza, I would vote for Neo. So we've so got who's uh, voted and who hasn't voted. So uh, we we're missing Alex, we're missing people. Alex's vote because his was for Cyberpunk. And so mine. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's your. So I mean, I would probably it would be Neo after Cyberpunk for me. Ooh, All right, okay. then I will switch to Neo. And then, okay, it's clear, clearly not Shin Megami Tensei for my currently outstanding vote. Uh, I think Shin Megami Tensei has a, has a handful of good tracks, but it's, like Josh said, it's not as good as 4 overall. So it's I kind of feel, I wouldn't feel right voting for it. Cause it's like, I, I see it as like a weaker soundtrack compared to 4, even though it's still pretty good, oh, but not as good. I'm going to go ahead um, and hop off Atelier and go with Lost Judgment. Um, since we're <laughs> pretty here. Like, as soon as, soon oh, as one see, is like pulling ahead, it's like, no. Um, <laughs> so I, well, haven't, I haven't voted, and who else hasn't voted? Well, out of the three games that are left here, which is Lost Judgment, two. Neo, and, I think we're, we're taking off Atelier. Atelier. Oh, we, 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 t- we took off Atelier. So two games left. I played Neo, I, just, I haven't played Lost Judgment. Yep, I'm gonna put in that. So, track. like, I've listened to the tracks that you played for Lost Judgment, but you know, I'll, I have to vote for Neo. Oh, Neo! Uh, I this is only this is only one of three like themes during battle because you're switching styles, and each style in combat has a different tune, just like the first one. But the tunes in here are much better. They're really good. Well, the the snake style is new in Lost Judgment, so that's uh, adding on to. We needed an, we needed an odd number of participants next year. That's a requirement. <laughs> <laughs> man, man, Josh, mm-hmm. I wish I'd played Lost Judgment so I could vote for it. I wish more people played Lost Judgment here. All right. I, I played ten of the games on this list, but that's not enough. <laughs> yeah, Save same. it, Adam. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's Neo. funny. I love Neo's soundtrack. For the record, I don't want to sound like I was like rabidly against it. I just the, what a year! What an absolute year for yeah. For so very similar to uh, the writing and storytelling. Oh, I guess it's the opposite case because in writing and storytelling. Um, Neo won over, or sorry, I want to make sure I get this straight. Writing and storytelling, Lost Judgment just barely eked out Neo with a tally, and now we have Neo just barely eking out Lost Judgment. So I, I guess what this is kind of is like a prelude to our top five, maybe top one. Like these two games are going to stick around apparently when it comes to the master list: Neo, the ones with you, and Lost Judgment, because this is two I, battles I think in that's a row one... where they've been head to head. We're gonna say Adam. I think that's one reason why talking about the categories first makes sense because when we get to like the master list, we've already discussed various aspects of like the strong contending games. So, 
Yeah. And again, a lot of this was just like reset the timeline and make the arguments again. This could have easily gone the other way for the next category. Uh, this is going to be design and immersion, which is admittedly kind of a nebulous topic that's up for interpretation. But this is specifically talking about like gameplay mechanics uh, when a game is more than the sum of its parts or uh, how a game helps you feel like a part of it rather than a spectator or how it uses a, a certain aspect unique to this medium to sell a particular part of its storytelling basically it can be any sort of bespoke design intent that's worth recognizing so the difficult thing about this is that when i go through the uh the the nominees here it kind of what it was specifically nominated for might be obvious or it might not be so we, we might have to go through that as we deliberate amongst the contenders here so the contenders for best design and immersion we've got dungeon encounters noja Wildermyth, Fuga Melodies of Steel, Persona 5 Strikers, Tales of Arise, Voice of Cards, The Isle Dragon Roars, East Nine Monstrum Knox, Fantasian, and Atelier Ryza 2, Lost Legends and the Secret Fairy. Uh, so I, for this one, I think I kind of have to go through the list and say, um, who nominated this and what was your specific thought process in the nomination? So we have a couple new entries here, and including the very first one, Dungeon Encounters. Uh, Adam, I'm going to make the assumption that you nominated this. Uh, why would you, or I guess, can you confirm or deny? Why would you nominate this? Yeah. <laughs> why, why, why would you nominate this? Dungeon Encounters, tell me about it. So, yeah, I did nominate this. I, I nominated this primarily for the like the intent of the game. It's from Hiroyuki Ito who is the director of Final Fantasy IX. He took over on 12. He he created the ATB system. He was influential in the Gambit system for Final Fantasy. So he's he's like a mechanical... He's like one of the founding fathers, like kind of the unsung founding fathers of Final Fantasy in a way, more on the technical gameplay aspect side. And he's even stated in interviews that like he primarily focuses on things like gameplay implementation and balance and things like that. So that the, the storytelling, more like narrative creative people don't have to worry about it. That's kind of like his thing. So Dungeon Encounters is sort of like his return. Like after 10 years of absence, he hasn't been like seen since like Final Fantasy 12 or whenever. Um, so Dungeon Encounters is really honing in on just like, it's basically stripping a game to its barest functional minimum in terms of, uh, encounter design and battle. This is going to be very technical. This isn't narrative at all, but like how how the game works in terms of exploring a dungeon, um, going from one floor to the next, how you encounter enemies, how does the game scale up from floor to floor, um, the balance in battle in terms of um, in terms of how do you how do you approach battle in terms of like the the enemies how we want to take them out in a very efficient way because you cannot take damage there's a lot of resource management in here very very rudimentary but uh it's kind of like got this subtle complexity to it but it's still very simple it's just um it's really hard to explain i guess it's just like well i think taking a game to its minimum go ahead i was just gonna say it sounds like it's um, it's probably very very not probably almost certainly very very hard to balance a game so that it stays interesting because you, you tune it too t- too tightly and you end up with a frustrating experience that's no fun you tune it too loosely and it ends up being like 
you know, thought process doesn't matter. You know, you have too many resources and it ends up being not engaging. Or here it's like, all right, how do we, t- how do we tune this to a T and cut out all the fluff of, you know, all the stuff that's, you know, ext- ext- extraneous or whatever. It kind of reminds me of like the same philosophy around Scarlet Grace, which was our winner two years ago um, for overall. And that it's sort of like, what if we took an RPG and we just took out components that aren't really necessary? Like this game does not have a story. It doesn't. It has like an opening paragraph and like an ending paragraph and then some like flavor text in the menus and that's it. Um, and the dungeon design itself is mostly, it looks like if you haven't seen this game, it, it almost looks like a like graph paper of like strips of graph, graph paper and you're just literally moving from like square to square. And the objective is to basically find the way to the next floor. But there's also other things like hidden paths that lead to new characters, weapons, puzzles. There's a couple of puzzles that are like math-based puzzles. Um, so basically, I put it in this category mostly just to commend it for like this really narrow but focused you know, intent of what this game is. And I appreciate it for doing that. Um, the thing so- is, is that it is a type of RPG that is basically tailored to a very specific type of RPG player. So you kind of have to like fit in that narrow window if this game is interesting to you or not. And it is, I am, I do fit in that window, but it is a hard game to recommend unless you are a very specific type of player. Well, yeah, I also on- fit in that window, and I just think that it is, um, it's almost like playing a very, and I don't, and I do not mean this in a in a in a derogatory way. It's almost like playing a early tech demo in a weird way it's like this is the shell around which they would go this is a really good idea and now we'll build the rest of the game um but they just put put a very basic frame around it instead and said please enjoy the mechanics and yeah i i loved it it's really really fascinating it's it's like they're letting it stand for itself like this is the core of the game it doesn't need the trappings of everything else that just might detract from what this you know this foundation that we have all right in the interest of time we have other games to get to uh noja is the second game on this list oh boy uh this is also a one that's very very hard to explain so i will take a lot of elements from my review uh because i laid it out pretty uh clearly there but uh, the basics are your you actually make a character. You are a participant, and uh, in this RPG, you are making a character. Um, you the whole game is uh, basically making an RPG around the werewolf or mafia style game. You do have stats and you do have uh, abilities, but you uh, you are basically essentially going through time loops, uh, and you're trying to figure out why you're even time looping in the first place. So the core goal of Nozia's gameplay is to determine who the humans and who the Nozia are. The Nozia are like the werewolf equivalent. And Among us. Thank you. On the surface, Nozia are indistinguishable from humans, but have the unique ability to lie. They are uh, they're the threat to humanity and able to eliminate uh, humans uh, to the point where their numbers are equal or outnumber the remaining humans, just like, you know, werewolf or mafia. And all this takes place on some sort of spaceship, and discussion previously lasts for five five rounds on that spaceship's bridge. Uh, early on, uh, players like will feel powerless because they lack the stats or skills like similar to most other RPGs. So after five, pounds, uh, five rounds of pointing figures, 
uh, back and forth on whom the nausea may be. Everyone votes on what individual they feel should be put into cold sleep. Uh, this process is a compromise with the sp- uh, spaceship's AI, uh, Levi, Levi, who would rather simply self-destruct to ensure no nausea make it out alive, guaranteed. But the sur- survivors thought of a more humane method to go about it. So, you know, after getting a small taste of how nausea is played, players are given the ability to travel through time to repeat the, pro- uh, to repeat the process all over again, through the- though their stats, learn skills, and even relationships are persistent throughout the entire game. So the first 20 loops uh, slowly introduce more characters and modifiers that throw a wrench into the gameplay. Uh, these modifiers are like a handful of special roles that any character can be, uh, be pre-assigned uh, with from loop to loop. Most of these, I, Let me just interrupt you real quick as you're, as you're reading through that. I remember when I was watching you play this and also on an earlier podcast, like when you were playing this game, as me as just an observer... It, 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 the game being a time loop has that sort of Groundhog's Day effect where like you weren't even reading the dialogue. You kind of already knew like, oh, this person's going to say this right now and I'm going to say yeah. this. So so this person's going to do this thing and I'm going to do this thing. Like you were kind of just like, you already knew what they were going to say and what was going to happen. And you kind of knew what you wanted to do to manipulate that loop to like learn a new thing, um, to get a new element, um, to progress a stat or a relationship in the game. And you were just kind of like navigating your way through these kind of repeated loops like these repeated dialogues that you were already like you were so in tune with it that um you it it was it was kind of fascinating to watch as an observer that you just kind of knew exactly what was what was going to happen and like what was what you were trying to like what you were trying to accomplish in that loop to like actually get to the end of the game It it was fascinating to see yeah because you just you just learn these things over time as you go through loop and loop and loop because like no other game i can think like perfectly encapsulates like this hopeless, isolated feeling, like a time traveler must have as they loop and loop again, as they find like lead, try hoping to find leads on their current situation. It's like an RPG solely built off of like verbal Fafia style mechanics, and like every participant has their own stats and abilities too that surface in the game naturally. So like Rakio, for example, has a low charm stat, so she's usually the first to be voted off and thought of as a nausea uh, because she's. She does. She doesn't have a like. She's not great at like making a case for herself. And like this is the kind of thing that only works as a video game, and like in no other medium. Like I can I can keep on like you know listing off like how this game is played. But at the end of the day, it like it is such a like immersive game because you yourself are a character and you're like gaining experience as you both win and lose like these time loops and this whole. this whole game and it's like and you're trying to piece together like the narrative because uh as you learn as you learn and find out what you're trying to your main goal is one you're trying to figure out why you're time looping and two you're trying to piece together what is going on like with these characters that you meet and play werewolf with so you're trying like there'll be certain like conditions where like you'll unlock events uh in a loop so like say like hey this character is now anosia and they're meeting with you like at, at a certain like event in the game where you learn more about them. So just because they're nosia doesn't mean they're inherently like bad people. They're just like with different goals, different perspectives. So it's just it's it is one of the most immersive games I've played this year, if not the most immersive game. It is such a a tightly tuned design game that I, I may go into as like as we start trimming off more and more candidates but 
I think they should stay on 100%. The next one is Wildermyth, which we talked about this on a recent episode of our regular podcast. Uh, but for new listeners like Adam, I, I know based on the discussion with you just a couple of weeks ago, why you put this here. Uh, maybe you can just kind of give us like the uh, the Cliff Notes version of it. I assume I'm the only one who's played this, but it it would have been a shame for it to not be in this in this category. Like this is the category it was built for. I'm not saying it'll win, but like this is the category that like it had to be mentioned. Wildermyth is a PC RPG, so it's only on PC. And what it basically is in a very simplified, oversimplified nutshell is uh, it's like a D&D campaign where the story is procedurally generated from like, it's, it's not like a bespokely written story. It's basically generated from hundreds of different story bits stitched together. And the DM is basically an AI, like it's just randomized. There's, of course, like some bespoke parts that are written, but most of it comes together just from like random circumstances throughout, like how characters are fit into an algorithm. You basically pick a set of characters you go through the various events and you can even play it in co-op and it's basically the, the the design part of this is where this fits into this um category it's it's this procedurally generated narrative in terms of how these stories come together and it's it's pretty much unique to you and how one person must, might play through a campaign might be very different than how the next person plays through it because it is based off of both randomness and the things you decide to do in the campaign. And so it's really well done, that part of it. I don't think I was as high on this game as some people were. Like The reason why I played it was because it uh, had really good word of mouth. And I don't think it led up to those expectations, maybe. But that procedurally generated design definitely earned it a nomination in this category. So just in the interest of... of Obviously, we are going to have to make more decisions later. It sounds like since you're, uh, I do agree. Yeah, cut it, go ahead and cut it. it off. Yeah, like I'm the only one who could bat for it, really, and I just don't think I'm willing to that much. But, yeah, but I'm yeah, obviously, definitely glad that we can and gave it at least a little bit of a spotlight based on the, yeah. the fact that it does do things so differently. It's very, very unique. The, like it's nothing. It's not like we had 39 games listed in our long list before. It's like, unlike any of them it's or anything else I've played. It's very unique. Another newcomer that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, and that's Fuga melodies of steel. And I think this is the one that most people have played on this list besides Fantasian and tales for rise. Um, the thing that stood out with me with Fuga and the reason why I gave it such a high score in my review was how well I thought the game was designed around the idea of uh, resource management and how pretty much every little aspect of the game's design kind of played into it. Like a, a small example is that in between stages, you have these um, vendors you can talk to to create items for different um well, equal or greater items, depending on like the number or whatnot. You don't have shops. You don't have currency. There's nothing that you get in the game for free necessarily. You always have to make a choice. Like when you're the the way that the levels themselves work is that there are diff there is a single like timeline, and then there are branches on the timeline that lets you know well, this one's harder, this one's easier, or even in some cases, this one's like kind of in between. And the reason that that works is that 
you're constantly having to decide, well, if you take the tougher route, you'll get, you have the potential to get more experience, to get more items, to get like, basically, if you feel confident, you want to do the the harder route. But if you're, if you're already like running low on resources, like maybe you're like magic points, I forget what it's called, like EP, I think is running low, then you want to, uh, reserve it for the boss battle or something. Or if you're like, well, I'm under leveled, so I need to push forward. I need to take that risk. And so much of the game feels balanced around that. Like during the intermissions, you only have a limited number of action points that you can use to upgrade specific parts of your tank and your units, uh, to, uh, grow, um, stuff at the farm or the garden to cook foods for buffs and whatnot. And one aspect of the game is if you overextend yourself and your and some of your kids in the tank gets hurt, you need to let them rest or else they're at danger of either becoming um, unusable or you're going to have to rest them anyways if they're unusable. Um, and it's really fascinating how so much of the game really kind of feeds into that core gameplay philosophy and when i was playing through the game it was just like for me it's so very rare that you that you play a game that seems so utterly focused on a core design element and for me fuga like really stood out with how much the game was designed around that element almost very similar it does to dungeon encounters yeah Fuga is definitely the type of game that if you're the type of person who has to have like if you if you like grinding or if you like collecting all the things like Fuga doesn't let you really do that because you have to make decisions in terms of like uh, what resources do I use what how do I spend my limited units of time on um, to like prepare for the next battle you can't just you know oh grind up or get ninety nine of an item or grind up levels because you can't do that. You have to just make, make a decision and go for it. And the game is balanced pretty well around it where I don't think you have to worry about like getting stuck or anything like that, but um, it's just intensive enough that you do have to consider it. Right. And it's like, I, I just love that about it. And it's like, obviously it's one part of the greater whole, but I feel like Fuga wouldn't be nearly as good if it didn't have that, or focus that it really like sticks to. Now the remaining games in nomination for design and immersion are games we talked about before. So some of these we've already discussed at at length in other categories. Uh, first one is Persona Five Strikers, which I suppose only showed up in the music category before. I assume it was nominated here specifically for adapting to an action muso style uh, combat system. Yeah, um, I, I just thought it was really impressive how they were able to adapt, like you know, a lot of Persona 5's mechanics into that Muso style way better than I would think. Because even even like by I, I play a lot of like Dynasty Warriors S games, like Muso games, and like this is like one of the best uh, ones in that genre. Like the way they adapted MP and how you have like still have like the Demon Fusion mechanic and how that surfaces in the game, and like it's it's just all really cool. Like the Baton Pass system. And the, the way they uh, structured like unique palace layouts for that game. You know what I'd say though, I don't think it's as good at that as Hyrule was. Mm. Ooh, oh. I would also argue that I feel like 
the the Muso game that's implemented like aspects of a series that crossed over with the best was still Fire Emblem Warriors. Like I, I'm still like I will still maintain that if it had a better roster with more unique move sets, it would be the best Muso game. Well, I, I, like I said, I just thought it was really cool. I don't think it wins this. If, I, if it was up to me, like I, I wouldn't like bet for this as the winner of this category, but the one. Uh, but I just I, I thought it was worth uh, shouting out. No, that's 100%, you know, part of the reason why we go through the nominations is that to kind of recognize and commend that it did so well here. Just because it doesn't come out on top doesn't mean it's not worth bringing it up. Uh, but this next one, I hate to like poison the well, but Tales of Arise, I'm looking at this and I'll I'll be honest. I'm like, why is this here? <laughs> why is Tales of Arise a nomination for design and immersion? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't think even I put that there. I'm not. Oh, sure. I was going to say, like, am I bullying yeah. <laughs> by, by doing this? I mean, I, uh, I no. I mean, I guess maybe in like some sleeping fugue, I was just kind of like, oh, I put this here. I'll put it here too. But no, I don't think there's anything that really stands out about the game that that warrants its justification here. All right, so I do think Tales of Arise is a competent game, uh, but just it has a really know. nice combat system. But like, I don't know Lots if it's really take way too long. It's a little bit of a. They do. There's like a specific boss uh, that, like the third lord in particular, where I, I almost started looking at my watch. It was just like, when is this guy going to give up? The, I, these uh, bosses, the bosses, especially on hard, it's like, why am I playing a Final Fantasy 14 trial in my action RPG? Uh. <laughs> yeah basically all right well we won't linger on that tills of rise we'll discuss more at length in the full list but not a winner for design and immersion uh voice of cards the isle dragon roars uh this is another one that quentin would be the only one here being able to speak to in terms of design and immersion uh, you know it's well, funny I've, I've played a bit of it but what i would say is square oh. release two i didn't feel particularly strongly about the music which is why i didn't really talk about it but Square Release 2, um, lovely games, the lovely small games, uh, both of which, in quick succession, both of which are on this list, and this is definitely the less interesting of the two. This Between this and Dungeon Encounters is what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. So, Yeah, I, I mean, that's exactly what I was going to lead with. Um, everything that I could say about Voice of Cards, to some extent or another, I feel like has has been stated about Dungeon Encounters. I mean, it's a completely different game. Uh, the experience of, of jumping into it is somehow like eerily similar. Like Dungeon Encounters feels like this shell that is intentionally presented as this shell. I don't know that that's how I would say Voice of Cards is per se. Like it feels more fully realized for, for what it is, but it like elicits the same feeling in me of this feels like a design sketch for like a full-blown thing and yet it feels complete in its own right it's yoko taro being given a blank check maybe not the biggest blank check on the list but being given this blank check and and being told like um here do something weird and and get your team to do something weird and the way that the story plays out you know, I think a lot of people look at this game like from just a couple of screenshots and say, oh, it's like an RPG with with cards. It's a card battling RPG. Well, OK, but it, there's something about the way that the presentation, the story is like it's like you're jumping into a D&D &D game, except the DM 
happened to bring cards instead and said, let's just do it through here and give this a shot. And it works out pretty well in the end. I'm, I've had a great time with it. And I think um, there's nothing that I would put it on the list for particularly other than this category, but at this category, just the way that the monster design is shown, the way that the story is just kind of like, suddenly this happens. What do you do? Here are your cards. You can decide is it's unlike anything else I've played this year. And I, I really enjoy it. And I think it, it definitely has a place on this list. Uh, the, uh, the next one, we've got East nine Monstrum Knox. Uh, it's, it's another one I put on the list, not to say because I thought I would win it, but I just wanted to uh, put special attention to. I really like kind of the, the change of pace that it has for a East game. It's more about exploring and unlocking districts on this prison city of Balduke and like navigating that city around with the Monstrum powers was uh, was a real treat. I, I really enjoyed movement in that game. It really fun. It was really fun to like just kind of like run up buildings, lie to buildings, and just like kind of run around in it. Um, that's kind of the why. I, I was immersed in it for the time that I was. It's yeah, almost it, like a Zelda type progression in terms of now I have the tool or in this case, the character that allows me to glide or allows me to run up walls or whatever. Yeah. East nine is a ton of fun to play. Um, my one problem with it from a design standpoint is how much of it, it just wholesale rips from ease eight. And I'm not sure if it necessarily fits like the whole like um tower defense section it's like oh yeah it works it's it, it's, it's better than how gsa did it but still it's like it still kind of sucks yeah and i think just by the fact that we can say yeah this aspect of the game outright sucks i think east nine's a great game probably should be kicked <laughs> i also wasn't really a fan how a lot of the combat in that game like just against normal enemies are these like little like pools in the city I don't know. That never really like gelled with me. Like these little yeah. like, orbs you run into, and then like a five monsters pop out. <laughs> uh, the next one is Fantasian, and I feel like unless someone specifically nominated it for a very particular reason, that a lot of Fantasian that we talked about in terms of it winning our art category, kind of like we don't want to double dip and give it the same credence here for design obviously these things are interlinked yeah 100 percent agreed it's very well, safe no, in I, terms of design yeah I, I i didn't i think i was actually the one to put it down uh, i didn't put it down for the art style here i put it down for the um, bosses the bosses yeah oh no yes. that's actually now that i think about it mm, that's actually uh i think valid because so I have, this is the most recent game that I've been playing right before. I was, I played like four hours out of yesterday. I'm like 60 hours in. I'm not at the end, but I'm in like the, the end game. And the bosses are so tightly tuned in terms of basically Every taking a... the puzzle. Yeah, it's... I, we talked about with Dungeon Encounters how making so just that the pure backbone of the game is engaging in terms of not being too frustrating or not being too easy and brainless and making it so that you the, the designers know that you have these tools and you have these characters and they have these abilities and you, you have these ways to to interact with the game. And now we're going to put this challenge in your way, whether it's a, a sand serpent or, uh, you know, a, a knight arbiter, and you are going to have to figure out what tools you need to uh, apply to overcome this part of the game. And it's so tightly tuned where like, even when I knew it, when, even when I had come to like, realize a high, realize what the game is asking of me, uh, 
it still like requires really smart execution, really smart forethought. And there's, I've had a few close calls where if a, if a, if a battle had gone on like one or two rounds longer, I would have failed, but I was able just to pull it out at the end just because I yeah. was able to put it all together. The real genius behind this game, and I'd like just to give some you know context for listeners, is think about like in like your standard uh, RPGs, like the way like uh, the idle animation of a of an enemy. You don't really think of th- think much about it. It's like some some of them will have like little twirls or cute animations, but you don't really think much about it. It's like okay, cool. Like the way that ba- that uh, enemy uh, animates is cool. But in in Fantasian, that is like so key on like trying to, on figuring out how you even like work a battle. Uh, because the idle animation of bosses in Fantasian, especially part two, is like you really need to pay attention to what they're actually doing to understand like where their, where their openings are and when to attack. Because when you attack is so important to what they're doing in their idle animation. Because some in some in some ways that's how you deal damage, and you won't do anything, and you can't deal damage anyway else. Yeah, like Fantasian. One of, brilliant. Yeah, one of the main aspects of Fantasian's design in the battle system is it's completely turn-based, but it manages to make it so that timing is still an aspect of it through both, well, not just timing, but positioning, because like you have all of these attacks that can be like you have to aim them for line. Some of them they can shoot through, like and they pierce others like magic. You can literally curve. So it's like throwing out like a magic boomerang or something. And then there's like those some attacks where it's like, well, there are some enemies that will block attacks, but there are some attacks that are like arching up on the, on the Y axis and you can jump over enemies. And it basically is like a dragoon jump and it just deals damage. And it's like, yeah, I don't have to worry about this chud in front. I'll just jump over them. And it's like the way that the game forces you outright to learn how to use every member of your party is something that stood out to me because there's so many RPGs out there where it's like, here's a bunch of different party members, but most of the time you can just make a, like a party of a specific number of characters and just kind of breeze the entire game through it. Fantasian, it expects you to learn how to use each of these characters' quirks. Right, and it's not even like, you know, I think the first comparison someone might make listening in on this, um, if they haven't played firsthand, is, oh, that kind of sounds like, you know, a game where you rotate your party, like Final Fantasy X. And I, I like what FF10 does, but this is, like, on a completely different scale. Like, this is, you don't just say, oh, early on, oh, Waka is good at hitting flying enemies. I need Waka to hit flying enemies. There's just so much more going on with Fantasia. It's a little bit more masked where where it's like, here are a bunch of characters. Here's a bunch of, here's a boss. And he summons a bunch of ads in front of him that will blow up if you hit them. And it's like, yeah, you could either maybe jump over them with the, uh, with the, with the Dragoon jump or like, uh, use Ez, who has like who's like the gadgeteer of the group, and vacuum all the enemies to the side of the arena so that they're physically out of the way. So it's not quite as like paint by numbers, where it's like flying enemy Waka, armored enemy Arin. It's a little bit more. Here's here's a, here's an obstacle. Figure out what tool you have in your kit to get over it. Yeah, and one of my favorite encounters was the one with uh, I forget her name. What? Uh, who is the uh, purple haired girl again? Yim Carol. Cheryl? No, no. Cheryl, Cheryl, yeah, like her trial where you're basically doing it and she has to attack the main 
enemy, but in behind him, there are these knights that are color-coded, and you need to hit them with the right magic to deal damage, because I believe, because if you don't take them out, they will deal more damage than you can put out, and it's like a DPS race. And so many bosses are like that, but it doesn't feel bad most of the time. And it's just, it's really fascinating how different each of the bosses in the game are. And even when they bring back bosses from like the first half and the second half, they do just enough to change things up that they still feel fresh. And it's like, I just, I had a great time with uh, Fantasian's battle system. And I, it really can't be under uh, overstated just how engaging the boss battles were. There's a late game boss that does these sort of like it's kind of like a mega flare where he charges it up and blasts. I actually don't know if Brian's gotten that far. Actually, is this the final boss I'm talking about? Maybe. Yes. I don't remember. Yes. You're thinking of the where, final boss. I remember like uh, Zinnikir is really really useful in that fight because of how he can like um, basically do like this. He he can basically he he can work as a tank. Like he can buff up your party and then he can guard. And I actually, that was like one of the only, that, that was an, an example of an encounter where like I was actually swapping in, in and out characters all the time, depending on what like phase the boss was in. And like, all right, I got to get my defensive phase up, like bring in Zaniker, Leo, and um, the main girl, whose name I forget. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like bring them all in. Like that's kind of like my, that was like my defense party um, and like kind of like resistant party. And then like, all right, now uh bring in my attack party after that and i was like swapping in and out characters all the time and like you have to do that to win you can't just like pick a party of three and like yep these are the three best characters to go with like no you have to it's very situational you have to go with certain teams at certain times um all right so, really so cool. clearly fantasian stays on the list a uh, last one uh atelier rise of two lost legends and the secret fairy i kind of already made my argument earlier where i said i'm not sure if this would be fitting for the story category or the design category for what it's worth. I do feel like it does deserve props for how it kind of blurs the line there. And I think that the way the method for, for which you're delivered the story is really fascinating and you don't really see that in games, but I am, I'm not quite ready to chop it off the list, but if I had to choose, I would definitely go to bat more for Fuga or Fantasian. So I guess that means, yeah, we're chopping. Yeah, I was, was going to say, like, uh, in the interest of getting this list pared down, another one of those cases where we, we I'm glad we were able to speak to Atelier Rise's design intent here in a couple different contexts. Uh, but it's just it merely it just falls short in both categories. But, but we've given it plenty of plenty of its due. Uh, in yeah, this I'm, not, I'm not even sure if it's like in the, in the sense that it's fallen short. It's just that other games were above it. So. Yeah, right. Uh, based on the ones that we still have on the list, one of the ones that I didn't seem like it was as strong of a feeling was the voice of cards. The Owl Dragon Roar is basically how, even when we were talking about it, Quentin said that it sounded like Dungeon Encounters kind of accomplished at least a very similar sort of intent more strongly, where voice of cards is more this clear trying to make it, trying to give it like this theming of an analog card tabletop style game, where Dungeon Encounters kind of does, here's the, here's the core foundation of what an RPG is. So are we okay taking off voice of cards? Yeah, I like both those games quite a bit. Um, but in the final telling, it's just one of those situations where there are other games on this list that I think stand out that much more. They're just very experimental, and I like that. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, 
We've got the four remaining for design and immersion are Dungeon Encounters, Noja, Fuga Melodies of Steel, and Fantasian. Another one where I'm like, I'm going to be stepping on someone's toes the, the moment I decide, like, how strongly do we really feel about Fuga? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't want to just pick out of a hat, but I guess I just did that. I, if I have to pick one, it'd be Fuga to get rid of. I... Yeah. I would take care. I, I I really like Fuga a lot. I really like the way it's tuned, but if if it comes down to this list, do I think the thing with Fuga is that it's not really so much a novelty with the resource management. Just the way that it's intermingled with the entire like game is what really stands out to me. And yeah, the, like, the way it contextualizes it is very neat. Yeah, and it's like if. If this is supposed to be for like design and immersion, it's a very nebulous category. And if the argument is, okay, how like novel is it versus how tightly designed is it? I would say that out of the games on this list that I've played, Fuga is probably the tightest designed. And I think that has to count for something. But maybe not the most novel. Yeah. It's just unfortunate that, uh, well, we like, always have to make these hard decisions. And Adam, who also has played this, basically is like, yeah, it can go. Well, well Josh has played it too. So. Yeah, I played it too. Like, like out of these four, three of them are, they're tightly designed. One is novel and is like so far out there that so different from every, what everything else is doing. You and you're talking about Noza there, are you? Yeah, yeah. Because that, like, uh, like I said, if you're talking about, like, this is the category for it. Like, I played... Dungeon Counters, I played Fuga, I played Fantasian, and I think when it comes to the design and immersion, like I will strongly bat for Nosia because it is doing something so different. Once again, like the 13 Sentinels argument from last year, it is doing something so different in a way that it only works as a video game and in no you other way. You know what? I trust Josh's judgment here. I have not yet played Nosia, but as the one person that has played every game on this list, I will I will go back I will go to bat with him. I've actually played three out of these four games. And the one I would vote for is the one that I didn't play, Nosia. Ooh, I, I, I watched I watched Josh play it, a good chunk of it, and like I'm sold on it. I think like both Fuga and Dungeon Counters and Fantasian, none of those are like incredibly novel. Like nothing that Dungeon Counters does is new. It's more just like stripped down, like the, the very basics, and it's super tight. And Fantasian's boss battles are like really, really cool and really well balanced and really well designed and like force you to like think and engage with the systems really, really well. But like Nosia is just doing something completely different and new that no other game I've played has really done something like that. Based on that premise alone, I'm putting my vote for for Nosia too. Because I don't know, I don't find all like the things about Fantasian to be hyped for me. I feel like I played a game similar to this before or something like that in the old old FF, but I don't know. That's just me looking at it. So it, it, I, uh, it goes back to that thing of it's not that novel, same with Fuga. Yeah, so I'm putting my vote for Nozia as well. Okay, I mean, like, I don't need to put it because it looks like it's a majority, but I did read about Nozia a bit ago because one of my mutuals played it, and it did seem very interesting, and I have it just sitting in my backlog, but I, yeah, I'd say it's worthy of it. Well, since I know that my vote doesn't matter, I'm going to be like, damn it, Fantasian's great. 
go back to, or whatever. Well, Fantasian won the, <laughs> the other category. That's so that's good. true. Uh, but Fantasian, I really like. So many turn-based RPGs, I feel like, are so easy to break wide open and be like, where you end up, no, you're you're only experiencing like the story and the narrative, and the gameplay kind of falls by the wayside. Where Fantasian is tuned, where it doesn't allow that to happen. But I'm only, yep. I'm only, I'm only. The only reason I'm sticking on this is because I know my vote doesn't matter. That Noja ended up, uh, you know, uh, like taking the category. I just, I just wanted like the like let, let people know like it's probably like the most unstreamer friendly game ever. And like I, I feel bad for Adam like watching you play it because it's a game where you as you the more you play it and the more you understand it, the more you kind of autopilot as you're trying to go for the ending and trying to like trigger events in it. So like you just like you grow as a player inside that game and learn the ins and outs of like what people are like you learn about every single person in that game what their tendencies are naturally and fluidly because you've gone through it again and again and again much like a time traveler would like it conditions you in such a weird natural way that flows and you're like i'm a fucking time traveler now it <laughs> yeah i mean i'll stick with fantasian just on on basically what brian said like and also just you know i've played it i haven't played Nusia, but i i mean i will say that i have i'm extremely interested now in playing Nusia, which i don't know that i would have said before this it was like a six out of ten on the hype meter um it's like a 10 now so thanks for that everybody is Nusia out on steam yet no, no nope. yeah, it says coming soon. Like, is, has there been any news? No, <laughs> there's some. Remember, Playism was supposed to have that event and it got canceled. Thanks, yeah. YouTuber. Nah, it's their own damn I know, fault. I know, I know it's bigger than that, but yeah, anyway. So, to recap, though, <laughs> I, uh, for I, best I really, really hope more people played Noja. Like, I, I hope and pray it is for best design and immersion. Noja wins out over Fantasian. The next category that we're going to be going into is ongoing support. So these are games that I've seen continuous updates, either being due to them being live service and just getting periodic live updates or added on to with a more conventional expansion or DLC packs. Any sort of substantial update that keeps players coming back to these games years after they've launched. In this category, we've got Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, and uh, keep an eye on that one, Genshin Impact, Monster Hunter Rise, Monster Hunter Stories 2 Wings of Ruin, The Outer Worlds, Wasteland 3, Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade, Tales of Crestoria, and Cyberpunk. Now, at the top of this, I did mention hours ago that our coverage for this Game of the Year podcast is from December to December. What that means is, is anything that released in December of 2021 is not in consideration. So for Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, we're talking about any updates from December 2020 through November 2021 and not talking about Endwalker, which is why we specified Shadowbringers. In other words, it's being axed because 5.4 and 5.5 are not really significant updates. All right, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll three was the good one, right? We'll just start there then. Uh, so yeah. uh, we have a few people on staff that play Final Fantasy fourteen, and if five point three was twenty nineteen or sorry twenty twenty, and then five point four and five point five are basically what we're in consideration here for this year. You saying that that's basically not worthy of being considered for best ongoing support? Yeah, not a not really massive. Uh, it was update. basically like a. 
massive content drought for for the longest time apparently from what i heard from my friends but the thing is there was a mass exodus of players coming in so it's fresh content to them right so yeah yeah unfortunately just the the whole ff14 endwalker delay back into december really threw a wrench into you know yeah yeah this this was endwalker's year to win but next year it's going up against elden ring and it's like i remember as soon as it was delayed josh was like oh no the game of the year. It's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> this is this is just tragic because I mean I, I blitzed well not really blitzed. I I took a very long time, but I, I caught up with uh, FF14 relatively recently myself, and I hadn't really thought about it consciously before that 5.3 was like just outside our cutoff range, and I agree that 5.4 and 5.5. I mean they're fine, but they're not going to win this. And then Endwalker is just outside the content range, so it feels like FF14 is just being like dragged Boxed through the ringer out. here yeah, yeah but I, I, mean, next year. I, I can't pick it yeah. either <laughs> i mean <laughs> oh, looking, at the, yeah. looking looking at the demographics of this uh, game of the year cast if endwalker had come out three days earlier it would be our game of the year i, I have no doubts in my mind but now sorry yeah. endwalker now you now you face star ocean next year <laughs> yeah. oh, no no so okay so, uh, pe- uh, so i can't continue- wait to have people um looking not at the divine our- force looking at our published piece on the site and like, how could you not give it to Final Fantasy XIV? Well, oh if you listen to us here, you know why. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. guess we had to like explicitly like state it like in the headline. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Put it in bold at the very beginning of the article yeah. and Walker probably would have won it, but it didn't count. <laughs> well, who knows? Who knows? You know. Um, but I'm just going to be... In a similar vein, in a similar vein, we cannot count Endwalker this year, but that that means we can count Cyberpunk because it's from oh. last year, and it's gotten some updates, ongoing support of the year. Yeah, <laughs> remember, remember the timeline, okay? The timeline. Stick to the timeline. Oh yeah. I mean, uh-huh. we put this in here as a bit of a joke, right? Like, like yeah. Christ, because they, yeah, they they haven't been able to keep their own timeline, and I know COVID and everything, but obviously, uh, given the 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 rest of the context of everything else that's gone on with that game, people are obviously feeling a bit less forgiving about. COVID stuff, and I feel sorry for people on the team. They have done a couple of actual updates, like they had some some pretty cool costumes for Keanu and stuff. Um, and I, I, yeah. I genuinely do look forward to a the next generation version of the game and some updates on PC, and b what they might do with DLC because I think they have a compelling universe and a really good map in, with which to work with, and they've got a good proven track record. Both the Witcher three DLCs were incredible. But yeah, it doesn't it, it doesn't really belong in this category. It's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was planning on playing Cyberpunk like before this deliberation, and I know they they put out patch notes that are like gigantic lists of just bug fix after bug fix after bug fix after bug fix. But it sounds like there's still like more to do. It's like I just been kind of holding off. I don't. Think, it depends on what you're playing on. I think if you're playing on a new generation console or a decent PC, the game is fine. And actually, I think on those at launch, especially on PC, it wasn't really that much more buggy than your average open world game. Than say, like remember the state of Skyrim, oh, right? Or, at launch, or whatever. Um, like I don't think it was that much worse, but it was like the performance problems on the other platforms were com- were combining with the small bugs to create much larger bugs. Um. And you know the the, the 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 previous generation. The other thing that dragged the game down right is previous generation versions um, 
sort of dragged it down in other ways. Like they, they just turned off a lot of the driving AI. <laughs> yeah. So like, um, if you just stop in the middle of the street, people won't drive around you. They'll just blow their horns forever. Um, and it's things like that where, but you, you read the behind the scenes stuff like Jason Schreier's published some stuff and stuff like that. And you realize those systems existed, but they were just coming in so hot. They were just like the easiest thing to do is just to turn them off. So hopefully in a year or two, we'll look back and it will be a much better game. And indeed you think about the Witcher three, right? And they, that people will forget this. They replaced the whole UI of that game, all the menus, cause they were fucking crap. Like mm-hmm. all the There's something about how candidly you, you stated that it's, it's all the inventory because which for you know ten out of ten game all the rest but at launch those inventory menus were so terrible they just threw them out and started over. And so, so anyways, we'll Alex is warning us that Cyberpunk might make more future appearances on the ongoing oh. support. <laughs> Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven will return. I really, yes. hope, I really, I really hope that I really hope that they do stuff that that is good enough that we return to talk about this game again. Um, I really hope, but obviously they've got a lot of work to do. Well, if we're having a Grim Reaper streak, I will take the scythe to Monster Hunter Rise. Because um, I feel like, yes, it had content updates, but, and Josh can back me up here, it feels less like content updates and more like the game uh, launched in a unfinished state and then two months later they patched in the end game yeah um it just hasn't released uh, received any significant updates ever since the what was the jet booster dragon Austrex. yeah ever since that like it hasn't really received much what about all the uh, collabs yeah side for the collabs and your sonic yeah. collab you can play as akuma uh, yeah. oh that's true never mind i'm back in it wins <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no I, I agree. Uh, yeah. On the other side of the spectrum, I actually think that Stories 2 has a legitimate shot for this. Well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I I, I just want to get this out of the way. I put Tales of Crystory on here, not because I don't like it. It was a real uh, That's a joke. That's a joke. Ender. It's like it's, it's such a weird year for Tales of Crystoria people because it launched in July or something last year. And then this year they announced that one of the summer fa- uh, gaming events, like, hey, there's a new Tales mobile game coming worldwide. It's like, and then the Crystoria players who, uh, you know, felt burned by previous Tales mobile games shutting down. That was on the right. Yeah, it's, uh, I was like, oh no, I feel sorry for you people. And sure enough, a few weeks ago, it announced being shut down. And then it, it, uh, the worst part about it is it not only ended up on a cliffhanger in the game, they announced that the, these stories of these original characters will continue in a different medium. And then they announced a few days ago, it's like, it'll continue as a comic. It's like, great, cool. What a, what a, I feel bad. I feel bad for that game a little. So, so what's on this list is, uh, I don't know if Adam was going to go to this, but the Outer Worlds was on the list, but it only had one DLC released this year. And that is Murder I, on I put, us. I put Outer Worlds and Wasteland 3 on here, kind of just out of, uh, like you know obligation like because they got dlcs this year murder on Ariadanos, i thought was actually a pretty decent dlc up until the end i touched on this earlier in this podcast like three hours ago but it is a murder mystery 
and like 80% of it is actually pretty interesting. But then it throws like a twist at the end that you can pretty much, I'll just give it away here. It's the twist is literally, I have a twin sister that no one ever knew about before. And like, Oh really? I remember like, this. Yeah. Oh. And it's just like, come on. This is like the cheapest re resolution to this mystery is like, there's two people that were the same person. Cause it's like, no one knew I had a twin. And it's just like, this is dumb. So that's, I was getting at that before. Like the, the reveal of the mystery just kind of ruins the whole thing. Just like, come on. So outer worlds. No wasteland three. It's gotten two DLCs. I played one of them. It's a, you know, it's a pretty old fashioned DLC where it's just like, so how Wasteland 3 works, Brian knows this, is that um, you kind of have like these different parts on the map that have like kind of their own little like storyline. Like you have like the Denver storyline and then you have um, uh, Colorado Springs kind of area as its own little area with its own set of NPCs and stuff. And the DLCs basically just add like a new place with its own little story. And I played Steel Town and I thought it was decent, but not like fantastic. It's just kind of like more. Like you like and it does actually introduce three. Yeah, it does actually introduce like a gimmick to the battles, which isn't great. It's just kind of like so the battles here are a little bit different. It's just like okay, it's fine, it's fine. It's just not stellar. So Final Fantasy VII Remake Integrade, obviously. The thing here, I would feel like what we're mostly talking about here is the Yuffie intermission add-on. Wouldn't that be part of the uh, re-release category, though? Well, I guess we're also talking about, like, they updated the, the, the you know, there was the, the, method or, of the, the method of the release, right, where it was... Because there's two ways to think about this, right? The first way is, yes, you've got the Yuffie, that's DLC. Uh, you've also got the re-release way of thinking. But also, don't forget... If you owned the PS4 version, you got a free upgrade to the PS5 stuff. You just didn't get the Yuffie chapter. You had to go and buy that as DLC. So I would call that pretty substantial online support. However, I don't really think that um, the update is sufficient enough. It's a pretty tame PS5 update um, on the main game. Um, and even the Yuffie chapter... Featuring it graphics. Does, it does look better, but it, <laughs> it doesn't look that much better. So, um, yeah. Yeah, with FF7 Remake Integrate, I think um, it's almost like because the base PS4 version already looks so good overall. I mean, we all know the door meme, but like because it looks so good overall, except some of those like really shoddy textures, the the mind blowing potential of how good the PS5 version is almost like sort of subdued and let down because it's it's not as big a jump as it could be purely by virtue that the game already looked pretty damn good. The other See, half, I, I would disagree yeah, like, slightly, actually. I would, I would disagree oh. slightly, actually, in the sense that, yes, it's, it's a weird thing about Integrate. Like, they replaced the door texture, but there's still so many dog shit textures in the game. Playing it on PC has really solidified this for me as well. Like, mm, in, mm -hmm. in really, there's, there's plenty of textures in that game in plain sight that are as bad as the door. It's just the door became this lightning rod. And because the door was a lightning rod, the door got sorted, but the rest didn't. Well, a lot of the rest didn't. <laughs> you would yeah, think that's, 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 yeah, that's yeah, well, 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 in that sense. Tough, man. That's, tough that's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of those textures are still pretty bad. <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's a lot of the, it's like it. a lot of the rubble uh, when you're off the beaten path Crash, when you're not yeah. when you're not when you're when you're not in like Wall Market. And that area's done super well when you're at the side of the slums and you're just seeing like the girders and tiles of dirt and they just like have really low texture work. They, you they, could argue they look like, like early PS3 textures. They look like early PS3 textures. Yeah. I you think could what argue sticks that, out you know, to me. 
Go yeah. ahead, Quentin. Oh, I was just going to say, I think what sticks out to me and like gives me this more positive impression. And now that I think about it, I agree with everything y'all are saying, but like, I remember specifically when I got to uh, later in the game, when uh, Cloud Barrett and Tifa are looking like they're overlooking on their way to Shingra Tower and they're looking at, you know, Midgar and it's like, um, it's like sunset or something. I remember when I got there on the PS4 version and they're just like, Barrett's like, never forget this site. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, I really won't because it looks like <laughs> I'm playing FF7 on like a 720p HDTV in, in 2009. It looks terrible. I won't forget this. And so at least when I got to the PS5 version, I was like, oh, I can kind of see what he's talking about now. I, I see the city. That's an improvement. Maybe but the funny thing about bad. that is when you're talking about the quality of the upgrade and the support, those backgrounds, those CG backgrounds that are in the distance that were weirdly low res on the PS4, that wasn't a um, an asset problem because if you broke into the disc, if you broke through the encryption as people did, those assets were huge. It was a data streaming problem, so it was just a platform problem. So really, it was just like the PS five version wasn't in terms of those skyboxes it wasn't so much upgraded as it was just finally showing the detail that was always there whereas a lot of the other textures that could have used an upgrade didn't get one you know what i mean i, I get what yeah. you, i get what yeah. you're saying though yeah no that's really interesting either i didn't know that or i forgot it or whatever but yeah just the context of knowing that they unchecked the box for the ps4 because of that and then they just had to click it again and that's that that's that's crazy Here's one that we have to lean on Chow a bit. Genshin Impact. And Jess. And Jess, yeah. Oh, and Jess, yes, and Jess. I don't think it's Yeah, I actually put that there. (laughs) Okay. I want to hear Jess's. Why'd you put it out of here? Well, I guess, like, first off, it's a live service game, so it receives many different updates throughout the year. There are many different events that I thought were really engaging to players where you could get materials for your characters and learn more about them. Um, they're always adding new characters that kind of mix up the meta in the game. I'm sorry. And, what is it? <laughs> I, I just wanted to really quickly as an aside, the reason why I haven't played Genshin Impact besides it being a gotcha is because of how those events will, ha- will add in content and game modes that are really fleshed out and it's FOMO and they're gone. And honestly, if there was any like specific game on this list that I wouldn't just say, oh, it's not worth it, but actively say, no, I don't want this to win, it would be Genshin just because of how actively hostile it is with getting rid of those game modes that they've developed. But there is some like, very important story modes that are completely gone and there is no way to re-experience them. Like uh, one of the best events includes Mona and Fischl from from the old version and there is no way to do it now unless you go on a YouTube video exploring watching it and it has a lot of important lores in there and you tell me well, <laughs> I want to oh, I want to yeah. I want to let Jess like finish her uh, her thoughts on when uh, like the one of the biggest updates I guess this year was the 2.0 and the following like the Inazuma region and the following updates so uh, I just want to just let let Jess finish her thoughts on the updates that came to Genshin Impact this year yeah, sorry about that. Oh, no, it's fine. I mean, I thought it was a... Those story updates were pretty interesting, and the whole new region was very um, diverse, like, compared... Well, like, I think the three regions that now exist are very different from each other, and I find that interesting. And uh, there's still much to explore that I haven't gotten to yet. Um, but there are 
some there are flaws in the story. Like for example, I think someone mentioned earlier in a podcast that um, they hate lore dumps. So do we, but we get a lot of them at the end of each of these arcs where it's like, oh, we did. It kind of seems like, oh, we didn't have anywhere to add this in, but here it is. But when it comes to ongoing support, I feel like even though there are certain game modes that don't come back and pieces of the story that are missing, I still feel that um, you know, it still keeps me interested, which is why I put it down. It's it's funny to to, to hear like you know FOMO problems because I, I, I always think about like another the, another Eden mobile game. I think that's the only like ongoing gacha mobile game that has no FOMO because everything it adds to that game, even its collabs, they last forever. Like like the the Persona Five collab that it added like in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen, it's still there. Just it's always gonna be there. And any 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 like um like special modes like like about collecting cats or or like uh an event about like you know managing a mine. I know that's not that's not a limited time event. That's always going to be there for players to like. They if they weren't there, they can, they can always like access. You know when they start the game, so it's interesting. Interesting. Another one. That's what, killed, that's what killed record record keeper for me as well. I missed a bunch of stuff, and it wasn't going to be gettable in any other way. And I was like, yeah, can't be bothered with this anymore. Yeah. So, and it probably it saved me a shitload of money. So you know, hey, hey, ho. But yeah, <laughs> I get the FOMO thing. Mister Falafasi himself. Yeah. It's now like, I fully accept that those events are really good, and those and the story's really good. I think I don't disagree with that. Like stuff I've heard about, like say the roguelike mode is really really cool. But if anything, hearing about how cool the stuff I missed and will never be able to play is just dissuades me from ever wanting to play that game because it's like. Well, that just rubs me the wrong way. So, and then, like, if you're new, you kind of need. Well, honestly, even if you just join a Genshin Impact, takes, in my opinion, it takes a little bit of time to grind to be able to experience certain events too. So it's not like something new players can just jump in and experience sometimes either. So, well, you know, that's that's the same with FF14, right? They want to get to the new expansion; they have to play everything before it. Ah, yeah, yeah, you're you're right. Yeah, they're selling boosts, though, right? That's true, but you're you're then you're like skipping like what people say is the best part. Of it. So the one game we haven't talked about yet uh, is Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I remember when this game before it released, uh, Ubisoft was on record basically saying like this would be a live service game, and they've kind of kept true to that, even though it's kind of I think fallen under the radar for our site coverage. Now I know Adam has kept up on some of the Valhalla stuff. That's insulting. It- I've covered a lot of it. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean. I mean, I didn't review it, but I posted like when it was releasing and everything. <laughs> Have you kept up to date on it on your own? Mostly. There's like Mostly. some free stuff I didn't do, but... <laughs> okay, how, so Assassin's Creed Valhalla has gotten a lot of post-launch updates, both free and paid. So it came out late last year. I reviewed it earlier this year. I'm actually not like a huge on the game. I scored it a 6 out of 10. Um, but it's the sort of thing where... So in terms of free updates... Um, obviously they do a bunch of patch fixing and whatnot, but they added a couple of modes, for example, like a river raid mode, which is sort of like a a separate game mode. And this is free where you kind of like do this sort of mini game where you're like boating down a river and you take on different settlements. Um, you're raiding on the river called river raid on the settlements on the sides and you're getting things like loot and upgrades to your ship and you can recruit and gain stronger, like 
like comrades for your raiding and like in that mode so it's kind of like almost like a mini game in, in and of itself where you kind of like upgrade your raid ship upgrade your raid team and do these raids you know better the next time and they they actually they added the river raid mode early in the year and then they added like a second part of it later in the year i did the first part and it's it's relatively fun um it uses the same combat systems that the original game has which i wasn't huge on the combat to begin with so more combat's not necessarily that enticing to me but it's you know it's a free update it's pretty good um another they also do like these uh they do do these uh these limited time events as well like there was this ostara festival and like there was a uh halloween thing as well where you get you know you might get a different tattoo or unique outfit or something if you like participated in these events so there is a little bit of a fomo thing there as well there's a few of these limited time events but is that um, is that festival but they're all, a yearly thing like you come back next year or is it more like it's gone i don't i don't remember i don't know i actually didn't participate in it because i don't if it maybe a similar maybe a similar philosophy like um if it's a one-time only thing like i don't care like i don't want to do it but um anyway uh they also do the paid updates and they, they released two expansions this year they are paid, so maybe it's worth mentioning. They are either $25 each or $40 if you get a season pass like combined. Uh, Wrath of the Druids and Siege of Paris. These are basically just kind of like the Wasteland DLCs. It's just like more. So Assassin's Creed Valhalla, if you're not aware, is basically separated into like these different regions. And each region has its contained storyline. This sounds this sound familiar. Uh where you're like each each storyline has usually has to do with like a kingdom's in peril or you have to like put someone new on the throne or you have to like settle some dispute or some ongoing oncoming battle or even war in the zone so it's it's kind of like this separated stories and basically the first DLC is uh you go to Ireland um and do a, a an event there that's based around like this druid cult and then the second DLC is Paris. You go to Paris, and this is apparently a thing that happened. Of course, now Assassin's Creed created up, where the Vikings helped the raid on Paris. Um, so it's just like <laughs> yeah. uh, you're—it's like a real thing that happened, but now now in the Assassin's Creed verse. Uh, so it's like these—it's kind of like if you really love Assassin's Creed Valhalla, this is more of it, and they're pretty substantial updates. These are paid. I'm very roughly here. I'm gonna guess like. 10 hours each more if you're doing like full exploration. Um, so they're pretty substantial, but the thing that's holding me back on like really recommending this is that I'm not that big of a fan of the game to begin with, but I'm just trying to giving you props. It like, yeah, you're, it you're some free updates. Like mediocre game. It had some free updates. Well. It had some paid updates. It had some one. They're, like, right? they're still at yeah, it. Yeah. Right? Like, like there's a they announced, new one is crossover, right? Yeah, well, they announced yeah, two more things. Yeah, they announced two more Sorry. things. So, uh, obviously, these you can't like consider these for this year's award, but there's a crossover event with Cassandra and Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where it's basically like there's a quest in Valhalla featuring Cassandra, and there's a quest in Odyssey featuring Ivor, sort of thing. Um, and then there's also a new expansion coming next year called uh, what's it called? Donna Ragnarok. It's, I'm gonna. It's worth mentioning that this Donna Ragnarok expansion is worth forty dollars. So it's that's pretty pricey. It's almost like a like a mini sequel or or something like that. Um, considering the other expansions were twenty five, so that's obviously next year. But they're kind of going all in on just like extending the life of this game. It's, it's pretty cool like to see them doing it. It's pretty cool to yeah. see them do, it. and also it's pretty cool to see them also using this to update 
Odyssey. I mean, that's particularly, yeah. How does the yeah, crossover that, stuff fit in the uh, canon? I don't know. It is that part really surprised me. Just the Odyssey thing. Like, I, it seems like Odyssey mm-hmm. has. I haven't played any of the three new ones. Admittedly, I, I literally just bought Valhalla today. Strange aside, but it seems like Odyssey has this like enduring fandom that I don't know necessarily that that the others have quite as much when it comes to like the hardcore fans. I saw a lot of goodwill on the internet as soon as they announced that thing with Cassandra. Like people, people were really- blown away. <laughs> Be like Cassandra. Yeah, they really do. It is sounding like for the purposes of best ongoing support, it, it, it's almost like we're giving a silver platter to Monster Hunter Stories 2 because we're kind of doing a, a elimination by everything else and Monster Hunter Stories 2 is the only one left on this list that's like... Well, I didn't I didn't necessarily want to cross off a holo yet. I was just sort of saying like, I'm not super duper positive on it just because I just think the game is okay. Very briefly, I really don't like the combat, and that game has a lot of combat, like almost like a stupid amount. But so we haven't had a chance to really talk about uh, Monster Hunter Stories too. And I know that both James and Adam have played significant, like tons of. I can't speak. You put a lot of time into it. Both of you have. So how do you feel about the post-release like content for that game? Because it released in May. When did it release? July. In the summer, I posted the roadmap in the. Uh, oh, the I see vineyard. it. Yeah, and it's like it's not a huge, huge, huge amount of content, but it was consistent. I think they're done now, but like I also think from like the Capcom leaks, there might be a paid expansion down the line. But it's like the game well, had a ton of content. This, yeah, yeah, it came. The game had a ton of content at launch. The rollout of the free and the big thing for me is the fact that all of this is free. Like content like over the months since has been like really really good and it's like it just it didn't feel like an incomplete game at launch it felt like it had an end game it did have an end game and then they just added on to it and they just added stuff for people to play around with in both pvp and like the end game that already existed and like adding to it and it's like it felt good it felt good it felt nice it's i don't know not much else to say about it so uh, the the end game to Monster Hunter Stories two, it's almost like a turn based version of what I understand regular Monster Hunter is like. No, I've not played regular Monster Hunter. I've only played stories where you have like gear from each monster set that you can put on, and then you can fight different monsters in like this. It's you literally go to a quest board and you can either take on these monsters like kind of solo with AI or with friends. So. Again, maybe like Monster Hunter, where you're like teaming up with friends to like take out a monster. Only it's in a turn-based system. It's very analogous. Um, yeah, I guess it's only one friend. You have like one partner that you can team up with, with like their monster and your monster. And um, so like you like these updates are mostly like for example, one of the updates added Cold Taroth um, as like a boss monster. So he's like a challenge. So you can take him on, he's free. And then once you beat him, you basically have now a new armor set, a culture off armor set and weapon set that you can use for another, for any other challenge battle in the game. They added, they add a lot of, uh, like, I forget, I don't know what the proper term of this is, but like recolors of the different monsters. Like we variants, see in this roadmap yeah. here. Yeah. Variants. Like there's a different Astalos. There's a different Glavinus. There's a different Mitsutsune, a different Gameth. Well, actually, They're like harder versions. I- I think technically the uh, Astalos and Glavinus and uh, Gamma F- Mizutsune are technically deviants, which is a different thing. Oh, but that yeah. doesn't really matter. That doesn't really matter. Yeah, that, that gets into the uh, the uh, 
the weeds yeah yeah but um the jargon but so it, basically each of these updates like there was the Kulturoth update there was the uh glavinus and Esselos update mitsune gameth kirin there's another there's a dread king rathalos a molten tigrex a silver rathalos a gold rathian so basically a lot of these updates are kind of like extending on to the end game where the whole point it's not like story stuff. It's just like you can take on a new monster. He's challenging. So, of course, there's just like the, the satisfaction of beating a new challenging monster. But now you can also get their equipment to make a new armor set, to make a new weapon for like the next rank of monster up. So that's or kind of how PvP. these updates work. Yeah. There is PvP so, too. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's like. It's kind of like just tacking on to the end game, but no like story expansion. Although there might be one later. We don't know. I do agree with. James, that it's just like very clean, like a solid game that was a complete experience, and then free updates where they they had a detailed roadmap and they stuck to it with a good cadence, and you know, like it, it progressed the game in a very natural way without any caveats of like FOMO or well the base game wasn't good or incomplete, but they fixed that with the support. It's just that they had a good game and then they supported it well, like it's just solid all around without any like clear deficiency. A really good compare and contrast that we have in that channel where you put the cyberpunk roadmap on top of the Monster Hunter Story 2 roadmap. <laughs> <laughs> really awesome. Uh, all right, so now what do we have here? So Assassin's Creed Valhalla is they're supporting it really well. Oops, I didn't mean to do that. Let me undo that a few Dang, times. you just deleted Genshin. <laughs> no, yeah. I, got, I, put, I, I put it back. You okay. know what? You know what? It's like poetry, just like they deleted the events. Uh, (laughs) it rhymes okay now part of me is like all right now that we've looked at assassin's creed genshin impact and monster hunter stories 2 do we need to look at shadowbringers 2021 or does it still fall short Uh, it falls short okay yeah yeah now uh genshin impact 2.0 it sounds like what it has added has been like really enjoyable and has progressed the game in smart ways but the whole fomo aspect of it soured especially james and adam that, that, played it doesn't assassin's creed have that too with like their holiday events that's what adam was suggesting it's very it's very much it's it's much lighter touch though than in genshin it's like you're missing lore and stuff? stuff stuff for the ongoing treadmill whereas you know in in assassin's creed it's like Yes, there's a Halloween event and you get a tattoo. Okay. But it's not like yeah. you're missing the best weapon in the game or a new cap, you know, or what. Story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you playing Final Fantasy comparison and you just lost 5.3 and you had to watch a YouTube video to get 5.3 back. <laughs> you imagine that? That's, that's terrifying. That's like, that sent chills down my spine. Yeah. It, this, is, this is a tangent, but isn't like a good chunk of Destiny removed now? Oh yeah, that's why oh, yeah. we're going to huge amounts of Destiny. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, I I had a tweet that I did months ago that I'm gonna need to retweet. Where it's like I I was holding my copy of uh, Forsaken and I posted like the date before the Forsaken content gets removed. And I had the copy in my hand. And I took a picture of just my hand, and it's the date that it gets. Oh, removed. <laughs> it got it just. I see it like just vanished from thin air. Yeah, it's like uh, and, and, back to the future style and. I don't even want to give them any credit, but to their credit, the point, the parts of Forsaken that they are removing, nobody gave a shit about. But it's still content I paid for, 
I'm still not over the fact that base game Destiny 1, if you buy a PS4 copy of um, Destiny, not Destiny 1, Destiny 2, if you buy a PS4 copy of Destiny 2 base game and you insert it into your PS4, none of the content that's on that disc is still in the game. None. Huh. Cool. It, it's kind of weird. There's like a sour overtone for ongoing support because that's also how games are monetized. So you have like mm-hmm. the gotcha and the FOMO. Or fixed. And, uh, or like the DLC or yeah, or it's fixing a broken game. So it's always kind of like you have like these landmines that we have to be careful around. And to its credit, think, you look at monster hunter stories too, and it avoids all of those. But I also think Genshin's biggest problem is it has no end game. It has zero end game. That's the problem. It's like, if you're an end game player, you would have nothing to do. And all these events, just feels like a chore. I think it's really funny that monster hunter stories too, is like you won because you just did it normally. Yeah, you, you, just, you just didn't mess up. You didn't trip over your own feet. You just you said what you're going to do. You released a good game and you supported it well. Good job. Are, are we absolutely sure we want to cross off a holla? Like, I, I, like it depends on I, you. I really like that one. I, I really think they have done. I get what you're saying, Adam. I think I like the game more than you. You gave it a six. I probably would have gave it a seven. Um, but I definitely think, especially when you consider also this is Ubisoft, who have been pretty shitty about a lot of stuff like this. Um, this this isn't a typical service game. They're not nickel and diming people in the way that they have in Rainbow Six or whatever. Um, also, it does have yeah, like the DLCs also, are expensive, but they are good. They're they're, they're chunky, you know. Mm-hmm. And good chunky expansion packs like that are rare these days. You know, they sort of give me the vibe of the rare and lesser Capcom. Well, it gives me a vibe of going and buying a Command and Conquer expansion pack back in the day. You know, Brian, I definitely more. They're definitely more chunky than like the Outer Worlds thing and Wasteland Three, which we crossed off a while ago. I just want to say I love that you you took off the strike through on Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Then someone said Ubisoft, and then you put the strike through. I mean, maybe it's worth mentioning that Valhalla does have like micro transaction cheats now that like, you can buy, like get one and a half times experience throughout your game. That that was at. I mean, that it's was optional. Honesty, at launch, because yeah, I remember like, there was a whole deal where it's like, um, unless you did literally everything in the game, you would be under leveled. Yeah, there's definitely like you know you you paid seventy dollars for it at launch, and then you can buy in game you can buy in game currency with real money to go buy whatever skins mm-hmm. or whatever. So Valhalla like didn't is, have that at launch. This, we're, we're getting into a, we're getting into a we're getting into a philosophical conversation, but stuff like that is gross, and yet at the same time, I don't begrudge. If someone wants to spend that money, right? If they're short on time and they just want to get through to end game content. Or that's the stuff they, or if end game content's the stuff they like and they don't want to spend 70 hours grinding to it, then fucking go nuts. You know what I mean? It's the same thing with um, boosts in FF14. They leave a bad taste in my mouth personally, but if you want to start playing and you just want to boost to catch up with your friends or you want to set up a second character and you want to pay for the boosts so you don't have to go through that content again, then go nuts, you know? I do think, like, it sounds like. Uh, I'm going to keep it with Monster Hunter Stories 2 unless, you know, people feel really strongly about not giving that one. But I am glad that we were able to look at Assassin's Creed Valhalla and say, like, yeah, like you might have 
you might have not noticed, but they've been supporting that game really well in terms of like big box expansions that if they released 10, 15 years ago, you'd go to a shelf at a Best Buy or GameStop and purchase it almost like a gold edition of a, of a like when Alex used the Command and Conquer analog. Like I could see that. And it's so many more games these days are live service or microtransaction, which, you know, maybe I'm, maybe it's a moot point when Assassin's Creed Valhalla also has those. But it looks like Stories 2 edges out Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Are we on board with that? Sure. Yeah, I can accept that. <laughs> All right. So best ongoing support for 2021 is Monster Hunter Stories 2 Wings of Ruin. Monster Hunter grabbing it two years in a row. I just, I just, I just, I just want to say, like, Monster Hunter Stories Two feels like that kid who showed up at a spelling bee, <laughs> and like everyone got their first word wrong. So, <laughs> the, the word with the Monster Stories, and poor uh, Shadowbringer is just like arrived too late. He just walked to the door after it was over, and, and too early. Like he's walking out oh, the and door, and, and and the and the referees or whatever, just like wait, wait, you can come back. You can, oh, they didn't hear us. That's okay. <laughs> He had, the wrong, he had the wrong time written down. <laughs> and all right, I'll see you next year, Final Fantasy fourteen. I'm sure we'll be speaking to you again. <laughs> all right, our last category. This one should be pretty quick. Uh, this is the best non RPG. Now, obviously, that's kind of a weird title for a category because everything we don't consider an RPG would be a non RPG, right? Well, these are games that. Uh, again, this is kind of nebulously defined, but games that we feel uh, could be covered under our site or they're games that fans of RPGs would would enjoy because they have a similar aspect to like the way that the gameplay mechanics work or the or the adventure that they carry the players on or the narrative that they unfold. Um, so some of these games are games we have covered on our site. Some of them are not games we covered on our site, but maybe have talked about in passing on our podcast. They're games that we think RPG players would enjoy. And hell, in a different context, you might consider them just to be RPGs because it's such a loose boundary anyways. Uh, with enough preamble, the games that we have listed for this category are Famicom Detective Club, Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, Metroid Dread, Pokemon Unite, The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, and Final Fantasy VII The First Soldier. So that's a very interesting list. Like it's like there's not a whole lot that tether these together, other than that they're kind of in this uh, this catch-all category. So the two. And if there's anything, of- if there's anything that people that someone wants to add at the last second here, like now is the time to do it. Like something that we might consider, but otherwise, this is the list. Metroid Dread. So, it's on there. <laughs> yeah. No. No. So. I'm just just asking. Like, anyone opposed? <laughs> nope. I mean, it can, it I think this is. Out. I think this is Guardians. I think this is Guardians. I, I, th- I, I love. I love Metroid Dread. I do, and it's one of my top three games of the year, actually above Guardians. But when I think about what I feel this award is in the spirit of it, which is you know, games that we that I feel fans of role playing games will enjoy. We have a Guardians. review for Guardians on the site. We have a review for Guardians, and Guardians is sort of... And not Dread. It's, it's got that Deus Ex lineage from the developers. It's been compared to Mass Effect a lot, and there's definitely some of that DNA in there, it feels like. It, it, is, and, it is an uncommon sentiment that people say Guardians of the Galaxy is their favorite Bioware game. And, yeah, and and it it's the best uh, executed video game story of the year in a big One game, anyway. In a big game, game big big game anyway um it is it is 
the the story in that game, there are moments where it does stuff. There are moments where it uses, uh, I, 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 you know, I know we, we, we say spoilers on this, but I'm not going to for this game. But there are moments where it uses in-game inputs and for uh, where you have to do things in order to advance the story in a really effective way that makes you feel fucked up, man. And the music's excellent and works in tandem with that. Some very Kojima-esque touches. Um, yeah, I, 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 I do Metroid Dread. If, if it wasn't for Guardians and how I feel Guardians embodies what this category is sort of about, I would say Metroid Dread. Metroid Dread is a great game. But in terms of appealing to some of those RPG sensibilities in a game that isn't an RPG, I just think Guardians is the one. I just think before we get into this Marvel versus Metroid argument, like I just want to hear some of like if anyone had like a strong feelings on the, on any of the games they nominated on here to get their shout out, you know, because I think it's gonna it's gonna boil down to those two. But I don't want any of the others to feel shut out uh, from the get go. Someone gonna say something. Uh, Josh, what did you think of uh, Pokemon Unite? Uh, I, I was the one who put it on here, but Pokemon Unite got me to play MOBAs again for like a good like three, four weeks. Um, it's actually a, unexpectedly a stupidly fun game. Um, I wasn't expecting it to work the way that it, how well it like integrated like Pokemon evolution mechanics and like a MOBA format that had like you know it's a, obviously the the map is very simplistic compared to the stuff like uh, League or Dota Two. Like it's some like jungling here and there, but the way it kind of manifests and having these uh, Pokemon is like strict like categories and roles of like supports and like, you know, jungling and whatnot, and how that manifests into the game. It's very creative. Like, but there must have been a lot of like difficult meetings in development of this game. Like, how the fuck are we gonna make this game work? It and it, and as as uh, uh, Adam mentioned. Maybe this should be going back to best ongoing support. It got some really fantastic Pokemon skins in there. Well, there is some fucking drip on those Pokemon. It's uh, Adam. It gave, it, it, it gave, it gave us, us a Snorlax, Snorlax. Snorlax uh, inner tube. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean, I will probably never play Pokemon Unite because it's just the monetization is like poison to me. But I gotta admit that if there was like. A, an award for best like like skins in a multiplayer game it would run away with it easy like some of the ones i've seen on like twitter it's just like man they have some really creative artists on that team because they just nothing but bangers yeah yeah so really really cool like idea for a pokemon game yeah i really enjoy you know i still play semi-regularly it's good. oh nice has anyone me, here played uh the first soldier no i i kind of feel bad for that but they did send me that press kit like unprompted <laughs> so it's like oh yeah that was great Scott was the one that touched it for us right i, I touched it a little for like, the, the beta but it didn't have like controller controls i know it supports controllers that launched right now around was it any good um, I didn't like the way it controlled the touchscreen. I don't, I don't know how well it does with controller. It's, it's. Uh, I hear it's pretty good from the people who play it, though. To be honest, I can't. Speak. Yeah, I played I... it a little bit. Um, I, you know, it's it's one of those tricky situations where I have to be careful what I say here because it's just not my genre. Mm-hmm. So I have to really weigh that against um, 
everything that I that I say because it's like uh, I I don't want to just be dismissive and be like, well, it's a battle royale. Well, it's like, well, no shit. Um, it seems to capture what it's going for pretty well. I I will say, yeah, the controls are like it's it's bane. I hope that those get ironed out because it's just not all that comfortable. Um, and I mean, I've played a fair number of mobile games, so I've kind of gotten over that hump where it's like, well, everything's uncomfortable. Like I, I can find ones now <laughs> that work better than the other ones. And this is just, it's not it. But when you get into like the presentation of it, when you get into some of the cool customization options, there's a solid backbone there. Yeah. Uh, we can cross uh, Famicom Detective Club off the list. It's it's really cool to see them finally be localized after decades of being uh, Japanese only, especially considering it's like the progenitor of basically the modern visual novel in a lot of ways. So really cool that it got localized for good localizations, good games. Uh, I would still go with Metroid Dread as my pick. But if we're going by the argument that Alex brought forth about the best game that is RPG adjacent or will appeal to RPG players, I would have to give it to Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Oh, I, I thought feel... you were going to go with uh, Marvel. No, I haven't played it yet. I, oh, I've played fair. a lot of games that came out this year, but it's like there's only so much time in this year. So um, I, I have it. I do want to play it, especially seeing how folks like uh, Kyle and Natalie and now Alex like all go to bat saying it's great. You need to play it. I, it's going up. It's going up on the uh, backlog. I'll get the to way it, it does later. its story, man. I can't even. Yeah, the, some of the story stuff, but it's just supremely well executed. I got, I got I got this fifty dollar gift card in the mail like a day or so ago, and it's on on, on sale on Steam. I'll probably get it if not today, then very. soon. Uh, but I want to say about Great Dates of Turning Chronicles that I gave, I ultimately gave it a nine, but I was this close to giving it a 10 because some of the topics that its story touches on are really, really fascinating. And without a doubt, Great Dates of Turning Chronicles, like, like Great Dates of Turning 1 and 2 combined, is the best um, Ace Attorney game. No question. The story's fantastic. The gameplay's great. It's got easily the best story in the entire series and i don't know i just feel like again i haven't played guardians of the galaxy i i I trust that it's amazing because like all these people that i trust their opinions on games are saying it's amazing it's just i haven't (laughs) played it yet great ace attorney chronicles is 40 bucks for two great ace attorney games (laughs) great ace attorney games but i i don't know it's just if i had to pick the best game overall on that list, it would be Metroid. If I had to pick the best game that was RPG adjacent, it would be Radius Attorney from what I've played. So so I've played both those games. I'd probably put Ace Attorney and and Guardians on roughly the same level, to be fair. I love them both and I think, yeah, the the the, the way Greatest Ace Attorney Chronicles looks at race and racism and and, and Not nationalism. Just that, yeah, nationalism um, is, like is, is really interesting and it's definitely got more to say than guardians does that there's no doubt about that if you're thinking about what it's got to say about about real world stuff um but i would still go with guardians over it um in terms of for the same for the reasons that i 
that I laid out before. But yeah, I, I do I do want to say that I do um I do extremely highly rate um Ace Attorney Chronicles. I don't think it's the best in the series, but I do rate it. Um so to clarify, I don't I haven't played Ace Attorney. So is this like a remaster or is it um a completely new Ace Attorney game? It's a remaster of games that were not localized before. They were 3DS games that never came to the West because the uh, Loyal Estate is uh, very, very. Uh, what's the best way to say it? Litigious? I don't. I don't. I don't think it was about the Doyle Estate though, because because Sherlock Holmes is in the public domain. That's why in Europe you can. Well, yeah, well, and, it's, uh, well. And it's, one thing you need to consider, issue, and the one thing you need to consider is that even when they are in the wrong, they've been litigious, and Capcom wouldn't want to deal with that. But but I think consider- I actually think Capcom chose to not to uh, to be honest with you, man. I think a big driving factor in Capcom choosing not to localize it before was the game's themes, where they just thought it wouldn't land in the West, which is well, you know very ironic, like on a surface level, just because the setting is, is Western, but yeah, um, I'll, I'll say real quick. Um, great ace attorney is, is my pick for this category. Um, I haven't played guardians. I'm definitely sold on changing that now. Like, holy crap. Um, but I've played, let's see, Famicom detective club, Metroid dread, fantastic, fantastic game. Uh, A little bit of first soldier, uh, yeah, everything that James said about Great Ace Attorney, like it, it has a message. It's it's funny and dramatic and serious and and somber and all these great turns. Um, I think I might like the cast more than than any of the like quote unquote real, you know, the mainline uh, games, which is tremendous because the characters usually like the reason that I play these games. Mm-hmm. Um, I it just it came out and I, it was a curiosity to me on on grounds that it just, it hadn't been here in the West. Uh, I ended up walking away from it, especially the second one personally, uh, blown away. It, it exceeded my every expectation on. Well, that's front. actually, that's actually a part of this. I think that, that makes me, and I, I get the sense I'm losing this argument anyway, but whatever. Um, that's actually an element of this that I think <laughs> makes me put Ace Attorney back a little bit in, um, in that these are two games that are, absolutely tremendous as a as a pair and as a pairing i think you you will struggle to find many better duologies as they say of two games that have concise themes that link up together and all that sort of stuff um but each individual one i would say is less impressive on its own um and but if we're only and i don't know it's one it's one package it's one package um, but I'm just talking from the perspective of, um, you know, if you're talking about time sync, you do have to sync like quite a bit. To, you, you do have yeah. to sync a lot yeah. to get to get the full Monty out of that game. Um, which, you know, I mean, that's not necessarily what this category is about. But again, it becomes this thing of like, from my perspective, I'm just like, well, there's that. And then Guardians is like, it's the opposite of that, where it is a lovely you know, eight hour romp a bit longer than that. Probably actually, I can't quite, can't quite remember maybe 12 hour romp and you leave How it feeling extremely be? satisfied. I, I do think, I, I think even this category, whatever way it went, I think it will be fine. But something that I do think is that 
people, I, at least one person, I bet, who is picking who's picking Ace Attorney now. Once they play Guardians, will think, "Oh shit, I should have picked Guardians." I mean, well, yeah, just hearing Mass Effect, I was like, uh oh, I, well, I, I fucked that, up. You <laughs> actually, you actually bring up an interesting point. The game Near Cast, because I remember in 2019, after like, well, I guess 2020, after it, the 2019 one went live, uh, one of my buddies that at the time was already caught up in like Final Fantasy 14 said, You're going to regret giving it to Iceborne over Shadowbringers. And it's like, well, I maybe, but I don't know. And I, Lo and behold, I go into Shadowbringers. It's like, now to be fair, I still would have given it to Iceborne, but Shadowbringers, it's like, I did feel a pang of guilt. <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> the danger of this, especially for RPG site. And it's like, RPGs are long. There's only so much time. It's like, it, especially it, it when so many release in October, November, and it's like, have you made time for Shin Megami Tensei and Guardians of the Galaxy? And by the way, Metroid also released. If you want to have a say on and that, Undernaut, because uh, yeah. it's like I'm going, I'm going to fight for my life with Undernaut, but I know I'm going to lose that fight because I'm the only one that played it. <laughs> so the, yeah. you all yeah. bring up a, a point here where this is not only deliberations to the best we can, as equipped as we are, but it's also like a time capsule of. These are our opinions as they exist, as we speak into the microphone now. Uh, my personal example is last year when we were doing the narrative category. The two that were head-to-head were 13 Sentinels, Aegis Rim, and Final Fantasy VII Remake. It was a one-vote difference again, and I voted for Remake because that was the one I had played, and I thought it was really good. But similar to how certain people have voiced during this podcast that, oh, I want to make time for Noja or things like that. I, early this year in January, was like, you know what? I want to make time for 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. And then I remembered, uh, I forget if it was in a podcast or a DM to Josh. I was like, uh, yeah, Josh, 13 Sentinels should have won. Like, <laughs> we should, like if we could have turned back the clock, uh, that should not have been as close. Well, it did win narrative, didn't it? Did it? Oh, okay. No, uh, I guess it was. It should have won. It should not have even been contentious. Instead of eking out a win, it should have just been taken away because because the one vote swap would have made it like uh, a clear, easy winner. Anyways, the the whole point is, is that these are time capsules of our opinion as they as we are equipped to deliver them now. So maybe next year we come back and two more of us have played Guardians of the Galaxy and we'll say, oh, yeah, I remember that. Uh, Maybe it should have been that. My my gut feeling uh, like after everything, like talked about friends who've played Guardians of the Galaxy and thinking about like the spirit of this category, like I like I would I, I love, 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 love uh like the Ace Attorney games and I've yet to make fi- time for great Ace Attorney, but I've heard only nothing but praise for greatest Ace Attorney. But in the spirit of like non-RPG category that's like for something that fans would definitely of RPGs would definitely love and like obviously are seeking RPG like experiences, I think Guardians of the Galaxy fits more in line with that for that, that that's uh, that, that's my take on it but like it's such a tough decision but i, I would probably it's definitely with- that thing of if you like bioware stuff you'll like enjoy the conversation yeah. enjoy the conversations on the milano between missions because there's like and- such a, like this like guardians it is like is set in like at a time and place where everything about it pre-release was like set against it like a lot of people didn't like the way it was like the main headline for Square Square's E3 uh, this year. It's like they're still on Guardians of the Galaxy and everything about it. Well, I, everything about it pre-release is like so muddied by the release of Avengers last year. It's like I think a lot of the marketing wasn't very good either. Like, yeah, this game has done well. 
and we'll see. I suspect it probably hasn't, which will be a shame. But if this game has done well, it's done well in spite of the way it was marketed. Yeah, it's it's uh, like if if it's like if it's like actually like a runaway success, it was by and large word of mouth. Absolutely. Go ahead, like the marketing for the marketing for Guardians of the Galaxy is not the actual marketing themselves from the publisher. It's by people singing it praise and like ready to tell you how much they love the game. So we have basically an even split. First of all, is anyone going to dig their heels in for Metroid Dread? Again, uh, really quality game that people here who have played it have loved, but it just seems like it looks like it's Guardians of the Galaxy against Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Depending on the day of the week, my actual game of the year flips between Metroid Dread and Endwalker, but yeah, I'm going to stick with Great Ace Attorney for this right. uh, category. So we got uh, Josh and Quinton on not sorry james and quentin on great ace attorney chronicles and then josh and alex on marvel's guardian of the galaxy uh and the rest of us i think have to go based on the strength of the arguments presented unless anyone else who is not kind of decided yet has played one of these um, so, i'll continue I'm sorry, I'm just gonna... If you're gonna stick with the argument with the great Ace Attorney, all the clips I have seen from it is like... Yeah, I think this resonates with me more with, with those themes of like racism and nationality kind of things. Yeah, I, mean, I you guess were gonna um, say yes? Oh, well, I was judging based on those two. I would feel most interested in playing Great Ace Attorney Chronicles, so I feel like if uh, those arguments won me over, then that's worth my vote. Okay, and that's kind of the point that we have to get to here is the, who substantiated their argument the best, who was convinced. Uh, so now it leaves me and Adam. Uh, I've watched James play several hours because he was streaming it in the Discord uh, chat. I've seen some of the uh, earliest trials in The Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. It's not a t- typical game that I would typically play where I would normally play something probably more along the lines of Guardians of the Galaxy. Because I really did enjoy the Mass Effect titles and games that are also compared to Bioware titles like uh, Greedfall from a couple of years back. So I feel like if I if I mention the question, which of these games would resonate with me more, it would probably be Guardians of the Galaxy. And you know what? I'm going to go with that. Part of me is just like, no, don't vote for that because that makes it more close. That makes it that makes the, 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 the more of a toss up. But I think that's more honest to me. Like that, if if you told me I had to pick one of these games to play first next year, it would be Guardians of the Galaxy. I'm also I was on Marvel the whole time. I just so we we literally have a four four split. Oh boy! Oh no! Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) Let's just let's just give it to Marvel's Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. Or you know, is it uh, (laughs) is it just to call it a tie? Oh shit! Uh, Call it a tie? Is that? I think I think if there was any category where that was going to be allowed, it would probably be this one because it is obviously not one of our core category yeah that'd be, that, that, that's let's just do great. it let's do it let's just do a tie let's fuck it, it. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. that's all right insane. we're we're flexible this is why we need it we need a cut on the podcast damn it uh so uh, beautiful anyways so how it all ended up shaking out is that for our our, our kind of our catch-all category for non-rpg but games that we feel would you know be resonate with players who like rpgs we have a tie for marvel's guardians of the galaxy and the great ace attorney chronicles and those are both games we've actually covered on our site because of how much of the similar sort of theming and gameplay mechanics that they have so this seems actually like a 
this seems appropriate to me. I'm not hating this. This seems good. So we have our one of our first ties in one of our uh, category awards for RPG of the year. It's well deserved because both of them are fucking amazing. And that covers us for the the categories. So that was a lot of deliberation for our, I think, seven total categories. And the, just to kind of wrap this part of the podcast up, let go. Let's go through what the results were determined to be uh, for the best remaster or re-release of 2021. The winner is Saga Frontier Remastered. For the best writing and storytelling, the winner is Lost Judgment. For best art. The winner is Fantasian. For best music, the winner is Neo, The World Ends With You. For design and immersion, the winner is Noja. For best ongoing support, the winner is Monster Hunter Stories 2, Wings of Ruin. And for best non-RPG, the winners are Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, tied with the Great Ace Attorney Chronicles. I don't know. I'm looking at this list and I'm nodding my head. I think these are, we had some really, really close uh, calls early on between Lost Judgment and World Ends With You. With design, we had uh, Noja and Fantasian duking it out. Um, For soundtrack, we had a a whole bunch of contenders that could have all won that one. But uh, based on the the conversations we've had, I think these are the appropriate results. Yeah, it's a good good list. So now your podcast begins now. Yeah, well, the part of the reason why we do the categories at first is it kind of it kind of gives us an opportunity to talk about all the games in the context of what they do well, and or maybe not all of them, but most of them. So now, if we're going to you know wind back to our master list of RPGs that released in 2021, and I already went through that list, and a lot of those games we have already been had a chance to discuss uh, at length under these different categories, but now we've got to pick a winner. So. Uh, we have 39 games that are on this list here. And actually, uh, as kind of a, I, I see a note here put into our master list, uh, we might have forgotten a title at the start, and that is Loop Hero. So this is a title that we have not mentioned in the last four hours of this podcast, but it is a game we covered that released this year. So I'm thinking, why not? Let's go put it on the list. We can deliberate later whether it stays or goes. Yeah, I but... just thought about that. I like that game, so I, I added and it could have easily just been missed because these 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 lists, uh, if it didn't appear on the list, it might have just not been nominated or it was considered a remaster or it was not covered. But Loop Hero was covered and we, you know, we thought pretty highly of it. So I think it belongs. All right. So we've got 40 titles here that we have to narrow it down to a top 10, a top five, and then an overall winner. So obviously this is going to kind of be like a a snowball rolling uphill. I don't know if that's the, if that's the right uh, analogy, but it should be pretty easy to pare this down at first. And then I imagine the more interesting deliberations will be as we find the different cutoff points for games that we think belong in the upper tiers. So my thought was that we would just kind of round Robin through us and have each participant on the podcast, pick a title to either demote to no longer be in consideration or promote to be in consideration for top 10. And then we'll see really quickly if people have any umbrage with that decision and just go from there and either add to the list or cross off. Does that sound good with everyone? Yep. Yep. All right. All right. So I'll just go in order in the order that our names are listed in this uh, podcast room. So Alex, pick a title that you think belongs in their top 10 or one that you think we should just 
knock off and not consider. Let's lose Biomutant. Alrighty. And obviously Easiest once we get to point. it, once we once we get to our like uh our first like round of cuts, we will go through like what 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 is remaining on the list. But we'll go through and basically as we tear it up and down, kind of keep track of what has been promoted and what has no longer been considered. So, Josh. Promote Nozia. All right, Nozia is the first one in contention. Anyone have any you know strong feelings against that? Well, you okay. know, but nothing's nothing's locked into the top ten. But yeah, you know, I, I definitely agree with that being on the upper echo. Makes sense to me, uh, Jess. Um, you know, wouldn't it make sense to take all the winners of our nominations and put them in the top ten? Or, I mean, yeah, you're not mm. wrong. I guess it's Let's, like there seems to be a lot of overlap of stuff we would consider, like Scarlet Nexus. Just maybe just know. pick one of those. Yeah, okay. maybe we. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I'll put Neo in the top then. That's Neo. The world ends with you. Is in contention. And what I will do is this is a game that we haven't mentioned since it was on the original list. I'm going to take Fantasy Star Online Two New Genesis and not consider it because it did not release in a good state. It had a recent update that might, you know, maybe this will maybe this game if we're lucky will come back in the ongoing support category. But as of right now, it's not worthy. Uh, Quinton. Uh, please get rid of Astria Ascending. I, I don't want to think about it anymore tonight. I, I've i left that chapter of my, my life behind me. It was that bad, huh? <laughs> I mean, it was like, I mean, like, I, I it was like a five out of ten. So I don't want to sound like it was just like unplayable. But everything in that five, like that I gave it is just like a five in and of itself at best, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've heard some There's, people played it on Game Pass. It's uh. Oh boy. <laughs> There's no category that I was like, oh darn, if it was just this, surely this would be a 10 game. It's just like it's just the most 50% out of 100% game so I've ever played. It was strikingly mediocre. Mm-hmm. Yep. As we were uh dogpiling Ashley Ascending, it looks like someone went <laughs> ahead and promoted Lost Judgment and Fantasian, which I'm totally fine with because that's just they're gonna get in there. Uh Adam. Um, just promote Shin Megami Tensei Five. It's gonna All be right, top yeah. ten somewhere. Makes sense, James. Uh, I am going to promote uh, Fuga. Hmm. Ciao. Oh. Uh, let's get rid of Bravely Default too. Wait, get rid of? Ooh, Ooh I like that's that's bold. That's a swing. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think Ooh. it's it's not my well, game of the year, but I well, I might fight against that for top ten. We'll talk well, about it. I guess he 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 said the moat. You have to honor that. Uh, you won't promote it then. I guess. No, no I, I, I don't want to see it die yet. <laughs> wait, wait, wait! Did you say? Wait, did you say demo or promo? He said demote. I said, yeah, put it on demotion and we'll talk about it after to see if it's worthy to to, to be promoted well, instead. Not, uh, I said we would discuss and no, I see. Think if, I, think if there's, I think if there's enough, if there's enough pushback, we don't demote it. Yeah. It sound like we'll keep it for now. All right, Chow, you, 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 your opinion has been demoted. You have to pick another one. <laughs> okay. Uh, I will demote Mary Skelter finale. This is, this yeah. is the Matrix Reloaded of the series, which is bad. 
Well, you just said it was no. The Matrix Reloaded is good. Don't I agree with you? Right, let's not. Yeah, you said Revolutions, Revolutions is the bad one. Yeah, you said yeah. Matrix Revolutions when you talked about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the bad <laughs> Matrix movie out of the free. Right. So yeah, I'm right, getting rid of that one. All right, Alex. I have chocolate in my mouth. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, Mitchell. Good, good promotion. Um. We can lose Outriders. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Like it, like like it. It did what it needed to do. I had fun with it. I spent a shitload of time. But I'm not gonna say it was like an outstanding game. It did what it needed to do. It there it okay. goes. Outriding into the night. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> what a game! What a game! Well, absolutely fucking horrid story and just characters. All right, it's your turn, Josh. Uh, let's see. Promote. Scarlet Nexus. I I agree with this. Like I I don't know if it'll end up top five, but I definitely think it might sneak in. So I'm okay with that. Or not top five, top ten. Well, maybe top five. We'll see how people feel about it. Uh, Jess. Okay. Um, as the person that played Dark Deity, I feel that it's my duty to demote it. There's nothing like I found it enjoyable. I just don't think it's top ten material. That checks out. I think that's fair. My turn. Uh, I am going to promote Bravely Default 2. Now, this sounds like a little unfair because I'm just like undoing Chow's <laughs> decision. I guess, is there, is there a lot of pushback in the opposite direction? Are there lots of people that think it doesn't belong? For what it's worth, I was literally about to spend my turn promoting it, like saving it from further... Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, so I have a feeling we're going to return to Bravely Troll Hall too. Maybe it might not end up uh, where we think it will, but it's it's not it's avoiding purgatory for now. Uh, Quentin. Well, now that I don't have to, you know, save Bravely Default two from the jaws of death, um, I'll go ahead and promote Tales of Arise. Mm-hmm. Adam. Demote Chris Tales. Outside of its art, it's actually not like a very well constructed RPG, to be honest. I give it a lot of heart, like for like an indie team making their first game out of Columbia, but it it's not top ten. Maybe if it would make a top twenty list perhaps, but not top ten. Uh James. This might be contentious, but demote East Nine. Ooh. Mm. Mm. Okay, I'll allow it because I'll because I'll, I'll, I'll fight harder for other things. I, I, I won't yeah. do it for East Nine. East Nine, I think, is fine, but I've enjoyed almost every other East game more. <laughs> so yeah, it's still fine. It's, it's, yeah, it's East Nine. is like that weird, but it's like it, it's 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 prequel is like usually pretty much better in a lot of aspects. Yeah, it's like I love East Nine in a lot of ways. It's it's like JRPG comfort food for me, but objectively, it is. It's got a lot of issues. It's got a lot of issues. All right, ciao. See, I am gonna demote Disgaea Six since none of us here really get to play it. Well, you know what? We don't demote your opinion again. So you're allowed the coolest, to have this opinion. The coolest thing about this guy is six is it's like where you can you can how programmable its auto battle uh thing is. So you like you can yeah, there's a lot of like if when statements you can do in the auto battle 
Uh, yeah, but systemization. Yeah, basically, it's like it, it, that's the cool thing I can say about it. Everything All right, is. let's let's do one more round through the eight of us. Uh, let's go through, Alex. I will promote dungeon encounters. We're gonna get to those fringe top ten games. It's like fighting for the number ten spot. And I'm Josh? the tenth best. No, I'm the tenth best. I am promoting Super Robot Wars 30. Jess? Hmm. I guess the thing is, I haven't really played a lot of these, so I've, I feel like I'm kind of going in blind. <laughs> uh, well, you, you can pass if you want. Hmm. Let's see. Can I give my dish- can I just give my turn to someone else? <laughs> uh, sure. You pick one of us to get two to get two goes and or an extra oh go. Oh my god, that's chaotic. <laughs> <laughs> pick me, um, pick me. Um, I'll pick Josh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, promote Persona Five Strikers. Look what you've done, Jess. <laughs> this is on you <laughs> alright to me it's maybe fringe top 10 but I'm going to promote Pathfinder for now because it does do a lot of things well uh, even though I know I'm going to be the one that has to like dig my heels in if I think it's top 10 so I'm going to put it there for now uh, I'm Quentin. surprised no one has chosen Monster Hunter Rise I thought that was popular I was just thinking the same thing thinking James was going to do it, so that's why I did other games. Well, no, the thing with Monster Hunter Rise is that I've been open about this in the past, where it's like, it's a good game, it's just like, I did not like it as much as World, and especially, I kind of got burnt out uh, because of how unfinished it was at launch, and then I just never got around to the additional content. It's like, I'll get around to it for Sunbreak. It's still a good game. It's just like, I'm not going to go out of my way to promote it, because I have other fish to fry. I would have promoted it, like, but because I thought someone else was going to promote it. <laughs> so I believe it's a uh, Quinton's round. I will go ahead and save uh, Pokemon from the chopping oh. block. I don't know if I would agree with that. Ooh! Does anyone what else? What are we thinking? Str- str- this is obviously Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. I I guess I'm like. I'm, 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 my position is, is I'm okay with it. I just don't feel like it's going to make top 10, but it can't hurt to just promote it for now. That's, I mean, like, I don't know if this is wrong, but that's kind of how I felt too. Like, I want it to be somewhere there because I really enjoy it, warts and all. But, I, I'm, like, I, I'm not going to be like, hey, this should be the game of the year or anything like that. I'm, for my uh, money, I'm looking at, like, at least, like, five or six more games on the uh, middle list where it's like, I want to talk about those. I, I don't want them to be cut. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a couple games on here that I'm sure. going to like talk about for like a sentence and then cut. Uh, anyways, well, uh, Adam. Yeah. It. This is a sort of a weird one. The Caligula Effect 2. I don't think anyone here has played it. So I'm not really yeah. sure why it's on this list. I know some people really like its style, like Persona, but more thoughtful. I know some people call it. I've heard but good things about the narrative, like really good things. I hated so, the first game. I played the original version, so I'm like, I've been soured, I've been poisoned. But yeah, we just can't. 
So it's a blind spot. So in regular fans, if you're listening, that's an admitted blind spot. We just couldn't get to it. It's okay, I admit, we'll, like I yeah, posted, we'll redeem ourselves with Monarch. Don't worry. I posted in the chat like <laughs> several times that anyone wanted to review it, and no one wanted to review it, so we never covered it. All right. Okay, so Caligula Effect Two is out by default. Uh, yeah. James, it happens. Uh, I will uh, promote Ryza Two. It was in the conversation so many times in the previous discussions. So that makes sense to me. And then Chow. I'll promote Ender Lilies. All right. So now what, now what we're left with is we're left with like 14 games that I think we just kind of have to go through as a group and say like promote or demote uh, based on the discussions we've had or based on the impressions that we've had. I'm looking at the Ascent and I'm just going to demote it just because this was uh, this is a cyberpunk isometric game, like a twin stick shooter, and it has a cool setting. It has some really nice art. It has uh, kind of average everything else. It's just fine. It's like if you want if you want a cyberpunk game that's not buggy. Well, even this game is a little buggy, so I can't even promise that. The ascent is fine, but I'm going to take it out because that's all it is. And now I guess it's a little bit more of a free for all. Uh, how do we feel about blue reflection? I feel it's like a great game, but I don't think it deserves game of the year. Do you, you think, think it might? Do you think it deserves top 10? Not with the competition that we're having right now. All right. Out of here. Yeah. So I, I know there's a, there's a lot of like loyal blue reflection fans that really like love second light. That's they're going to hate us forever. All right. Here's, here's the, uh, here's the elephant, uh, cyberpunk 2077. Well, when it worked, it's when it works, I think it's in the top 10, but it's just this problem of it's still broken on some platforms and it's got so many issues. And I just, the, weird, the, isn't fact, it? the fact that you can't go definitively past tense for that, I think disqualifies it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's what I'm saying. It's weird, isn't it? Cause it's such a shame because it totally is top 10, possibly even I think top five when it works, but it, it just, yeah. Yeah. It's just not there. We, we we gave them almost an extra year to fix it up, and it, it could have been, but they, they didn't arrive there. Death's Door, I believe James and Josh played this. I might have that wrong. Yeah, I, I played Oh, you played it too? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's a great game. I don't think it's RPG enough. I think we should cut it. I agree. I agree. It's, it's, it's right. a neat little game, though. Eastward. Now, this is an indie game that showed up on a lot of Steam summer festivals that Paige covered for us. Uh, has anyone else played this? She might have been the one that nominated it. Um, I have not played it, but I have seen like that. There's lots of positive reception on it. Yeah, but unfortunately, if none of us have played it. Then it's just yeah. like by the and in the in the same bin as Caligula Effect. So sorry, Eastward fans and and Kowloon. I played like an hour. It looks really really cool. I'm sure if I'd finished it, I'd be fighting like like hell to um, keep it in there. But it's I like in both. Like I only got like maybe two to three hours into it. I, it, I, it. It strikes a lot of like man. That's really cool what they did with it. But I just never got up to, uh, around finishing. It's a it. fifty hour game going by. How long to beat? That's a lot. Yeah. All um, right. Here's the game. I, I don't know if we're going in turns anymore, but we can cut more Wildermyth. Okay. Um, I was the only one who played Wildermyth, and it's gotten some really, really, really good reception. In that, I'm sure someone will be upset. It's not in our top ten, but it honestly just didn't land for me as well as other people. Like, I don't know if it's just the way I look at the game, but it just it felt really mechanical in terms of like 
it's procedural story algorithm writing. I just like, oh, okay. It's, it's like technically impressive, but not actually interesting to me. Right, we've I got the two Monster Hunter games are safe enough to add into the top list. Any disagreements? Yeah. I think I, I, think, think, I, I, I think I agree with that. Basically, yeah. we're promoting Monster Hunter Rise and Monster Hunter Stories 2. I could easily see both of those sneaking into the top 10. So that's fair. Uh, Ruined King of League of Legends Story. Uh, just like The Ascent, I thought this was fine. I think it does some really smart stuff and interesting stuff with its battle system. It's kind of like Fantasian in a way where it takes a turn-based battle system, which is obviously nothing new and does a lot of things that are interesting with it and well-designed and well-tuned. But the story is, eh, the art is fine. The actual, the out-of-combat gameplay is by the numbers. It's fine. It's not top 10. Uh, Tales of Iron. I don't know who's played this. I do know it's an indie RPG, but I have not played it. Yeah, Does anyone here play as rats it? against frogs? I don't think anyone's played it. Well, well, that kind of puts that decides for us in the bin with one tails game down, another tails game to go. <laughs> <laughs> I will promote Undernauts because I do have an argument for it at least being in the top ten. Voice Uh-oh. of Cards. We can let it go. I mean, I enjoy it, but it's not really... It's no loop hero. It comes back to what we said earlier. It's, if, if it's, it's no loop hero. If Dungeon <laughs> Camps is on that list, then... Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're we're right. at games now, which are like fine games, but just not top 10. And then uh, loop hero, we got to push up or down. I would totally push that up. I think it's fucking great. And then that, that, that pushed up. We have our top 20, perfect order. Okay, we're done. Well, we're just doing a top 20 this year, right? No, no order? Okay. Yes. So obviously, I, I, yeah, I, I never specified how many we needed to push up or down, but it ended up being that we started with a list of 40 games, and we ended with a top 20 and a bottom 20. So that uh, auspicious. Good job, guys. Uh, okay. So now, this is when it gets a little bit more difficult. So uh, let me just go through these. Let me just rapid fire these off. The, the top 20 games of which we need to pick a top 10 Noja, Neo, The World Ends With You, Lost Judgment, Fantasian, Shin Megami Tensei Five, Fuga, Melodies of Steel, Scarlet Nexus, Bravely Default 2, Tales of Arise, Dungeon Encounters, Super Robot Wars 30, Persona 5 Strikers, Pathfinder, Wrath of the Righteous, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl, Atelier Rise of 2, Ender Lilies, Monster Hunter Rise, Monster Hunter Stories 2, Undernauts, and Loop Hero. I don't know, that's a, that's a good list of quality games. Like I look at that and that seems appropriate for top 20. Now we got to pick a top 10. So uh, we could go round robin again, but I feel like these are going to require a little bit more discussion. Do we have any here? Go ahead, James. Immediately, I would say I would not have Pokemon in the top 10. Gasp. So this is... well, we're kind. Of, this is this is kind of on. Uh, Quinton was the one that had promoted this, so it kind of depends on he if he uh, if they or if anyone else has any like strong feelings that no, this definitely deserves to stay. I just feel like this launched mm. in way too fucked up of a state to be in the top ten. Yeah, with all the bugs and all the problems and all the cloning and everything else. Yeah. Okay. Like. I'm glad that it made it to the top 20, I guess. I, I wanted to get it, you know, safe from the abyss. 
Um, I like some of the post game changes they made a lot more than I thought I would. I think the Grand Underground's pretty cool. I also think, I mean, exactly what Alex just said for starters, it it did not come out in a great state at all, and I, I wouldn't push it too much further anyway. I'm looking at the rest of this list, and I'm like, uh, that, that could be top ten. So could that. So could that. All right, here's here's a game that we kind of, you know, few ways poo pooed on. Uh, maybe this is a bold one, but Tales of Arise. I agree with that. Do we think that this ends up in our top ten? I think it probably does. I, I would like it to. I would I like think, it to. Oh. I I think there's enough really strong games in there that we are sure deserves to be in the top ten, and I'm pretty sure. It sounds like almost like we almost well, want Tales of Arise there out of obligation. I I, I personally don't I personally don't think that Tales of Arise. Yeah, I don't think it deserves top ten either. I think I think the battle system is really cool, but by the time you're like near the end of the game, it be, that battle system is a chore because the only way like enemies stagger is by doing their break gauge, and so like like. On top of like bosses already feeling like a chore to beat in that game, normal enemies get to that state where you're just like kind of waiting for them to get like react to your hits. On top of like a story that like kind of ends off on like uh, a really lackluster note. Uh, on top of see, like, I see a hell of a lot of games I would cut before that on this list. Though. All right, okay. It sounds can, like there's I'm enough contention it. here that we might just yeah. just table this talk for now. Alex, what do you think is a uh, a game that's easy cut or easier? Strikers. Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. I, yeah, I, I, can, I, I can see Strikers going, but the, the, there's definitely the, like ten other games better than it here. Like Strikers is such a cool like way to adapt Persona Five into a Muso format, and like having like a, and also being very story driven in that game, and like the story not actually being like a, like awful. Like it's kind of of interest. It's it's a really interesting take on like, hey, how do you further develop these characters now that you've gone through their arcs? You don't have to worry about developing as characters like dealing with their own issues. Like how how do you adapt the lessons that they learned in the base game into like other contexts and scenarios? So like having Haru actually get a character like arc like not so late into the game, it was like really cool to see. How strongly do we feel about Loop Hero? Not too strongly for me. I mean I played a lot of it. It it does a lot of yeah, really cool I love it, but um Is it an RPG also? I know it's got some RPG ish things, but yeah, okay. Well, we'll not that not that off. I like I do I do feel like a small component of this list is like Well, I I saw, I, I saw it. like I watched Josh play it and we obviously did the YouTube video. Yeah, there's on some. It. And I it's I think it's an RPG, but I also think it's uh based on the arguments that people made for other games that it just doesn't stack up to some of these games that are going to end up in the top 10. I don't does Monster Hunter Stories 2 make a top 10? I, I I'm wondering about that myself. It is a very comfortable game to play. And it's it's there's nothing about it that is immediately like this is bad. There's a lot of it that's good, but there's nothing about it that really stands out as being, oh wow, this is amazing. Whereas like under knots, there's things there like the battle system I'll talk about where it's like, man, this is fantastic. And then with Atelier Rise, I kind of already went over why why I thought about that. 
It feels um, kind of weird because like we gave it the award for ongoing support. Not that that obligates us to hear, but we kind of also talked about the context of which it arrived there. So I, I think I agree that. It, let me put it this way. Monster Hunter Stories 2 is a game which I feel like it would be comfortable to recommend to almost any Switch owner. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's top 10 material. I played through Monster Hunter Stories 2 and I am pretty ambivalent towards it. Like, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's great. It's just like, oh, okay. I mean, it like, kind of sounded fine. like it was it won because um people didn't like Genshin Impact and Assassin's Creed Valhalla. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. That's that is kind of the reason why it won the support category. Uh, but uh, so it sounds like Monster Hunter Stories two really solid, comfortable game, but just not exceptional. So not top ten. I guess I will make I look at Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous and there are parts of it that I really enjoyed. But then there are parts of it, specifically the crusade mechanics that I thought really drug it down. Like if it if it pulled all that stuff out, it would have been like less is more. And I would have thought much, much more highly of it. Part of me is like, no, it's obligated to be here because it's the only like CRPG on the list. But, you know, that's not a factor. And I'm the one that played it. And I don't know if it's top 10. Maybe I'll keep it there, but at this point, where we've got, we still got it's sixty. Is anything else? Does the time we bring the Tales of Arise discussion back? Yeah, uh, I. Okay, for me, it's not even a question. I see at least ten number games I would put over Tales of Arise on that list. I, I uh, like, I will get fucking shit for this, but I prefer Scarlet Nexus over Tales of Arise. I'll say that's true. No, I, uh, I think I do too. I, I Scarlet Nexus surprised me in a lot of good ways. I just feel like Tales of Arise, like for me, every single aspect about it is solid. Um, I don't even feel like the story completely falls flat on its face like a lot of folks do, like in the third act. I like the tonal shift enough to kind of forgive it on certain aspects. I, I really enjoy when a JRPG just kind of says, you know what, we're, we were doing the fantasy thing. Let's just kind of flip that on its head. Um, I enjoy thing. the banner. Yeah, I. I I'm looking up? at this. I'm looking at this list, and I'm like, if, so if I look at this, is one thing, one game that jumps out at me that I, well, I didn't. I've, I've barely, you know, touched this or know any, even know much about it. But I just, when I look at Super Robot Wars Thirty, I just, oh, okay, I just because yeah. when I look at that, I, like for instance, just in terms of the. Um, just in in some ways, I, I absolutely see what you're saying. Like when you were showing um, when you were showing some stuff stuff about it earlier, I get it. But at the same time, in some other ways, I'm like, this looks really dated. Feels look like menus and stuff feel dated, and I'm just like, compared to the other stuff I've played on this list, I'm like, does it truck? Especially yeah. like, I mean, like I, 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 I'm getting into visual stuff here, but like, I was so impressed with how tales felt and moved and looked especially compared to other recent titles in that series same big same i mean super robot wars 30 like does a lot of things way different than other previous super robot wars where it's like a very non-linear open-ended approach where instead of just like a, a narrow linear set of stages like you're now like it gives players the option to like kind of do a choose your own adventure approach on how they want to like uh, progress through the game 
and it's like it's so transformative and like how like these games even like fucking progress like how they're structured so you basically have like say at the beginning of the game you get through the uh intro stages you're pro- you're given the option whether choose a protagonist and then you choose like the space or uh or earth route and then that kind of gives you a whole list of like which uh anime series do you want to uh go for first so like space will have like majestic prince it'll have um victory gundam it'll have gundam narrative earth will have um mazinger grid man uh com com battle rv and after that after you get to like the intro stages which is kind of built the same just in different environments depending on the route it kind of gives you like a list of like scenarios of like okay instead of like normal srw games where you're kind of you're given the order uh like as you as you already like progress through the game normally like you're, it's it's always gonna be this order of robots that join you while in this one you kind of pick and choose like oh i want to go to this stage where which has like the magic knight ray earth people because i like that series and i want them to join me first instead of having to wait like stage 20 or stage 22 in like a normal srw game and having to wait for them to join you there so like. this game is very much about like a choose your own adventure open-ended approach that gives players kind of the, the Except way they when want it to doesn't Except when it forces you to play certain stages. Exactly, like that's a that's a that's a that's a bad part of the game. Like later on in the game, where emergency missions are a thing, and I complain about them. You know, when I was playing the game, and then in my upcoming review, I do complain about emergency missions. But that's like way later in the game when you have like a whole bunch of of the roster already with you. That's not uh, a mechanic that's already with you from the beginning. So I'll, I'm just I'll saying that this like, way, like. Uh, the out of Josh has played three games that he's made arguments for over the course of this discussion that I haven't played: Noja, Super Robot Wars Thirty, and um, Lost Judgment. And I will say, like the Noja and the Lost Judgment arguments resonated with me, but Super Robot Wars Thirty feels like the odd one out where I, I just can't latch onto it. As I mean, well I, I get it. It's, like it's, it's already a super niche series that, like, you know, it's how much of this is tied up in your existing knowledge, existing fandom? Of the mecha stuff, I mean that that's kind of the, what the ser- like the series is for. So if you're saying that like it's disqualified because like let, let me put it like this: Super Robot Wars is not even like a series that like only mecha fans appreciate. A lot of people like Chao like play Super Robot Wars games, and that introduces them to like series. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not saying it sucks. By the way, I'm not saying it's disqualified for that reason. I'm just saying I'm not convinced it's a top ten. I mean, I, I it, it, like it. Look, I'm not. I'm. I'm walking into this fully knowing that I probably won't get probably any support because people just you know they just dismiss these games because you know it's it's an anime crossover it or it's a, a big open strategy rpg that just like looks dated like i get it i understand why, why it won't make it but in that in that just same respect i have so many criticisms for like you know other stuff here too but like tales of arise <laughs> so it's, just, it's just it's just one of those things right like you know but there'll be there'll be things that like people will look at and like it's not for them so like I look at Dungeon Encounters the same way, where I put a lot of time to Dungeon Encounters, and like a lot of the the presentation in that game is dated. You know, should it be in the top ten? That is another one that I thought on the list may not make top ten, even though we appreciated it for what it was in the um, design. I'm just saying, if we're, if we're if we're knocking SRW thirty out because of its dated like UI or whatever, because people don't like menus, then what about Dungeon Encounters? So we kind of have this block of games here, Tales of Arise, Dungeon Encounters, Super Robot Wars 30, that have kind of been in contention. Uh, maybe we need to start I'm not, promoting. I'm not allowed to do it, but somebody else knock off Ender Lilies. 
I, Why are you not I was, allowed to do it? I didn't want to knock it off because I didn't want to hurt your feelings. Okay, yeah, it's, a top three three game. it's a top three game. For I like me. how we're just equivocating on like the other ones. Like, oh, let's decide uh, later. Uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> I'm willing to let go. Yeah. If I'm like willing to go, let go of SRW 30 if Dungeon Encounters goes too. Oh, now we're bargaining. Okay. Uh, well, we just agreed that Ender Lilies is getting knocked, so that's one game. Is anyone going to defend Dungeon Encounters? Belongs top ten. I think I think it's brilliant. Um I think it is an extremely acquired taste. It's definitely top ten for me, but I totally understand why. So maybe super. Uh, I feel like I feel like a, a jerk, but maybe super robot wars is an acquired taste. I don't know. It is. It. I hundred percent is. So I'm saying, if those two games are too much of an acquired taste to qualify, then get rid of both of them. Now, of course, here we're like we're kind of in like the 15, 14, 15, 16 area. So these are like all fringe great games. So obviously, knives, we're not... about, knives about to come out. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, okay, so Super Robot Wars thirty. Now, Dungeon Encounters. Alex has vouched for Adam. I guess you're the only, you're the other person that it feels like might be invested in Dungeon Encounters as a top ten potentially. I don't want to speak for you though. I don't. I like it a lot, but. I don't feel that strongly about it in terms of like yes, it's a top ten game. All right, so so this isn't written in blood. If we decide once we're looking at the top ten that we don't feel it, but it sounds like Dungeon Encounters and Super Robot Wars Thirty might just barely miss the cut for now. Probably. We are down to thirteen, so we have to get rid of three more, and I'm looking at Tales of Arise. Pathfinder, because that's the one that I'm kind of holding on to. And then potentially Bravely Default 2. We heard Chow immediately wanted to knock it off, you know, 20 minutes ago. I was so sick, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was really bold. Uh, I I would definitely agree with cutting uh, Tales of Arise and Bravely Default 2. Bravely Default 2, my issue with it is that it just felt like regular encounters took way too long and that enemy regular enemies had way too much HP. And it, there, there was more things wrong. Don't, with it. I feel I, 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 I want to hear about the default two from you. What are your what are your issues with it? I feel it's a quality, like a step down in quality from the free DS games. Like, how can you regress when you have all this leap in technology advancement for a game like this? I don't know. I just find it's it's a complete downgrade from Bravely Second. Yeah, but, I, I feel I feel the same way. Where Bravely Second has a more interesting mechanics at play. So Bravely Default 2, I really liked, but I actually do think I am okay with this because it does have some deficiencies that now that I look back on it, having been with some distance now, how unbalanced it is, how certain classes like Beastmaster and Thief are just so broken. And I know like the idea is, who cares if it's not perfectly balanced, but the extent at which Godspeed Strike absolutely destroys any semblance of challenge not not Stupid. anything clever not anything like oh i combined these two classes in an interesting way to come up with an interesting strategy just literally spam this skill and you will win um and then also yep. like the, the fact that it has like the way it's 100 quests are designed there is no quest log and the quests are usually just running to a dungeon you've already been to fight a, a recolored enemy also like, no map Go come yeah, on, yeah, chat. Yeah, draw more maps. Yeah, there, there, there are no maps. I, I, I finished those maps, I would say, but I need to go back and finish writing the guide itself. Uh, so, I, 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 I,
So I took off Bravely Default 2 and Tales of Arise. I guess Tales of Arise, that's that's fair. Yeah, not fair for Tales of Arise. Yeah, I don't want to just do that. We have to think we have to get get rid of two more. I'm looking at the competition here and I'm thinking, Pathfinder, you were close. If you didn't have if your crusade mode was interesting in any way. I would have vouched for you. And I know people are going to say like JRPG site, you didn't even get Pathfinder like it's due, but it's such a big deficiency. I feel in that game. So uh, we're down so to guess, 11. So I, I am being told to defend under So if you read my review, my only complaint was like a nitpick where it's like, there is some quality of life features they could do with like the menus and how they handle like, uh, using the uh, Yomi flowers in the game. And it's like, yeah, that's a problem. It could be fixed. But everything else, literally everything else, the dungeon design, like which is something the experience has had issues with in the past, is really, really good. Like every dungeon feels unique with its layout and like what it wants you to do. Um, they're all well designed. There's none of that bull crap like in previous uh, experience games where it's like you're underwater, so you can't cast spells. Kill me. Um, there's one of the things I said is it's a very, very good beginner dungeon RPG, but not in the sense where it's just brain dead easy and it completely excises any customization and planning that makes the genre so interesting to begin with. No, it's, it's streamlined, but not utterly simplified to the point where you don't have any customization, no ability to kind of express yourself through your team. It's got a decent difficulty curve. It's got a decent enough story that I didn't even really talk about too much in my uh, review. It's got excellent uh, enemy designs. And hey, Adam can vouch for that because he watched me stream the game a bit. It's like the regular enemy designs are weird in like a great way. Like you got these like flying frog beetle enemies that look really, really weird, but in a cool way. You've got skeletons that are also like bugs. Like... The battle system has this really cool um, system called the boost band, where um, at the beginning of every battle, you have access to three charges. You have um, you have uh, overcharge, which uh, maxes out the ability of your skills and makes it so that you do not spend any of your MP to utilize them. Uh, you've got neurocharge, well, charge, which makes it so you take half damage during that turn, and you also regenerate a certain amount of HP at the end of a turn. And then you've got Neurocharge, which lets you act first. And if you use it to finish off a fight, you'll get more treasure. So it works in a lot of different ways. But that last part in particular makes it so that grinding itself is more engaging because you have to time the Neurocharge to make sure that you're finishing off your like whatever wave of enemies with it so that you get like access to the maximum amount of uh, gear that you can from like drops. And it feels good because it's like, even if you're grinding, it's still some bit of a ga- engagement that makes it feel a lot better than uh, experiences other like uh, dungeon RPGs. Like Stranger's Sword City, grinding out equipment in that game, painful as hell. Doing it here in Undernauts is actually pretty fun because it doesn't take nearly as much time and it's way more engaging to do so. The... um. The other thing about the boost band system that's really cool for the battle system is that the way it works is that you um, when you activate a charge, it goes away, 
And then in order to start recharging it, you need to you need to have a turn pass where you're not using any charges at all. But there's a predetermined order for which ones will recharge first. So there's a bit of um, planning, like a few steps ahead for being like, okay, which charge am I going to use? Which turn? Which ones am I going to save in case I need to like take one out of my pocket to like save myself from a bad situation or end a, a sticky situation quickly? Like, let's say a boss summons these like additional enemies, and it's like, okay, I don't want to deal with them. Here's overcharge. Use it now so I don't have to worry about them later on in the fight, stuff like that. And it's like, it's really well designed overall. It feels like very tightly designed and very, like, very deliberate in a lot of ways that experiences other releases just have never been. And it's very, it's incredibly commendable for that alone. Now, what I'm thinking right now is another game that I know you've put a lot of time into that we, we, we've we already kind of spoken on on not so positive terms, but still in the top 11 is Monster Hunter Rise. I like Monster Hunter Rise for what it's yeah. worth. Yeah. Uh, okay, never, never mind then. I, th- I think the wire bug mechanic is so fucking cool in that game and the and the writable mounts, the, the, the dog that you get, like it really oh. helps speed up the, the flow of like going through maps. All my issues with Monster Hunter Rise aside, there's no question in my mind that it deserves to be in the top 10. Okay. Yeah. There's also a few games in the top 10 here that we really haven't touched on because they feel safe. I'm talking about like Neo, Lost Judgment, Fantasia, and Shin Megami Tensei V. Uh, I think safe. those are safe. Noja, <laughs> Fuga. So, How many people have played Ryza 2? I have. And you've played it too, right, Chow? Yeah. Would you agree that's top 10 material? I would say it's a top 10 material. Yeah, the battle system is really good in Ryza 2 as well. And in addition to everything I said about the soundtrack and the uh, ruin system and how it like plays into the story and how, from a gameplay standpoint, it's a really interesting way of like dealing out the story and the back so, and whatnot. When I look at this top 11 that we have, every game here, just let me finish, every game here has at least more than one person pushing for it, except Undernauts has only one, and Nosia. I think, I mean, by pushing for it, I mean, Josh is the only one who's played it. I like, I like what I hear and I like what I've seen. Um, I know Quentin is really big on Tales of Arise. I, Tales of Arise is not my favorite, but it's in my top 10. Like, I think it's really solid all around. Me also. Um, I'm thinking Nosia or Undernauts has to go oh, if they what, only what, have what about, one person. What about Scarlet Nexus? I well, would... Scarlet Nexus had more than one person. I'm, I'm only picking. I'm looking at the games that only have one person defending it, and like, if we if we have to kick one of these eleven off, it has to be one of those. Uh, I, I kill the rise. I don't make the argument made off. for Nosia. Nosia stays because I was convinced by the argument, and but and from what I, I've seen, Josh play. I I really the further I've gone since uh, playing it, I really am not a huge fan of Tales of Arise. And I feel like I'm not necessarily the only one on the podcast that feels that way. I'm, I'm like, okay, how many people are happy with Tales of Arise? I think it's decent. Like, I think it's good, not great. Like, it's yeah, in my top uh, ten. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's good top ten material. I do too. And Jess, have you played it? <laughs> right? Um, She's not played. through enough of it to make a definitive like a but i think if we have three people saying it's in our top 10 we can't kick it out despite how much maybe josh or james weren't happy with it 
so I, I'd like when, with Undernaught only having one person. I'm really sorry. I well, I made the decision Fuga? last. Fuga is also at least more than one person's played it. Yeah, three people but, played um, Fuga, and I think we all agree that it's worthy of top ten. So I'm really sorry. Like last week, I made a decision. Like I either have to play Undernaughts or Wildermyth. Like because I wanted, and I want, and I decided let me play Wildermyth just so we can t- discuss it on the on the podcast and like consider it because I knew it was an RPG that people really liked. Unfortunately, it just turns out it's not even a competition because I didn't really care for it that much. But unfortunately, I didn't have a chance to play Undernauts yet. So I like those dungeon crawler RPGs. But just kind of going by strength of like the support behind these games, just the one argument for Undernauts and also the one argument for Nosia, like those are the two we have to like our fringe arguments that we have to pick one. And I think Nosia was more convincing. And I guess for whatever it's worth, I, uh, I watched both play i watched both i watched jo- josh play nosia and james play undernaught so i've like seen yeah. it but if the argument is between specifically nosia and undernaughts i will concede to nosia i just because of my personal feelings on tales of rise it does sting but hey, I'm, kinda, you, I'm, I'm, I'm in a i'm in a spot where like i'm really lukewarm on tales of rise so if it was in the top 10 or just the first out i'd be like oh that's fine but i haven't played undernaught so i'm like I don't. I can't decide between them. Always tough for dungeon crawlers, man. Hey, we got here. Labyrinth of uh, Refrain a couple years ago. So here, Next this is what I'll do. Be, uh, my time to uh, fight for <laughs> Labyrinth of Galleria. You will play okay, that. Right, that we haven't really talked about here. I played. I haven't played Galleria, but I will play it. Yeah. All right, there. We yeah. we. Uh, this doesn't this doesn't really mean anything, but uh, we have our bottom twenty, our not top eleven. We have our eleven big underdots, and then our top ten. <laughs> so, <laughs> but um, Fuga, like Josh has played it, I played it, uh, James has played it, and it's a really cool, like unique style of RPG. And like I would put that in the top ten over underdots, and I just think it has more support behind it. Like, is it top five? Maybe not, but. I think it is. Um, we'll get there. So Tales of Arise, it sounds like... 10, all right, let's go through the top it 10. It sounds like Tales of Arise won't be top five. Like, yeah. Just, it seems... Yeah. Like, I, I'll, let me just make, let me state my what I thought. Like, Tales of Arise, I really like the combat. I think it's the best combat since Graces. It doesn't beat Graces, in my opinion. But, like, it's better than Zestiria, Zillia's. Um, I know Zillia 2 has some high points, uh, or Berseria. Um, I don't really like the story in the second half. I hate the ending. The ending is dumb. Um, and the sto- characters are whatever to me. So I'm not hot on it, but I still think the combat alone and just the visual design of it is top 10 for me, but maybe not top five. All right. So this is what we've decided. Oh, well, I won't say decided yet. This is how it currently stands. Our top 10 RPGs of 2021. Neo, the world ends with you. This is in no order. No order here. Neo, The World Ends With You, Lost Judgment, Fantasian, Shin Megami Tensei Five, Fuga Melodies of Steel, Scarlet Nexus, Atelier Rise of Two, Lost Legends and the Secret Fairy, Monster Hunter Rise, Noja, and Tales of Arise. This is like the last chance for anyone to resurrect Bravely Default or Undernauts or Ender Lilies or Super Robot Wars. This is it. That's our top 10, unless someone st- stabs it with a knife. All right. It sounds like that's where it's staying. That's our top 10 RPG. So these are the ones that are going to get uh, write-ups on our site 
you know, site proper for, for being, you know, some of the best games of the year that are under our coverage banner. I think so. I think it's pretty safe to say Tales of Arise is not the top five, so we can kind of like lock that into the bottom five. I also yeah. feel like it's probably safe to say that Fantasia's top five. Well, let's think about it. Let's. Uh, I'm not sure about that. But, All right. Um, so basically, what uh, we have a top ten, and then yeah. we have a top five. So by contrapositive or whatever, we, it means we effectively have a bottom five. So. Maybe it's easier to to uh, to to look at what games belong in the bottom five, and I'm looking at this, and I'm really glad it's in the top ten because it did surprise me, uh, but not worthy top five. I'm gonna say Scarlet Nexus. I don't like Scarlet Nexus's story and plotting. Like I like some of the characters, and I kind of like its like overall like vibe in a sense, but the plotting is kind of like dumb to be honest. It's like entertainingly dumb, but. I- Still I, I, I agree that like the plotting is dumb, especially by the like the like second half of the game as you're nearing the end. But it is so fun to play and mix and match abilities. And that gave it all the stupid uh, like combinations you can have like, <laughs> cloning so, fire, so, fire tornadoes. I feel like it effectively tackles themes of uh, loss and grief. Yeah, enough. Mm-hmm. Like that's a, that was I think emotionally evocative. Well, one of my yeah, favorite so scenes in that character game? In, in Scarlet Nexus. Just off the top of your head. I like Sugumi. Oh. She's my favorite character. Favorite character, huh? Well, I like Kasane a lot. One. Yeah, Kasane is good. Oh, I don't know. It's hard for me to. to oh, Hanabi's that. also. Um, Hanabi's I would really also good. really like Hanabi. Yeah, I like Hanabi a lot. <laughs> Anyways, I think Scarlet Nexus, you know, it has a ton of characters. So not all of them land, but it has some really interesting ones. Like, for example, I said Sugumi. So, really briefly here, she's like a really, really shy, reserved girl. Um, but you learn the way the way that she is like that is because she has an ability to basically see through things. So when she was like a little kid, like four or five years old, she's like seeing through people's skins, through pe- through like buildings, and uh, she's seeing things she wasn't supposed to see as a little kid, and like that made people scared of her or like annoyed with her or angry with her. So she like became really really reserved because of that. And I think it was really kind of like endearing and well done how they're like trying to break her out of her shell and her relationship with Kagero that way. Like out of all the characters, I think that one was a pretty good one. Kasane, I think is a decent or actually a pretty good like protagonist, as we mentioned hours ago. Now um, I've actually had some people mention, um, I hope this isn't insulting, but that like people wonder if maybe she like was written in the sense that she's, she kind of acts like she's on the spectrum a bit. Like she just has a really hard time, like, analyzing like what is it what does it mean to feel something or like to love or um she has a hard time with like are we friends i don't know you tell me yeah and i think it's like i don't think like the game doesn't say like she's autistic or anything but she kind of has that sort of vibe where she's very thoughtful and she's very analytical and has a hard time like relating with people and i think it was actually kind of interestingly done now people who are actually on the spectrum may have a different take on it but um, I thought it was an interesting thing that you don't see in a protagonist very often. No, anyway, I, I, was just, I, I was just shouting out a positive to Scarlet Nexus that I think I have. I, I also like. I, I don't know why. Like I've heard some people being negative, but I really like the the weird monster designs. The others, I really like the designs of the mm-hmm. others overall. They're so creepy. Like a lot of the boss fights, like especially that boss fight when um, Kasane's friend turns into another. Like the whole vibe of that fight was like, oh, this is yeah, it's unnerving, weird. but in a good way because it's supposed to put you on edge. Yeah. So I do agree with 
James. So if we've, we've identified a couple bottom fives in terms of Scarlet Nexus and Tales oh, of the Rise. Scarlet Nexus maybe we'll have to revisit, but... Actually, I was thinking we'll maybe I've identified some possible top fives right away. Like I feel yeah, like most of us like Neo can... and Shin Megami Tensei, for example. I don't know. Should Megami Tensei is Shin Megami Tensei five a top five? Uh, I will be honest. I'm uh, when I look at this list, I have enough issues with Neo's uh, combat in the not even really its combat, but like its uh, enemy designs and how they kind of attack you. Scramble slam. Yeah, scramble slam. Mm, okay. pacing, <laughs> the pacing and some of the enemy like uh, AI really kind of like it's still a great game but there's enough like hard like almost objective issues with it that i just can't in good conscience put it in top five okay i see i, I, th- I think about- i think the the safe like out of all these so far if i were to pick a safe top five pick it's like fantasian okay. yeah, i think, yeah. I, think, I, think I think i think fantasian is a safe yeah. okay i honestly thought that shin Megami tensei 5 was a safe but maybe not yeah, well, SMT would be mine. It's in mine. I'll have to think about it really hard. I, I it, it, it might barely get on there, depending on how things should. I think right. the things about Shin Megami Tensei Five that I like are like its combat in like I like its combat stylings. I wish the uh, the reflector items weren't so cheap because that honestly, like that small little thing, kind of. Sours it a bit, yeah. yeah Josh, it, makes, um, it makes the game too easy by that point. Like yeah, they, they really like making those fifty yen. It's like okay, sure. Why not? I, was about to ask. I also wish. I also really wish like the routing in SMT five was a little bit more interesting. Like it, it ends up pretty darn just like by routing. You mean specifically and, like the order like, chaos, like the law route, the God, chaos route, yeah, well, the true yeah. route. It's just kind of like meh. I wish it was pick, like, pick I, wish, choice I, the I was kind of like waiting. I was kind of waiting for that like last wrinkle to come into like here is your final decision and like some you know something to like really twist things up and make things like interesting at the end but it never came it's like, i really oh, do not like like the corniness of after you cross the door after the metatron fight it's like oh here are the possible alignments here's everyone's views and it's like in a very expository note and like it's like okay i i kind of already figured that thanks it's very pro forma it's very form- it's very like putting it on a checklist like here are your options and pick one yeah. please. is what about anyone a- gonna fight for monster rise in top 10 or top five. I, I, mean. I mean, top five. Yeah, top five. Is that going to fight for top I wanna, five? I want to put it in top five. It's really, really. I put a shitload of hours in a very short amount of time in Monster Hunter Rise when it came out. But I would even. I want to put it in top five. Same. Oh, you wouldn't. I thought you said you would. I said I would. Would it? Would it? Would not. Oh, I don't think anyone's really pushing for a top five then. So maybe yeah. it's safe in the bottom five. Yeah. Like I, I because I was I was I was James. Like I I beat that game before it was officially complete. So like by the time I was like done, they're like oh. It's over, and then having to wait for like what two months for it to get completed, and then it, there's not like enough compelling content in it to like really get excited for it. It it, it was really cool with how they did the wire bug stuff, and I don't know that. Now I'm thinking of like a world like how do you how do you move on from wire bug? Yeah, that, well, maybe Sunbreak will be uh, will be uh, yeah top five next year. Maybe it's like our best ongoing support. Who knows? Now, uh, Atelier Eliza 2, the, so I guess this is up to James and Chow to I, deliberate I whether feel, this belongs top five. I feel like there's not a single specific thing I can point to in Rise of 2 that would disqualify it from being top five. The art style what is, is what really... What is Atelier Eliza 2's best attribute? 
Uh, I think I already went over it with the uh, unique uh, way that they handle the uh, storytelling through the okay. like archaeology and whatnot. But also like the combat is fantastic. Like I don't think I talked about it enough, but it's like it is very, very engaging with the way that things ramp up. And it fixes a lot of my issues from the first one where it's like it's an atelier game, but it feels like you're never using items. Instead, the game's like, well, we're going to fix that. And they did. And it just feels really, really good, especially when on the higher difficulties. And once you get going, it's just engaging. The dungeons are cool with the way that they evolve as you uh, figure out more about them. And it's like, okay, how do you progress? And then it's like, here's one thing. They completely change past a certain point. Like the first one, it's like this kind of like cathedral-like area of all these like bell towers. And past a certain point, the bells start ringing once you figure out how to fix the like, uh, I forget, the knocker or whatnot. I, 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 I don't know how you what it's called um and it changes the enemies that spawn on the map there's another one where there's all these like parasitic trees and then once you fix this one central aspect of the dungeon the entire like all of the parasitic trees in the dungeon go ablaze and that's like just how the dungeon looks from then on and like things completely change and it's like some places where the trees were like blocking off you could now proceed and that's not even counting like the music, which I said was really, really good. And like you guys even listen to it and the story, the, the combat, it's like, there is not one thing in rise of two that I would point to that would be like, that was just a disappointment. So the two games we haven't talked about yet are lost judgment and Fuga melodies of steel for top five or quote unquote bottom five. So uh Fuga, We've had Adam I, and James really speak pretty highly of this, but we're we're making tough cuts now. Top five. I would. Is there anyone here? Well, actually, I'll just ask this. How do we feel about Neo? The world ends with you. Pardon? How do we feel about Neo? The world ends with you. Strong. Like I'm going to be honest. Broadly. I saw on this list, I played SMT5, Neo, Fuga, Scarlet Nexus, and Tales of Arise. I played five of these 10. But to be honest, I could be convinced that none of them belong in the top five. Um, I didn't feel that strongly on any of them. Like, there's not one of them that I'm like, yes, this is the one I'm really fighting for. It's like, yeah, they're all pretty good. <laughs> anyway, what, what, about, uh, what about Lost Judgment? Again, this kind of puts the ball uh, back into Josh's court. As Clinton read from my review uh, earlier on today, uh, but part of that quote was, if there was a category for most improved sequel this year, it's Lost Judgment. Everything about it is such a step up from the first game. The combat feels so good at it. It is like the first one had like this weird weighty feeling to it. This one fixes every portion of that combat, and the new snake style is fucking awesome. All, all, all the mini games and how they wrap up in the school, uh, like wrap up in this school club like setting, because you, you join like this mystery club, and like you you kind of. Uh, kind of invade like other school gl- clubs to uh, find the mystery uh, solve a mystery behind that because they're like there's some there's some mystery going on behind the school and it's kind of and uh, evidence about it that traces back to that central mystery is in these clubs so it's like it's, it's all kinds of like mini games that are like, contextualized in that from like the robotics club where there's like a whole fucking you build your own like robot as you're and you're, you're trying to capture the enemy base there's a skateboarding club there's a fucking um, a photography club. Like, it, it's just, it. I, I think it's top five. I think it's easy top five, to be honest. 
I will not right. fight uh, against the last judgment for top five because I I do believe once I get to it, I will agree with that. I my question is again, like how do we feel about Neo? Because I feel like we are so close. We need to kick one game. <laughs> we need to kick well, one well, game. Here, here's where we're at. Like we have Monster Hunter Rise and Tales of Arise both listed as not top five. Scarlet Nexus was kind of fringe, but I'm feeling like based on the recent discussions. Is I, it? I, 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 like if like I would rather like go for Nosia and Lost Judgment in top five over Scarlet Nexus. Okay. Scarlet Nexus, I think, is a surprisingly good game and it really endeared to me more than I thought it would. I'm thinking top ten is appropriate for it. So we need to kick yeah. two more off to get into our uh bottom five. All right, and Josh. Here's your here's your chance to like argue Nozia's top five. Oh my god. I, I mean, you're the only one who literally you're literally the only one who can. I know. So here's the here's the thing about Nozia is that name me another RPG this year that you solely like you don't fight any enemies in it. All you're doing is arguing with like people. And then you're just all trying to find I out have no experience who, with that. Who to put into cryo seat. <laughs> They, they they think that you're nosy and you have to rely on like your your wits uh, honestly like and your stats uh, to kind of convince people that you're human and not a nosia and then you have all these certain other levels of play in it that much like a mafia werewolf game that like different roles in it that like that's not only just human and nosia there's like a guardian angel role so after after deliberations for a round everyone uh, goes to sleep and like during that time when everyone's asleep the nosia will pick uh, well, it could be one nosia or two nosia depending on the game like parameters that you set and then to to pick and choose who to like kind of merc and the guardian angel's role is basically hedging their bets saying okay i'm going to protect this person for a night so they're uh like protected from nosia and how this uh, affects like in the in the greater grand scheme of things it's like maybe like you're trying to find an event with this certain person and you have to make sure that this person stays with you until the very end of this round. So you pick a guardian uh, angel role and, and and keep on protecting them from the nausea. And then that gets uh, more, um, like, it, it gets more complicated with a bug role because a bug role can basically say, uh, say, hey, if you, um, if a bug role uh, targets a certain, if you identify someone and they're the bug, then, like, the universe just explodes and ends. I'm not kidding you. That's what happens in that in um, that timeline so it's a, so it's a legendary basically yeah essentially but uh, like uh i'm just i'm just looking at nosia as, and thinking there's no other game like this on this list that like in, in terms of like gameplay innovation and the way we see rpgs and the way storytelling is done in video games like i'm not sure how you how you can like put this on the same level as many other games this year it's just uh, like I could talk and talk about like how this game is played, on and on and on. But I think it'll just come down to: Do you have questions for Nozia in this <laughs> in this final stretch? Because to me, Nozia, much like Thirteen Sentinels, does so much for gameplay innovation in the in the space of video games that like I think it I think it deserves a spot in the top five. I'm just gonna add like uh, one of my best friends, also one of my housemates. Um... <laughs> They are extremely big. Well, they used to be uh, extremely big mafia werewolf fans. Uh, they were on like the big website for it. Um, they've met a bunch of people through it, and I've I've dabbled in it 
off and on. And the one thing that never really clicked with me, and I realize it's not something you would normally expect from the genre to begin with, but I've always felt like, oh, this would be cool with like a narrative bend to it. Like imagine if it was some kind of game where like there was a cast of characters and these things would change around. And I've gone from, I think that might be what it is like on the outskirts before this conversation today to like Josh's case, just being like, Holy crap. I think this is the mafia werewolf game. I've always actually wanted. Yeah. I, so you like, should also, you should also read uh, raging loop. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll look into that as well. For sure. So I'm definitely going to say that no, just safe for now. Maybe we go back to uh, James's original question. Go ahead. James. Uh, Jess. I guess the weird thing about, I guess what I feel weird about it is that like, no, like a uh, barely any of us have played it, right? Thing that's the that's the that's the one thing against it. Yeah. Is that I'm, the, I'm the poor sap that has to like defend like something that I I really hold lost dear. judgment. And Maybe if judgment. it came out on PC, like it said it was going to. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's true. I mean, I can, Although I that didn't help underdots. Yeah. All but right. I, so. Uh, that's that we have like a pool of games and none of them are clearly safe or not safe. Uh, I think, I, I think even though I have some qualms with it and some others do too, like when I look at this list, I think SMT five and Neo and lost judgment are all top five. And the other three, we have to choose one of that's my thoughts. I, so, I would put Adley Riza. I feel I would agree with that. Glad that Riza too seems to be, uh, was that an agreement with Ryza or agreement with uh, what uh, Adam said? With what Adam said. Yep. Well, well like Ryza I... is just kind of putting Josh's hat on James's head and well, also Cho. Like, I, like honestly, like I, I'm looking at this, I'm like, I, I, I don't know SMT5 or Neo like, uh, would be a top five. Well, I, the, I feel yeah, really I... strongly about Shin Megami Tensei 5. I don't like it as much as Fantasian, but I... If I had to pick a top five, Shin Megami Tensei would be easy, like number two for me. So I, I know not everyone feels that way, but that's my that's my push for SMT. I I feel terrible being the bad guy with this because everyone in my circle loves Neo. The world ends with you, but it's like I enjoyed it. It absolutely deserves being in top ten, but I had enough issues with it, its gameplay combat, like the fact that there's like some really bullshit enemy AI that will attack you from off screen. There's nothing really you can do about it. Um, and the pacing of Scramble Slam and some of the pacing even with the story, like the um, like the rewind uh, thing with uh, Rindo, it's just like there were some segments where it just got a little bit frustrating and took a little too long. And it's like what I loved about the original The World Ends With You was kind of how snappy it was to play. It was kind of like in the same sense that when you play through Chrono Trigger, it's like it's an RPG, it's a JRPG, but it's it feels like it goes down easy because it's not too long and the pacing's good. This is why this is why this is why like I have my thoughts on SMT five because it it is by far one of the least snappiest p- uh, things to play out of any RPG that I've t- talked today. Like it being on the Switch and its Switch performance and trying to fucking menu in that game is like a goddamn nightmare. It is pretty bad. <laughs> It, it, like goddamn, dude! And people were saying it's a turn-based RPG. It's okay, right? It's like, no, I want snappy fucking UIs. 
like SMT4 for Apocalypse <laughs> a dream to play because you can get through battles fast because you can fucking get through menus as fast as you can and fucking do the thing you need. But SMT5, I have to wait for it to like use a fucking item because it's like the switch can't keep up. It's like, oh, I better make sure I take a, a second to make sure it catches up with what my input commands are because I might accidentally misinput the menu and fucking wipe on this boss for using the wrong item because the switch can't keep up. Like, oh, wow, what a great uh, uh, RPG experience I'm having. And this is on top of, like, SMT5, like, its story just, like, doesn't go anywhere. It feels like an incomplete game. The final zone, when you're trying to tackle all those gods, feel like they had, like, grand ambitions for this game, and they kind of just, like, mu- mu- mushed it all up in that, in that fucking War of Thrones uh, in the final part because they just ran out of time to, like, complete the game. It feels like it, it, this game almost feels like it's going to get, like, a Shin Megami Tensei five apocalypse to, like, finally, you know... Somewhat uh, as, as my as my first SMT game, I did think it was kind of weird how like welcome to the final zone. Now you get to fight all the gods and all these different side quests that are all like sequestered into this area. Like how come this wasn't doled out and I'm at a better pace? Like now I get to fight Thor and Odin and Zeus, or I might get some of those names wrong. Like all within like the last five hours and Ra and Kotensu or, or whatever. And, and then <laughs> and then yeah, and then we're not even talking about like the fucking dungeon situation here, where the final dungeon kind of sucks. It's like you can bypass its whole mechanic. And that's like, am I doing this right? I'm just making sure to like not, not engage with this at all very easily with the whole time stop or freeze mechanic in it that you don't have to engage with at all. On top of like the the one dungeon in the game that almost felt like an SMT dungeon in a, in a patch, you're like, eh, we'll make that easier. Just like, you know, don't worry about it. It's like, what? The one thing that I'm definitely learning right now is that I thought for sure, Josh, like all your passion that you would imbue into like the positivities of like Lost Judgment. I thought, well, surely he's not going to have just as much passion to go after a game. <laughs> I'm hearing you and you're just like, you're, I'm like, I, I, I'm waiting for you to be like talking about any other game that's left and being like, finally, some real fucking food or, you know. Like. <laughs> yeah, for me, it's, it's like I said earlier, like Fuga for me is definitely top five material just because of how tight its gameplay is and how tight it is to play, like how good it feels to play. Like the battle system, it's pretty, pretty damn good. I love the balance between the machine guns, the grenade launcher and the cannon and how you have to swap between your different like kids on the primary and secondary for each of the different guns and how it's like there is just enough like customization for how you want to figure out how to play how you to play your run and also like there's just a lot of well first off one thing i really love about fuga is it's one of those games where status ailments actually fucking matter (laughs) oh yeah dude like that's like key to like their whole thing especially with like the character synergies and how they benefit from one another uh, just, just, just before I want to clarify with Quinton, Quinton, I fucking love SMT games a lot. I've been with this series for a long time. The reason why I like bash SMT five so hard for getting a lot of things wrong is because past SMT games got them right. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Like I was, I was on board. Like I'm wonder- it's, I'm- <laughs> it's, it might be my game of the year, but at the same time, I'm like, damn. He's not wrong. I'm, one, I'm wondering He's not if, wrong. Th- th- like, I, I, if we have to resort to something like give each person two votes and then go through these six games that we have to pick four of. Uh, so the six games that we've been discussing are Shin Megami Tensei Five, Neo The World Ends With You, Lost Judgment, Fuga Melodies of Steel, Atelier Rise of Two, and Noja. Give each person like two votes 
two tallies. And I'm just saying, I'm just saying two. So there's just a, a larger pool and just seeing if any separate from the pack to get into top five. I'm, I'm fine with that. So, course, so we heard it as a defense that Josh gave for Nosia. The fact that he's the only one that's played it makes me wonder, yeah. like, is it fair for us? Well, to well maybe that'll, maybe that'll manifest it, as we, as we, uh, align oh, points. Right. So probably, yeah. More people played a bad game over a good game. Like, like I said, oh, I can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I love the language here. Okay. So, uh, so we don't start, start spamming the, the our document with tallies. Alex, just put two X's near two games that you want to promote to the top five. I will say also, you know, I think Nosha, given the circumstances, has done very well to get into the position that it's in. So I do think it's I do think everyone I've spoken to sings its praise. And we did and we did commend it for that specific um for that specific category of design intent. Sounds like a eulogy for it already. It's like, well, <laughs> it was nice well, we'll see where the tallies end up. So. Science. There you go. All right. Uh, now, Josh. Well, this feels kind of uh, unfair because uh, now that there's like an order to it because uh, the later people have more uh, weight almost. Well, that's if you're doing a if we're doing it like this, then that's what it is. You can't do it like by call of hands. It's like literally impossible. <laughs> I, uh, all right, uh, Jess. This feels like a fucking survivor vote, except everyone <laughs> can see the votes as they're being made. <laughs> well, I just see like anonymous. Name. For what it's worth, a lot of them are just like anonymous lemur for me. Which I mean, I guess never mind because I'm listening. I can't, I can't, I can't believe I, I can't believe anonymous <laughs> lemur voted for Neo. All right. It's pretty messed up, right? <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm gonna Gosh, vote I wonder who that was. <laughs> and I, I'm voting for Shin Megami Ten. Or uh, no one else vocalized their vote, so I shouldn't either. All right, uh, yeah. All right, mine's in. Quinton. Adam. James. Done. <laughs> And then, do we and still have Chow with us? Chow. Um, I think. I think he left. I think Not he needed to go. Well, just by votes, these are in the top five. Well, we still have a decision to make here. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, no oh sense. Oh, all right. All right. All right. So, based on the tallies that we just took, these three games ended up being promoted because they ran away with extra tallies, and that's Shin Megami Tensei Five, Neo: The World Ends With You, and Lost Judgment. Which, to be fair, were the ones that we kind of had earmarked as probably ending yeah, up there. That's fair. That's fair. So, that, so I think like that seems to be rational. But now we have to do like this tally thing again between Fuga. Atelier Rise of Two and Noja. So I don't know if we just do another round. Uh, where I feel like we maybe... should just have a top four and bottom six. <laughs> yeah, Here's what I would say. Let me let me just let me just say this. Based on the arguments that I've heard for the last hour or so, um, of these three, the one that has been spoken most passionately about, I would say, is probably Riser. That's the one. Chow's not here anymore, but yeah, I 
if I had to choose between Fuga and Ryza, I would want to give it to Fuga. But honestly, it, it it's it's a wash for me. Keep Adam, in mind, do, all Adam, ten of these about? games, all ten of these games get a write up as well. Well, true. Yeah. Oh, Adam, Adam, Adam how, how strongly what do you, you feel about Fuga? Because you haven't really said much. I'm not as strong on it as Josh or James. I think I think it's pretty nifty. Um, I mean, if I were to give, choose one here, it's my my choice is obvious. But I, once again, I'm the only one who's played this game. I mean, like when I look at those three, if I had to pick one to try immediately, then I would probably pick Ryza. It just sounded interesting. But also, I've heard good things about Noisia. It's just like maybe it is the unfamiliarity that's getting to me. I feel kind of vanilla for it, but yeah, I would pick Ryza. <laughs> Nah. Alrighty. Uh, I think the fact that we've had two people play Fuga and not feel as strongly about it as much as Josh is sorry, James is pushing for it. Wait, two people? Well, Josh too, right? I, I don't feel that. I think it's a pretty damn good game. I just don't think like I just don't absolutely love it. Really, and I think it's a cool game. I just think the repetitive nature of it is the thing that really holds it back for me. Is like you you're kind of still doing the same thing like every chapter. It's a cool game. I love it. It's just, it's, just, but, it's almost in the opposite position of Noja, where Noja has one person speaking to it really highly. Fuga has two people speaking to it, so it's had more people play it. Once or two or three, one person speaking really highly, on those, and then the others being lukewarm. And so it's Ryza, almost like, like while Chow was here, backed me up saying that yeah, it's great. So it's like yeah. it's the one that's it's the happy middle. <laughs> I guess that that does it. <laughs> Based on this, I look at like all the when I look at all the RPGs I played this year, it's just like so many of them end up like not in the top ten. Like I just didn't feel that. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm looking at our graveyard. I'm like, why did I waste my time at all of these? (laughs) Why did I play East Nine instead of Nosia? God damn it! Like I played Persona Five Strikers, Monster (laughs) Hunter Stories, Ender Lilies, Dungeon Encounters, Bravely Default, and just like I'm looking at Pathfinder, Bravely Default, and I'm like (laughs) the Ascent. I'm like, why did I waste time on these? Always both have a side throughout the year. Say, hey, play Nosia. They're like, nah. Okay, maybe oh, well, I would have played it if it was on PC, but it's just yeah, yeah that's where no, I would yeah, play not it. top I would, five because it was on PC. I, mean, I would have played play them for not putting it on PC. SMT five on PC also it would have been a better fucking game. <laughs> Damn it! I did nice love SMT five Maniacs releases. <sighs> all right, all right. Uh, so are we putting Atelier, Atelier in the top five? Oh, yes, we're not on that anymore. Okay, well. I mean, I guess the one thing Atelier has going for it is that we have two people supporting it and no one who has played it saying... Uh, yeah, like I said, it's a numbers game at the end of the day. So, But the numbers game yeah. is what doomed Fuga as well, kind of. And it's yeah. also the, what doomed Undernauts. It's fucking, it's fucking doomed 13 Sentinels. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone needs to invent a time machine or time staller. All right. All right. So, and every, everyone is completely content with the way that things shaped out, apparently. There are no qualms here at all. Uh, we ended up with... Are, are, is this the ranking, or are we ranking them, or are we just... No, this is not. Them? This is in, in no order. These are just the tiers. Uh, well, there is kind of an order based on how long it took each to get into the tier, but not really. The, the top five, in no particular order, Fantasian, Shin Megami Tensei Five, Neo The World Ends With You, Lost Judgment, and Atelier Ryza 2, Lost Legends, uh, and The Secret Fairy. Rounding out the top 10 are Noja, Fuga Melodies of Steel, Scarlet Nexus, Monster Hunter Rise, and Tales of Arise. 
So now this is a bit weird because we have to pick a winner out of our top five. Now, based on how our top five came to be, we kind of clearly and very quickly marked Fantasian as safe and put it there and no one questioned it or discussed it further. So it feels <laughs> like we have like Fantasian how many people have played Let's see. I'm wondering. I'm, I'm just curious. How many people have played it? I played it. I have. Oh, James I have. has played I it. Have. We've finished it. Brian's played it, but not finished. I'm like, Josh I'm like has played it, but not finished. Wait, are you oh, in the yeah, God Realm yet? Finish. Are you in the God Realm yet, Brian? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah, you're not. Well, what level are you in the game? 51. Okay. Yeah, you're pretty close to the end. You're pretty close so, to the end. You max out around like 58, 60. Yeah. You can. Yeah, but a lot of that. How many people have finished it? How many people have actually like finished it? I'm just curious. Me and James. Yeah, I have. Oh, Quinton's finished Fantasian. Anyone else? Mm -hmm. I have not finished it. Well, a lot of people have played it. That's good. Everyone Um, except maybe Chow has played it. (laughs) And to be honest, I wasn't expecting Fantasian to be like number one, but I guess Fantasian's weakest point is like its narrative. It's, it's just sort of it's like a chaos like versus law sort of thing that's just kind of blah. It's what just, what it's I would say, like, it's not what, the main draw. What I would say is, I would be satisfied with any of these five really being our number one in the sense that I do think, oftentimes in these discussions, we do have a clear runaway winner, and certainly in the way Fantasia sort of breezed its way into the top five. It's it it does have that sort of energy, admittedly, yes, but at the same time, it's not on the same level as some of the games we've had in the past that have done that. Um, where you know, previous years, I felt like it would be offensive if a particular game in the top five didn't have the top spot. This year, I don't feel that way, and I've this played way, four of the four of the five. So what this year feels judgment? like it feels like everyone who's played Lost Judgment likes it too. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Last but once again, it's like it feels like only one. Me and Quentin are the only ones who played it. So, yeah. No, I've 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 played it. I've played it. I think it's better than um, I think it's better than the previous one. Um, I think it's better than a lot of the, uh, the the previous action, Yakuza titles. I didn't like it as much as Like a Dragon. Like a Dragon, by the way, was our runner-up last year. I remember we had a really spirited argument. It was either that or Final Fantasy remake, duking it out. Final Fantasy one. I think when we went into this podcast, we talked about how this year has like a really crowded middle, and maybe a little bit less so at the top end. And that, based on how contentious the top ten and top five cutoffs were when we were arguing, does Undernauts belong in the top ten? What about Bravely Default or Pathfinder or Super Robot Wars? And then top five, you just listen to us for thirty minutes arguing on that one. And then the winner, it almost feels like, you know, we've got only two possible contenders, and it feels like that, like Shin Megami Tensei Five, Neil the Rosen's with you, and Atelier Ariza Two, we argued into the top five, but had too much arguments against them to even consider for the winner leaving well, i don't only even fi- think i don't even think rise of two there was any arguments against it's just that not enough people played it yeah i got it got a plus one that was that was the argument for it yeah <laughs> leaving fantasian and lost judgment as the l- l- remaining candidates and fantasian kind of breezed its way here and we talked about it at length about the art section that it ended up winning and then the design section that it ended up 
basically like if that had a runner up it it did it got beat out by noja in that specific section uh but we we i know know this does not matter but man people are gonna be really upset if we say fantasians are rpg of the year they're gonna be like awesome (laughs) based based on the uh but but just just based on the like release logistics though that's independent of the quality of the game yeah it's not our place to decide like we don't we don't consider or factor in like exclusivity on platforms. We're that's not a factor and, here. So. And if anything, the fact that despite the fact well, despite its limited release um platforms, we all came like came back feeling very highly of the game as a whole speaks like volumes. Yeah. yeah once again, a shitload of us bought yeah. Apple TVs and just burned hundreds yeah, yeah. of dollars for the no <laughs> reason to play the game. Yep. So I admit when I play RPGs, I don't place that much like weight on like story stuff. A lot of my favorite games have like honestly shitty stories, but it doesn't matter to me because I love like well-tuned gameplay and mechanics and cool like systems. Like I'm a gearhead in the sense and Fantasian click that box for me or check that box for me in terms of um, each character has very, very unique skill sets. Uh, the bosses basically require you to understand how characters work, what they can do, and how they coordinate with each other uh, when you play. And there's a ton of bosses. Brian's been playing through it like in the last week. There are a ton of bosses in that second half, and it, it's almost like a boss battle, like I don't know, like a boss battle simulator, where it's just like, how are you going to take on this boss? How are you going to take on this boss? So, and every for one me, of them is like so unique and has different yeah. like strategies. It's like. And so I, I do actually enjoy if you're the type also, of person who comes to RPGs specifically like I want a cast of characters to love, I don't know if that's Fantasian's really strong suit, but just speaking for myself, like I can totally support this being RPG of the year. I think I understand that not everyone is me, and people will probably be upset at this pick. But yeah, I'm fine with it. And so I recently fought two bosses in Fantasian. Uh, one was like a lightning worm sort of thing that you fight on the back of a ship, which is pretty damn cinematic. And the other was like this the boss that was teased in the first half that was in that demon toy box chest and it it does this thing it's 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 like a grim reaper and it does it takes it takes a bit to like really surprise me in a turn-based rpg in terms of what it does but it does kind of like this uh remember dark souls 3 dlc where it has like the three phase boss fight when all of a sudden it's like you took down two health bars, but here's a third fucker <laughs> or whatever. And I remember like <laughs> with the uh, with the Fantasian boss where you're fighting this Grim Reaper, you're like you get him down. You he has like two hundred. You have he, he calls like, his cousin. Yeah, he has like two hundred thousand health. You're like you get your strategy. You're like barely hanging on. You're like all right, I got this. I got this. Just keep up this pace and I'm good. And then he p- calls his like he's like the dark element one, and he calls his holy element brother, and it's like. There's two oh, of them. Fine. Yeah, just deal with that. Like, have fun. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you don't panic, if you if you know your strategy and you know what your characters are capable of, and you have, you know, you keep you keep your eye on your buffs and your debuffs and your abilities, you can manage. But it's one of those things where like my heart actually like clenched up a bit. Like, holy shit! Like they're actually yeah. asking me to do this. Uh, long story short, I look at this list. I don't see any other. Like, I look at Fantasian versus the others in our top five, and I'm like, yeah. Fantasian. Is that where we leave it? Yeah. RPG, totally RPG of the year, 2021. Totally the Apple that. Arcade. I think, uh, exclusive. I, 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 it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just <laughs> one of those. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
but I will sing its praises, uh, you know, come hell or high water, because the way the, that they crafted those panoramas and integrated that like, into that game, it's like, when they first showed it at that Apple event, it's like, this is kind of cool, like, kind of a neat gimmick to it, but the way it manifests in that game is tremendous. Yep. It's... I'm completely okay with us giving it game of the year, even See, if like uh, one people out of a hundred play it that listen to this. The funny thing is, I think next year is going to be the opposite of this. I think next year we will have a top 10 in about two minutes and then it's going to be like and a, and a top five quite quickly after that. But then it's going to be a, a horrific fight over <laughs> what the top five are. A knockdown drag out. Over Ball. the order, yeah. Elden Ring, Endwalker, like whatever. Elden Ring, Endwalker, Starfield, Breath of the Wild 2, Final Fantasy 16, well, possibly Breath Star- of the Wild 2. I don't think that Starfield will... I wouldn't be surprised if there's a Fire Emblem game next year because they haven't gone more than two years without putting one out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure about Starfield, not because I'm not sure if it'll be a good game or not, but because it comes out November 19th. It's long. Yeah, it's, in, uh, it's, it's, it's inside the window. We will have had a month to play it by the time we talk. Yeah, anyway. it's the eleventh. It's the eleventh, though, isn't it? Eleven, eleven, twenty. Oh, yeah, yes, it's it the eleventh. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's eleventh. Never mind. Are we good with this ranking for top ten, or does anything need to be shifted around? Well, the bottom, the bottom five. Rank. There isn't an order, right? Okay. So the bottom five is just those five of the runner runners up, and I think that's fine. I personally would have had tails in the top five, but I, I, I get it. I understand why not, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm I'm happy with that top five. I loved Fantasia. I I had I hadn't imagined in a million years that that would be number one. And I've really enjoyed it a lot. I almost kicking myself that I didn't restart section two earlier because I I don't know. It's really rewarding when you get through what that game throws at you, and it feels really. It makes you, and also it makes you feel proud of yourself when you come up with a winning strategy against those bosses. It, it challenges me in a way that I, it's, it's the same reason I really enjoyed Shimogami Tensei Five, but to a lesser extent. Like SMT Five got challenging at times, but not to the same extent in the same rewarding fashion that Fantasian did. So, all right, so I am going to go over one last time what our the ending up of this what nearly seven hour deliberation maybe once it's edited down it'll be slightly less than that uh for our rpgs of the year for 2021 our top 10 the ones that didn't make it into the top five were noja fuga melodies of steel scarlet nexus monster hunter rise and tales of arise our top five runners up these are the ones that just made it into the top five but did not were not declared the overall winner were Lost Judgment, Shin Megami Tensei Five, Neo: The World Ends with You, and Atelier Ryza Two, and then leaving our RPG of the Year for 2021 to be Fantasian. That's where we ended up, and I we all seem to agree with so it. So yeah, sorry, I can't disagree. It's like my personal taste. Like I understand my personal taste is pretty weird. But like I love this, like the the strategy and the bosses and everything. Yeah. And I love the art, and I I love how classic it feels. Uh, this is our preemptive apology. If you're mad, stay mad. I don't know. Sakaguchi <laughs> did it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then um. Oh dear. We already went through the category award winners, so I won't do that again. And they'll also be written up on our obviously our feature for this for the post. But thank you for listening. If you've made it to the end of this, if you've listened to all these deliberations, 
like I feel like it should let us know when we owe you something. I don't know what yet. That's not a promise. But uh, obviously, thank you so much for listening to this. And hopefully it does give a little bit of insight um, for exactly you know how these decisions came to be, how con- contentious they can end up being, and how if we just had this argument again on a different day, it might have shaken out differently because some of these are end up being so, so close in terms of where the cutoff is or declaring a winner for a specific category and all these things. It also just kind of depends on who happens to be available on the day we ended up recording. So there's a lot of luck and there's a lot of art. It's not a science, but I'm looking at where we ended up and I think we all are are happy with what we ended up at. So... We will be returning with our normal podcast in 2022, maybe the second week of January. We haven't decided that yet. And it's a, as alluded to at the end of the discussion here, 2022 is shaping up to be a, a big year with a lot of potential heavy hitters to, to, re, to reconvene in 12 months' time and seeing exactly how, how that all shakes out. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for visiting our site and following, it up, following us on all of our social channels. Uh, thank you so much for hanging out in our Discord and chatting with these RPGs as they release with like-minded uh, you know, folks. As always, we hope you have a happy holidays or had had a happy holidays at the time that this podcast is public. And you know, we will continue to talk to you through our podcast. We will continue to write up our reviews and our features and keep you all up to date on all the news and everything regarding this wonderful genre of games throughout 2022. One more time, we would not be here without you guys. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Later. Happy holidays, everyone. Thank you. See you in the new year.